You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello everybody here on the Oz Network as we come to you once again for a movie recap episode. It's not a rev cap, we're not doing one of these half and half things where we review and recap it. It's a time to get into our second week of our Winter Olympics month because everybody here who watches movies and TV shows loves sport as well. And they're so excited for the Winter Olympics starting in Pyeongchang in only a few weeks' time. But this week, it is the greatest Winter Olympic movie ever made. It is one of the greatest movies ever made. We are looking at the iconic, the amazing, the 1993 hit, Cool Runnings. I don't know if I've been this excited to talk about a movie since we talked about Twister. I'm that just, and that was the very first one I think we did. That was the second one we did, but whatever. I'm thrilled, so happy, excited. And I guess you want to know who I am. My name is Ben, and feel the rhythm, feel the ride, get it up, it's podcast time! And my name is Colin, and who's a big hot bag of air who doesn't have to comb his hair, who doesn't bathe and doesn't care? Ben! Ben! Yeah, Ben! Get back to work! Um... I'm so excited to do this movie. Uh, This is pretty much the only reason why we needed to do Winter Olympics Month. Um, The other movies kind of fell into place after that. But uh, Colin, cool runnings. What a movie. What a a time we're going to have today. It's going to take about 12 hours, but who cares? Uh, I mean, this is going to be interesting because I don't know if we've gone through like... Uh, maybe, I, I guess, in a way, we did, like, the Ewok movie from year, I think, but I don't think we've gone through, like, childhood favorite movies yet. And um, with this one, you know, m- my experience is I think I I knew nothing about this. I probably don't even think I'd seen bobsledding before, and I just remember when the movie came out, just wanted to see it. It just looked like a fun movie. And do you remember, like, pay-per-view? Uh, yeah, I know what it is. Or did I'd... you get pay-per-view in Australia? On the mid-'90s, it became a thing when pay-TV became a thing, yes. Yeah, see, I I don't remember. I was too young to be able to just go see this because I wanted to see it. You know, I'd have to wait until either my mom wanted to see it or my brother and sister wanted to see it, and that never happened. So I had to wait till it was on pay-per-view, and I remember ordering it. And the funniest thing happened when I was watching this movie, I have, like, no recollection of everything up until their Olympic trial race, you know, the actual running race they have. Mm-hmm. So the whole introduction of the movie, my pay-per-view obviously didn't kick in or we ordered it late <laughs> because I don't think I've ever seen that. I've only seen it once or twice, you know, in the last couple of years. So the rest of this is all like, it's, it's just flooding back memories of being a child and wanting to be in a bobsled <laughs> and wanting to be Jamaican, wanting to be Dougie Doug. Yeah, well, everyone wants to be Dougie's Doug. Hashtag everyone is Dougie Doug because, like, yeah. that is the greatest name ever. What was it, June Moon in uh, Suicide Squad? Well, I see you, June oh. Moon, and I raise you a Dougie Doug because... That- see, like, he was just Doug, but they already had a Just Leon in this movie, so they said, you can't be just Doug. All right, I'll be Dougie Doug. <laughs> yes, it was going to be Leon E. Leon, but uh, they lost it. <laughs> he won the game of uh, Rock, Paper, Scissors. So, <laughs> otherwise, you would just have starring Leon Doug. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just, I mean, when we get to Jurassic Park later this year, I'll be gushing even more, but... Um, I mean, I think I mentioned at the end of last week uh, that, you know, I just, this is a movie that I watch every year, multiple times, probably every year. Just It's just one of these ones I'm just scrolling through my movies and I'm like, oh, cool running, of course, why not? You know, it's 90 minutes of pure fun. You don't need to think in this movie. It's four Jamaicans in a bobsled and John Candy. That's all you need. Um, but I, I remember seeing this for the first time. I mean, I, as an Australian, 
No idea what bobsled is. <laughs> I think maybe I played it on a video game <laughs> before. I, I don't even think I remember watching it like in, in the Lillehammer games because that was, you know, the one I sort of vaguely remember seeing bits and pieces at. But um, I think, yeah, we just we rented this movie from the video store, just absolutely fell in love with it. I remember um, for Christmas, probably that following year, you could get um, like the trio of VHS packs. They would have like the Disney family pack, you know, and I think my nan bought me, uh, you got Cool Runnings, you got the first Mighty Ducks movie, which, uh, true story, in Australia is called Champions. I don't know if you know that. Um, and also the Air Up There, the great Kevin Bacon movie. Oh, what are, do you know? Are you familiar with the air up there? <laughs> Again, like that. That was we didn't have the big combo pack. We just had all of those movies on VHS, and that was like the trilogy we would watch back to back. You know, yes. let's go. Well, we'd add the Mighty Ducks two in there, but it was Mighty Ducks one two, <laughs> Cool Runnings, and the Air Up There. Oh, what a movie! The Air Up There coming soon in twenty eighteen. Um, but yeah, I just I think I mentioned this. I just watch this just nonstop. I watch this like you know three or four times in a day. And, um, yeah, I, I discovered bobsledding. I think it just added to my love of winter sports when it comes to kind of the Winter Olympics, but just so much about this. And I just would always remember talking to my dad, like, oh, now did this really happen? Did this really happen? Uh, and I remember, I still actually, and we'll talk about this in the film, I remember the first time watching this, like, getting so upset that they crashed at the end. Like, thinking, oh, no, they didn't win a medal! And, like, I, I don't know if I cried <laughs> or not. Like, I was, like, eight or something. But um, I just, I legitimately always get upset when I just see how close they, well, in the movie at least, get to a medal. Um, but the one thing I'll say, um, I don't know if you ever remember the, the day you looked up what really happened. Um, it kind of ruins yeah. it for you. Like, it's kind of sad to... No, this is only very loosely based on the true story yeah. of the uh, Jamaican bobsled team. Because once you actually find out the, the truth behind it, it's not as magical as this movie. I know, and that's... The thing is, I don't think I ever bothered to look up the true story of this until, you know, maybe five six years ago uh when you know it popped up on netflix one day i'm like oh i haven't seen cool runnings in years and then as i was watching the movie i was going through the real story and i think you know it <laughs> that one time i think i was able to forgive it this past time though rewatching it it, it, it does lose a little bit as i'm sort of watching the thing. how did i not notice that this is the most <laughs> unrealistic thing ever and, and in what world would the the evil bad swiss you know just be bullying <laughs> these poor poor uh immigrants from jamaica with the accents and the crazy hair it's just yeah some of it definitely feels very disney scripted now but i feel like especially when you get to late in the movie when they are competing those three runs they have i think they keep enough of those three runs in it that is true especially using the real footage which you mentioned last time yeah that you know the, the ending is just always so effective so you know at least the ending is very consistent little things that i even used to do because um you know growing up loved the olympics and i had um this, uh, this statistic book which had all the medalists from it and i think i used to get this book from the library which was like just a winter olympics one and they would have yeah like a list of all the medal winners so i used to go back Back to like the seventies to see if I could see like Earl Blitzer winning uh, gold for like the USA, and it said like a little disqualification or something like that. On it. And I was like, I legitimately blame like, oh, where's Ben Bannock winning gold for Jamaica? Yeah. <laughs> like, I legitimately was like, as a kid, believe these were all names of people that did it. So like, 
Um, I mean, I guess they talk up the Swiss in this movie. Spoiler alert, they really did win the gold in the four-man bob in 1988 Calgary Olympics. Um, so they got they that. They weren't racist, right? though. No, well, no I believe they weren't racist. No, that's correct. Uh, <laughs> everyone in 1988 was not racist. <laughs> Only Disney are racist because they made them racist. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Mickey Mouse is a racist. Um, <laughs> we've said it first here on the Oz Network. Um but yeah, just little things like that. And one thing, uh, we'll no doubt talk about this throughout this, uh, episode, uh, our sister show, Off the Podium, uh, which of course, if you like the Olympics, you can listen to us covering every day of the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympics. Uh, we were fortunate enough to actually interview one of the four original members of the Jamaican bobsled team, Devin Harris. Uh, about midway through last year, uh, and it was such a thrill because we were sort of reaching out to people for athlete uh, athlete interviews, and it was kind of focused on Canada and Australia for obvious reasons. And um, I just happened to stumble across sort of a Jamaican bobsled team page. I'm like, oh, why not? And they were like, prompt, they're like, absolutely, we'll get one of the guys on to do an interview with you. And um, yeah, just. He, he talks a lot about the movie and, you know, obviously they worked on the movie with the actors, so they're actually kind of on set with these guys and kind of helping them out and, you know, just sort of just the interesting things about that. But um, definitely recommend that. We'll share it through here as well on this uh, one so you can check it out on our page. But, uh, yeah, I mean, 1993, this movie obviously came out. I mean, this is only five years after, uh, obviously, this all happened. Uh, directed by John Turtle Tab Torb. Uh, help me out here. <laughs> Turtle Tob. Turtle Tob. Yep, him. Sounds like a chocolate or something. Um, but, I mean, coming into this, he had, what, directed Three Ninjas? That's a Chris Farrell movie. Chris Farrelly. What, it, what did he say his name? Farrelly. Oh, that was Beverly Hills Ninja. Oh, I knew there was Three a... Ninjas was like a, a bad kids movie. Oh, it had Chad Power in it. Yep. Uh, oh, the famous Chad Power. <laughs> Chad Power. Oh, nearly was James Bond. Uh, he... <laughs> Uh, driving me crazy and think big. Never heard of any of them. But, uh, I mean, he kind of has gone on to do a few more things after this. He did While You Were Sleeping for Nanonamanon. Uh, <laughs> probably best known from, uh, The Kid. Disney's The Kid. I, I like that movie. I know we talked a little bit about in the Santa Claus, because, um, stupid little shit kid's in that, isn't he? Um, yeah. and, uh, he directed the pilot episode of the TV remake of Rush Hour, which is the only episode I saw of Rush Hour and didn't watch it after <laughs> I saw Rush Hour. Um, I mean, I don't know. If, are you familiar? I mean, he also did the National Treasure movies. I guess we should, you know, Nicolas Cage yeah. movies. So, I mean, that's kind of esteemed, right? Yeah. I mean, this movie did launch him. I mean, if you look at the two movies that follow this, especially while you're sleeping, like that was a huge movie in 1995. Phenomenon was a huge movie in 96. So, uh obviously cool runnings at least got him on the map and he he found a way to break out of disney too because the one movie you you didn't mention on here was instinct I don't, did you ever see instinct with anthony no, hopkins no, and can't, Jr.? can't say i did no i mean not a not a great movie but kind of a good thriller so he has some versatility as a director but i don't know he was i guess pretty inexperienced when he did this movie but i think what this movie does deserve more credit for is jump-starting this craze of the true story sports movies particularly the disney ones Mm -hmm. that took another seven years after this for it to really catch on because this movie although it was a hit it's not like they immediately said let's start doing this every year seven years after this they have remember the titans as they kind of try to revive this true sports story and then following remember the titans i mean it was just every year now it's let's do the rookie now it's 
let's do Miracle, and then let's do Glory uh, Road, and let's do We Are Marshall. It just became like an annual tradition to have the true sports story. But this movie was way ahead of its time in 1993. What about The Replacements? That was sort of based off something, wasn't it? (laughs) It was probably about as based on truth as Cool Runnings is, in all fairness. (laughs) The Waterboy happened. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I saw Bobby Boucher play for that team. Uh, Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, sort of in the trivia I read, this was the most successful or the highest grossing live action Disney movie for a long period of time. So I guess we can talk about that, um, sort of at the end, but this, this is a movie though that, um, I mean, it, it really is one that I'm trying to think of anybody's ever to me said they do not like Cool Runnings. I mean, I guess we will talk about this. Like there are some things, I guess, when you take notes that you do notice, um, but, like, this is still definitely a film where it just, uh, to me, it holds up so well. And I don't know if that's just a nostalgia factor or anything like that. But, I mean, do you know anybody in existence who has said the words, I do not like cool learnings, and if so, why do you talk to them? <laughs> no, nobody. And for a long time, I kind of thought that was just our generation. Because, I mean, everybody has that, you know. I'm sure that there were movies, like, when our parents were growing up, that their parents were like, oh, this is terrible. But for them, they're like, oh, well, I grew up with this, so it's great. You know, and then the same thing with us movies we grew up with, uh, like this generation will be like, this movie's not that good. Cool Runnings, I remember, uh, I didn't get to show it to them, but my brother showed it to all of my nephews, and they just flipped out over this movie. And then he then went on to show them, like, Remember the Titans and Miracle and everything else. But, like, they'll still talk about how much they love Cool Runnings. So I think this movie still carries over, even if you're not nostalgic for the 1993, you know, your introduction to true sports stories in the Olympics. Um, I mean... This whole era, I think, holds up. Because even the Mighty Ducks movies, I don't know if I've met a person who says, I don't like at least the first Mighty Ducks movie. And again, just don't talk to them. Just, like, just tell them to go yeah, away. Yeah, exactly. I mean, 93 in film. Can we just go over this? Okay, Jurassic Park, The King, uh, Schindler's List, Groundhog Day, The Fugitive, Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, you know, just that's enough sells it for it. Dennis the Menace. <laughs> yes step, step down there for some but i'm gonna hold up to dennis the menace great movie last action <laughs> <Just> hero <watched. laughs> uh adam's family it was at the second one values uh, i'm just scrolling through here uh oh, i remember the secret garden that was cliffhanger okay. yeah cliff, cliffhanger sleepers in, seattle. <laughs> in seattle i've never actually seen it but i know sister act two uh wayne's world two free willy <laughs> grumpy free old willy. men <laughs> Um, Hot Shots Part <laughs> It's actually a really good year for movies. Uh, it is, yeah. It's 25 years too, Colin. What are we doing in anniversary uh, month? <laughs> we finally got an anniversary here. <laughs> last Action Hero. Can we please do Last Action Hero? Um, and Homeward Bound oh, Journey. Oh, another great. God damn it. What a year. Uh, fuck Winter Olympics <laughs> month. It's 1993 year. Uh <laughs> But yeah, the Mighty Ducks, like, that's, it's, yeah, uh, when we do those, we'll, we're just gushing over these movies. Um, but the the thing that also I'll say is that when we get to Eddie the Eagle in a couple of weeks as well, I mean, there's going to be so many similarities. Obviously, Eddie the Eagle came out, what, like 23 years later. But to me, I've been, I've, at the moment of recording this, I've only seen Eddie the Eagle once. Uh, but I still loved it. But to me, it was just legitimately almost cool running scene for scene, just with ski jumping. So, like, they kind of took a good formula from a 1988 Olympics movie and just kind of did it. They just added, you know, Hugh Jackman instead of John Candy, and they just threw in Christopher Walken in there for good measure. 
<laughs> because what movie doesn't need Christopher Walken in there randomly? Um, but anyway, uh, just quickly on the cast, uh, the esteemed Leon. Uh, when did Leon actually come out with Natalie Portman and Jean Reno? That that was about this time as well, wasn't it? Like a year later, ninety four, maybe. Yeah, Gary Oldman. What a movie that is! Come on, I know you hate Natalie Portman, but you got to you got to like that movie. Come on. Oh, I mean, I love any movie that Luke Besson made. I mean, he's yeah. We could cover the Fifth Element and uh, the Transporter Taken. Valerian, have you seen that yet? No, well, I'd like to stop <laughs> before I get there. <laughs> yeah, June Moon's in that one, so. <laughs> Uh, of course, the esteemed Dougie Doug. Uh, <laughs> yes. We were just talking about it before we got on air. I love Dougie Doug. Roll D. Lewis, uh, Malik Yoba, uh, and of course, John Candy, uh, which is his last, his third last official appearance in a movie, but I believe the last movie he was still alive for that was released. Uh, the two others that he did, I know Canadian Bacon was his last, uh, but was the other Wagons East was his uh, other one. So I guess we'll talk a bit about John Candy in this one, because, I mean, great Canadian, of course. Um, yeah. I mean, do you remember where you were the day John Candy died? <laughs> no, I'm laughing I, I was, about it, but... I was probably a bit young. I mean, I knew who John Candy was, um, not just from, like, Cool Runnings, but, like, Home Alone. Um, uh, where the other? Uncle Buck was one of my favorites when I was really little. Uh, and the great outdoors. He had another movie with Dan Aykroyd. Like I think John Candy, especially in Canada, was uh, a huge deal. And I think we talked about this on our Christmas the Cranks episode, just about how Dan Aykroyd. It didn't matter if his career was sort of you know sliding, and if he wasn't as big in the public eye. I mean, you knew who every Canadian knows who Dan Aykroyd is, and he's a big deal to every Canadian. Every Canadian knows who John Candy is, and I can remember, even though it was way ahead of my time, and always kind of nauseating to me, you know, the TV show SCTV where he started on, which was basically Canada's answer to um, Saturday Night Live uh, that launched not just John Candy, but like Martin Short and Eugene Levy and so many other people. I remember that just being all over TV, even in the 90s. I mean, we're talking decades after it aired. So I think he was he was so famous here in Canada. It's not like I can specifically remember when he died, but I can remember that whole time period and that even though... Uh, his movies would come out like his final movies like Wagons East when that was released it, it pretty much was just forgotten and just you know uh, done within two weeks but here in Canada there are people like oh John Candy's final movie's out so it was always big deal for all these last movies he did the only one I can think of in an Australian comparison to that is probably someone like Guy Pearce because to me like he's always been oh, when he died it was a tragedy. yeah it was so sad when Guy Pearce died I mean at the time of recording this he probably has died in the space of us pressing stop <laughs> Um, but like, he's always been a big deal in Australia, but, but to me, he kind of fluctuates when he becomes big in America and that, because like, he just, he'll randomly have periods where he's just nothing. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Guy Pearce is the thing again. So, yeah. um, that to me, cause all the other Australians generally maintain their fame or they just never come back again. Whereas, yeah, I always forget that people know who Guy Pearce is, if that makes sense. Um, but I, this was my very first taste of John Candy. Again, I was, I mean, it's good candy. It's John Candy. Um, but- oh, wait, 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 wait. You hadn't seen Home Alone before oh, you saw this? Probably not. No, I don't think so. Um, I wow. honestly saw the first, uh, the second Home Alone before I ever saw the first Home Alone. So, yeah. I was three when the first Home Alone came out, all right? Like, I don't think my parents were letting me watch Home Alone. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, really outside of that, I mean, you know that I absolutely love Canadian Bacon, which, of course, is his... Yeah. Uh, and, and the movie as well. The meat is pretty decent. Um, but... <laughs> bad joke, Ben. Move on. Uh, <laughs> it's his last movie. 
but yeah, Home Alone. Um, he was in one of the Lampoon movies, wasn't he? Like a, some national, uh, I don't know, one of those random 80s. Yeah, National Lampoon's Vacation. He was the guard at Wally World. Of course he was. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, the esteemed guard. Um, oh, what's the Canadian conspiracy TV movie where he played the role of Various? <laughs> um, I, 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 it's probably on TV right now. It's just I'm not familiar with it. Yes, you know I've never actually seen Spaceballs. Can I admit that on air? Um, but yeah, no, I'm I, not a fan of it. But like, yeah, that's disgusting if you've never seen it. I, I like, I like John Candy. I was sad. I and this is another one of those things I remember watching. This. I think Dad was like, "Oh, he's dead now." I'm like, "Oh, that's sad." Um, so, uh, anyway, John Candy. So you're watching the movie. You're like, I love this movie. I love this coach. Oh, he's dead, you know. <laughs> uh, they didn't really win the gold. Oh, dad. Like, stop <laughs> ruining it for me. Uh, the one other random one I just wanted to quickly mention, uh, Raymond J. Barry. He always, like, pops up in things. Uh, so I think, um, I don't know if you ever watched the Jean-Claude Man- Van Damme movie, Sudden Death. Um. Oh, yeah. And he's, like, the vice president in that movie. Um, and then he was like in Gotham, but he's just in so many things. Alias, I'm seeing here, you probably know him from that. Uh, just random things. He was in Lost. Um, just, yeah, he's, he's kind of one of these actors who just pops up in so many different things. Um, but and the I. The guy who played the Swiss captain to Peter Outerbridge, uh, he's one of these Canadian actors that you're no, most people aren't going to know him by name, but they're going to look at him and say, oh, I know I've seen him in some Canadian TV show or movie before. I, f- I feel you need to correct yourself, Colin. You keep saying the Swiss. You do realize he's the East German captain, right? The Swiss actually don't say anything German. in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is Ace, Dave, Ace. That whole region, they're all racist. <laughs> it's the 80s. They're all, like, separated. <laughs> we can get away with it. The Soviet Union... <laughs> Um, yeah, he does actually look familiar. I need to see what else he's in. But we, I think we'll talk about the four main guys because this is something that you always kind of look at. Like, what have they done since? And uh, I think, you know, Dougie Doug I, was in the esteemed Operation Dumbo Drop, um, which... I that great war movie. <laughs> yes, that great war movie with Danny Glover and Ray Liotta. Uh, I actually do remember watching that a lot when I was younger. Um, but I don't, you just don't really see them in a lot of things since, but the one, do we want to say this now? Who's kind of gone on to be in the most things or do we want to kind of say this to when we introduce him? Because it's, it's surprising. Oh, yeah. I don't, I do not believe IMDB when they say he's his <laughs> character and designated survivor. It's not him. I'm telling you, they're lying to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's, it's funny because I would say of these four, and this is another argument. I mean, if you could find people out there and this is anything against it, but if you were to ask anybody your four favorite characters from Cool Runnings or rank the the four bobsledders in order, <laughs> I'm betting Yul Brenner's at the bottom of everybody's list, as great as he is. And, and like I go, I go through you know their IMDb's today, and I'm like Malik Yoba. Why have I heard that name before? I'm like because he's been in everything. Yep. Like he... Designated Survivor, like you mentioned, um, Empire, the, a TV show that I was telling you about, Alphas, which was a great sci-fi show from a few years ago, kind of like an X-Men type thing. I mean, he's just been in a ton of things lately. You compare it to all the other guys. I mean, it's it's not even close. Like, he's by far not just the most active, but probably the most recognizable. It's just, I don't think you could recognize him in any of these things compared to, maybe it's because of the hair, who knows, but... Mm. You never could have convinced me that this was the same guy either. Well, I mean, we're, we're going to, just like we kind of tried to do a little bit with uh, Brendan Fraser Month, tried to do a little bit with Tobey Maguire, uh, we're going to start up the Dougie Doug uh, campaign, I feel, on, yes. on the Oz Network to, to kind of get him back around. Like, Leon, sure. 
But, like, you know, he's a good-looking guy. Dougie Doug needs a bit of help from us. So, he's also a good-looking guy. <laughs> but he's also got the comedy side of things. So, you oh, know, yeah. there's that too. I'm just Fun looking here. Pete, Peter Outerbridge actually was also in Designated Survivor. So, clearly, Designated Survivor, the TV show where Cool Runnings actors go to die. Um, <laughs> <so> <laughs> just, just, just pay special note for that. Uh, I just, I wanted to say, I was, I was, I've never read this before in the trivia about kind of potential people who nearly played the roles in this film. Denzel Washington was being targeted for what? the role of Doris Bannock and Eddie Murphy was being targeted for the role of Sanka Coffee, but they did not want to do it due to, uh, pay reasons. They thought they weren't going to get paid enough for it. Uh, so there you go. And, uh, for Noah, not that he'll ever listen to this, uh, the esteemed best friend fan of Snow Dogs. Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. also apparently was also targeted for this movie. Um, but he went on to be in Snow Dogs, which for all the younger listeners growing up, that will be the cool runnings in 10 years' time for the kids. Like, oh, Snow yeah. Dogs! I love that yeah. movie. Um, but anyway, we should get into this movie. Um, the song that we start off with. Now, I, I shazammed this because I don't actually think I have this song and I'm ashamed that I don't. Uh, is because I like this song. Just uh, yep. Uh, love what love you want by Waiting Souls. Are you a Waiting Souls fan, Colin? Uh, remember my VHS that I had recorded off of pay per view did not have this first five minutes of the movie. <laughs> oh, you missed out. I have all of the Waiting yeah. Songs songs. Uh, Waiting Souls. I don't even remember their name. I just said it three seconds. Wailing but... Souls. Wailing Souls. Uh, Dougie Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, I just, I mean, just, we kind of lump a whole lot here really in the beginning because I kind of think there's a lot of this is just all sort of filler at the moment, clearly. We're, we're meeting Darice, here he is, he's he's sprinting, he's practicing, he's got a bunch of little kids to make a track with toilet paper and stuff and basically sprints and then just buggers off. Like, I feel sorry for these kids. <laughs> They've got all this effort, like, oh, he's our favourite, you know, the Usain Bolt of 1987 yeah. of Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> like, they love this guy. He's a national hero. And he's just run through. See you, kids. Bye. <laughs> um, we, we should establish that, right? This guy is meant to be the Usain Bolt of 1987. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things that I picked up on um, when I watched it this time was, uh, you know, you have the three guys who are all racing next to each other. And Junior's kind of like, it's an honor to be racing with you guys. And even later on, he says, if it wasn't for me, you you two would be at the Olympics. So, I mean, it was basically a given you know, even juniors, no contest here. It was a given. Doris was going to the Olympics, so this is absolutely the same bolt. And I, I always wonder, um, like, do you think they deliver? I've never kind of read criticism. There's sometimes often these criticism in movies when they portray a, a country in a certain way that oh, you made us look backwards or anything like that. But I, I always feel watching this, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to any of our Jamaican listeners here, but like to me, is this really like? The cap. I'm guessing this is meant to be Kingston, Jamaica, but I mean, I don't know. To me, it almost looks like they make it look more run down than it might be. And if it is like this, yeah. I apologise, but uh, I don't know. I, I feel like Jamaica isn't that sort of that way. I feel like Jamaica is a little bit more advanced, and it's portrayed in this movie. Uh, I mean, you could kind of explain it that you know maybe Doris and Sanka they're from you know like a smaller village or something like that. Um, with the filming locations, you know, I tried to find the filming locations here because there's a bit of a discrepancy on uh, one of the locations that we talked about last week, which we'll mention again here. But uh, I think they, they had this uh, places being like Oco Rios or something. 
Uh, I don't know if that's where, like, maybe the major city is where they're supposed to be having this Olympic trial, but they're from this smaller town. Maybe. But even in the Olympic trial, it's it's weird that there's, like, you know, 14 people in the stands. Mm. And, yeah, yeah, this is 1988. I mean, a lot of things probably have changed since, like, you know, the rise of Usain Bolt and everything. But I find it hard to imagine that even, you know, 30 years ago. Oh, we're on another anniversary. 30 years since this happened. <laughs> um, 30 years ago that there was this little fanfare about runners of the Olympics, especially considering in this story, in this fictional story, you know what, like 20 years earlier, they had the gold medalist and, you know, Doris's dad. It's just, it's, yeah, it's a little bit of a stretch. And the, the one thing I actually, I've just looked this up. Uh, so at the 1988 Summer Olympics for Jamaica, um, the the head of the Olympic Committee says, oh, you know, practice your boxing or your cycling. They're the only other sports that Jamaica competes in. That's true, because according to this article I'm reading here, they only did send athletes in those three sports. But Jamaica actually did not have any competitors in the uh, individual 100 metres in 1988. They only had them in the uh, relay. Um, Christopher Faulkner, Gregory Meghu, John Mayer, and Clive Wright they made it. Those into- are the guys Junior didn't trip. They okay, did. Now we got names, and they got fourth in the final. So, <laughs> sorry to ruin that movie coming up like cool running sprinting version. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but Jamaica won two silver medals at the 1988 Summer Olympics uh, in the four by four hundred meters men's relay, and in the female, the women's two hundred meters. Uh, Grace Jackson, the esteemed sprinter from Jamaica, Grace Jackson. Uh, got that silver in the 200. But anyway, um, so he's off training. He's running all around Jamaica. He probably did three laps of Jamaica. And uh, we've got the two ladies in the market. I could watch that backside all day. Ah! Um, I, I do also love the fact that, like, when he's running and there's those kids, hey, Doris, yeah, man. Like, is that just, you know, they're deliberately going out of their way to drop plenty of yeah, man, because that's all that Jamaicans say, apparently. Um, it probably is, in all fairness. True, true. I, I honestly can't think if I've ever met a Jamaican in real life, except for Devon Harris, who I interviewed, but as in, like, uh, you know, in real life, hi, I'm from Jamaica. Don't know. Anyway, um, jump up, jump up, Jamaica. <laughs> we should be singing that. Yeah. <laughs> no? Anyway. Tell me, if you, tell me if you catch the James Bond reference in this movie, too. Oh, God. <laughs> no. Oh, you missed it. Okay, so... This I'll, help I'll me out here. <laughs> This is something yeah. to do with another day. Um, was Honey Rider in the background in one of these scenes? <laughs> no. No, it's almost as good, though. Okay. Uh, but we've got the Pushcart Derby, uh, Derby, whatever you want to say. Um, <laughs> can I just say, like, can we just establish right now, Sanker is the best character in this movie. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, right now, by far. Uh, like, he's just, he's a bit of a slave driver at the beginning. He's got these kids working <laughs> on the, his cart. He's like, all right, team, let's get ready for the pre race cheer. And they do this lovely little cheer, and he's just like, get back to work. <laughs> like, <laughs> just a dick to kids. Um, but uh, we have this push cart, which is, is a thing. Uh, I'm pretty sure Devin spoke about this in the interview. And, yeah. um,. If you read, if you do read about the um, the story behind the real Jamaican bobsled team, this, they were sort of involved in this. Um, but he's going for his world record seventh derby in a row. Uh, we're learning about what their grandfather says. <laughs> you know what my grandfather says? Get back to work. Uh, <laughs> I love it, and I love it when Doris goes back into the um, the crowd. And we meet Doris's girlfriend, blinking you miss whatever her name is. Um, 
And it's like, oh, he's sunk already. Oh, I think so. That boy's never ready. He's a lazy, crazy. I don't even know what she says. And then the way they're all like, start laughing. He's like, so what you laughing at? <laughs> Our Jamaican accents are going to get significantly worse in this episode. Um, but, yeah, so we get the, the push cart scene. It's great. Um, he wins. But then we have Dick, other bobsled push cart guy who rams him on the line. Um, <laughs> Like, saw loser guy. <laughs> it's a dirty sport. It is a really dirty sport. Uh, we get a few kind of, you know, foreshadowing moments here. Obviously, we get the start with the feel the rhythm, feel the ride, get it up, it's push cart time. Uh, we get, obviously, the sun cart, you're dead. Uh, and we also, I think we get the egg here too, don't we, for the first time? We see Kiss My Lucky Egg. Um, obviously, all little kind of things that are going to play a part later on in the movie. I, I do question, though, uh, how does Doris and crew see Sanka this whole race? Because it's a bloody big hill that he comes down. And they're, like, yeah. cheering like they can see everything in this race. Uh, there's more people at the pushcart race than there are at the Olympic trials. I know! <laughs> Another problem! <laughs> they love their pushcart in Jamaica, but screw the Olympics. Uh, <laughs> um, that's why the, the Olympic Committee is just a tiny little office. <laughs> it's <just> like, <laughs> one guy. <laughs> it, it is. It's one guy. Um, but I, I guess I'll keep going here. So we've got Dereese's, uh nice little scene here with his girlfriend. I don't actually know what his girlfriend's name is. Do you? Joy. Joy. Never mind. It's Joy. It's yeah. his wife. I was going to say Joy. It was coming to me. But apparently it must be his wife because she's credited as Joy Bannock. So, okay, not girlfriend, wife. Happy for it's them. Real reason to be upset with the, the kissing booth then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dick Dereese <laughs> moment. Um, Joy Bannock, played by the esteemed Bettina McCauley, uh, <laughs> who is best known for her three movies. <laughs> oh, we could get her on the show. Her first movie ever was Cool Runnings. She then went on to be Stacey Bennett QC in the TV series Royal Palm Estate. And then she followed it up with playing Dominique Fannin in Jamaica Beat. And since 1997, she hasn't acted. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Jamaica Beat took it out of her. I'm sure she's got a kissing booth set up somewhere in Kingston. I I don't mind her. She's pretty good looking. Good on you, Bettina. Um, (laughs) I definitely think we could get her on the show. Um, (laughs) I do like that line, though, when the pushcart thing, I love Jamaica and Jamaica loves me. Um, it's it's like, kind of like count the Jamaica references we get in this movie, which, I mean, I think they're meant to be kind of shoved down your throat, but do you ever take it that way? Like, there are some moments in this movie, like, oh, that's meant to be cheesy, but like, nah, it just it's my childhood, I'm not going to take it as cheesy. Yeah, well, I mean, as far as, like, the Jamaican patriotism, I would guess that's really the way it is, just I've seen how crazy the Jamaican fans are, you know, for the same bolt races and everything. Um, and I think that there's probably a little bit of that with like Canadians and uh, maybe even Australians. I mean, Canadians, the politest country on earth. I mean, we riot when teams win Stanley Cups. So uh, I don't think uh, anything else is that unrealistic for, you know, stereotypes for patriotism. You should see how much you riot when your bobsledding teams win gold medals. It's like, holy crap. Like, what was that guy who hosted the who hosted Amazing Race? Isn't he a bobsledder? Yeah. Yeah, John Montgomery, the skeleton. Oh, skeleton, the same thing. Uh- <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> sort of similar. Um, but yeah, so we got uh, Therese, the trials. It's a nice little scene here. You know, I can't believe the trials are finally here. Uh, you know, it's my time, Joy. It's my time. Like, I, one thing I'll say, love the music. I love the score. Uh, it always gives me goosebumps. It always tears me up, particularly at the end. Just, uh, if I could find this score, I don't know if, if it is available to find. 
But um, I didn't talk about that last week on Itonia. I forgot to mention about the soundtrack, how I really enjoyed the soundtrack on Itonia. There, I've said it on air. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if you kind of ever pay attention to the score in this film. Yeah, especially, I mean, not the entire score. I think the soundtrack is great. Like, I love, so. there's several songs on here, which I'll still listen to all the time. Uh, but it's just bizarre to think of Hans Zimmer as a Disney composer. You know, he did like this in The Lion King, and that's kind of how he started. And the whole Hans Zimmer sound that we're familiar with, like from uh, The Dark Knight and, uh, you know, every uh, uh, Ridley Scott movie, every Jerry Bruckheimer movie, like Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, every Christopher Nolan movie. And to think, you know, the big heroic music playing as they have their uh, their second run in the, the bobsled during the mm-hmm. Olympics here. That was Hans Zimmer. It just doesn't sound anything like him. But, I mean, so much fun music in here. And also just kind of like the big heroic music things that play up later on. I mean, it, it fits the whole sport movie. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so we're at the trials. Uh, huge, you know, turnout for the Jamaican Olympic trials. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I do like it when in the crowd and uh, Sunky's like, oh, I'm just a little bit concerned about that big baldy. <laughs> it's like, <"Rrr!" laughs> I love that line. The one thing I, like, this is a nitpick, but okay, so you and I are aware of how these sort of races work and generally to get to the final, you've got to have heats and semifinals and all things like that. So we're going to establish that this is the final event of the day, so we're going to establish that they've had that during the day. So why the hell does Junior Bevel, here's our esteemed Junior Bevel, uh, it's like, hey, I know you. You're Doris Bannock. It'll be a real honor to go to the Olympics. Dude, you've been running all day. This is like yeah, Jamaica's exactly. Usain Bolt. Everyone knows who he is. And you're now saying, like, oh, I know you. Yeah, you do. He's, like, famous. Like, how dumb and is like, Junior? Did he expect to show up to the National Olympic Trials and not see Doris Bannock? <laughs> like, do you show up to the uh you know jamaican olympic trials and not see usain bolt i know you you're a sane bolt <laughs> yeah aren't you usain bolt <laughs> i really hope to make the team with you um, <laughs> so i hear you're still running huh yeah. <laughs> good for you um but anyway so he also he you know good luck to you good luck to you like oh it's nice and he goes up to baldy which as we know is yul brenner the esteemed malik yoba um and <laughs> the way he goes to shake his hand good luck to you and he just stares down him i actually i always have a bit of a, a fandom for for yul uh you know like out of all the characters i i don't dislike any of the four like junior's the most boring but like i still like junior really like, really? You don't think Junior is a bit boring? Well, no, I mean, I was saying that of these four, I think Yul Brenner is probably the least... I don't think any of them are boring, but I would say Yul Brenner is the least interesting. Oh, I, just, I don't know. I just really like the dumbness of Yul. Uh, and there's a scene with him that I just always, like, I just love. Um, but, um, I mean... All, I think f- I know which one. All four of them have great chemistry. All four of them just work mm-hmm. off each other so well. And uh, I, I like Junior. I just think, to me, he's the least out of all of them. But, uh, you know, you still kind of like them all together. Um, so we had the race, um, and yeah, bloody Junior trips. Uh, <laughs> he falls down, takes out Doris, takes out Yule. Uh, we kind of get this slow-mo, this sad music. And uh, number 30 wins. Uh, who did I say that was in the Jamaican team? Um, he went on to finish fourth in uh, Seoul, Korea. Uh, and it's all very sad. Um, sadly, they're not going to go. And I'll, I'll, I'll cap it here uh, in the the meeting with the Olympic Committee guy. Um, 
because again, the Jamaican Olympic Committee is just essentially run by one person, um, and Derice is, you know, rightfully upset. He wants them to run the race again, but no, we can't do it. Uh, you know, just wait another four years. Practice your boxing or your cycling. Completely different movie at that point, isn't it? We're like, uh, yeah. I'm going to be a cyclist. Um, he's apparently from Transylvania now or something like that. He's Thomas Bach. Cool pedaling. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and that is actually, I think we looked that up on Off the Podium. I remember um, that Jamaica in the Olympics, the only other sport they've ever won medals in outside of athletics is cycling. I think they won a bronze in like the 60s or something. Um, but whilst we're here, we see obviously the photo of Doris's dad, Ben. We've learnt that uh, he's obviously a, a former champion. Uh, we see another photo of a very different looking man. I swear that's not the same person who's in the running photo. Uh, <laughs> And uh, Doris like, who's this man uh, in the picture with my father? Uh, and we learn uh, for the first time about uh, Irv, Irv Blitzer, uh, an American bobsledder who wanted to get Jamaicans to sprint. And uh, this basically sets off an idea in Doris's head, takes a photo, runs off, and wants to go find Irv. Now, a couple of questions I have here for you, Colin. Uh, he legitimately leaves the office and comes back with that famous line, Hey, what's a bobsled? Um, now, okay, how does he know that bobsled's an Olympic sport? I know he sees a gold medal around his neck, but, I mean, that could just be at, like, a World Cup event or just, like, a local event. So, like, he's straight away gone, like, oh, this obviously is an Olympic sport, so this is going to help. How does he know that it's, you know, the Winter Olympics are in, like, three months? Like, it's there's kind of a lot of things. You're like, Jesus, a lot of stuff falls into place here for, uh, for Doris. Um, but that's just well, a minor nitpick. I don't want to take away from it because it's an amazing moment because he's about to become a bobsledder. Well, I mean, my assumption was always because he knew that he was standing there with his dad and his dad was an Olympian. But we also know from having interviewed so many of these Olympians in different sports that they're competing in like dozens of events all around the world. You know, there's national championships. There's, you know, uh, World Cup events, there's Commonwealth Games, there's Junior Commonwealth Games, there's all these great events that uh, Canada they have games. to up before the Olympics. Canada Games, yeah. Um, Pan Am Games, we could just keep going on and on. But Tasmania yeah, games. I mean, it's a good point. I mean, it, it could have been anything. I mean, it could have been, uh, have, that could have been his Junior Goodwills medal or something. Who knows? Uh, that would have made a very different movie. <laughs> Therese and Sanka there, uh, the two man for the Junior Goodwill Games. Oh. Um, Look out for Iceland, those pesky yeah. Icelandics, <laughs> always there to ruin people's dreams. Um, I'll cap it there. Uh, I mean, you know, that's the whole stuff. But I mean, it's kind of a lot of this stuff at the beginning. The thing I will say about this movie, as much as I love it, it really, and I don't know if it just go, does go by quickly because I love the movie so much, but there is a lot of these parts where you just can kind of all lump together because there's a lot of montages in this movie as well. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's where I'll hand it over to you. Well, like I said, my pay-per-view, obviously, we were late to order it. or it was late. To, the way the pay-per-view works is you would order it, and it would take like four or five minutes before it would kick in. So it could have been something where my mom was like, hey, do you want to watch a movie? You know, Colin, you get to pick. And I'm like, cool runnings. And she ordered it, but it had started three minutes earlier. Because all this stuff, I mean, I, I only have like the vaguest recollection. Because I think I watched this so much growing up, but I don't think I've seen it more than a handful of times as an adult. So it's probably only the handful of times as an adult where I ever saw this early stuff with Doris running 
um, the scene with the kids there, which is a little bit cheesy. Um, I, I wonder why he's doing that. Like, does he need the kids there for moral support, you know, for his 100 meter training run here? I mean, he probably does this like 60 times a day. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's still it's it's fun to just set the stage and i guess they filmed this in jamaica as well and it, even if we are kind of debating you know is this a little bit too small town or small village to really be you know th- this big olympic uh um uh you know town or a big olympic venue or whatever they talk about being kingston and all that maybe but i mean it, it definitely feels very caribbean to me uh, as far as the accents go like you say you know, it's almost like you do have to wonder if this is the way because it is such um such a distinctive accent and so dramatic of an accent that I always kind of have in my head, I'm like, did they just put this on for foreigners? You know, because we kind of think that as Canadians, that like Canadians have a tendency that they like to mess with Americans when they come up here. So they'll tell them things like, oh, yeah, you know, I I, I live in an igloo and I take my, my <laughs> snow dog sleigh to school every day. And they'll play up on like the A's and a boot and all that, you know, really overdo it. You do have to wonder if that's the way it is. I do know that when we were in the Bahamas, they are definitely people who spoke like this, but there were also definitely people who were playing up on it more to the tourists. Yeah. Like, I think I mentioned this when we covered one of the James Bond episodes, that you would go down to the beach, and you'd have the women saying, let me let me braid your hair, pretty girl, you know, like to give, like, the Bahamian braids. And yet, the only people there who have it are the tourists. So, yeah. I, I like to think of Jamaica and all the Caribbean as just, it's just a tiny, giant prank on foreigners. And They're all, all just the walking around going, hello, I am from Jamaica. I'll yeah. see the tourists. Hey, man, welcome to Jamaica. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that's the way in, in my fantasy world. That is what Jamaica is really like. Um, but I made the same notes you did. A very small crowd for Olympic trials here. Uh, the junior crash. Uh, this is something that's so sad for Canadians because I think one of our moments we got most excited about was in Athens, and I know I mentioned this on off the podium, and it's something I think Canadians will always remember because we appointed this runner to be one of our you know representatives, one of our sportscasters that we see every single week now on TV. But Perdita Felician was a uh, hurdles jumper, or runner slash jumper, I guess. And it was like you know a dead given she was going to win the gold medal in Athens. And so much so that, you know, I've even mentioned on Off the Podium that if I watch the American coverage of an event, they're like, Americans are the front runners. And meanwhile, it's like, you know, they finished in a solid, respectable 15th place. But uh, to, the, to the Americans, so we're the front runners. And even on American TV, they're like, nobody is going to beat Perdita Felician. And she runs, and it is exactly the way it looks with Junior. Perdita Felician, that the front runner, Canada's great hope for Athens, wipes out and takes out two other runners with her. And there was a big controversy with that, too, saying, you know, should these other runners at least be given a chance since she wiped them out? It's kind of sad, and I think that's one of the reasons why this movie does work, because even though a lot of it is very fictionalized and none of this really happened, these are things that happen all the time. Uh, even with uh, the storyline we'll get into later with, uh, with Irv, and, you know, the disgrace of him being stripped of his medals. I mean, there are Olympic scandals like that all the time. Yeah. So the, the whole sports world and Olympic world of this movie they represent, it definitely feels real, especially for us having, you know, uh, talked about this so much on the show. Um, and I can also see the whole thing where he would go in there and petition, you know, let's rerun the race or whatever, because it's not his fault. Uh, the thing I was wondering if you would pick up on here, and I'm not going to fault you for not picking up on it, because, I mean... So many times I've seen this movie, and at least you know a lot of those after having been a James Bond fan, I didn't even catch this when it started. But 
the the wall where you see the picture of Irv and uh, Ben Bannock, mm-hmm. there's the newspaper article below that that says Ben Bannock wins gold, and the newspaper is the Daily Gleaner, which is the same newspaper that uh, uh, the henchwoman who smashes a light bulb across um, uh, Coral's face and Doctor wow. No claims she works for it. They say go ring up the Daily Gleaner. So that is that is that's specific my... trivia, Colin. No, I did not even yeah. remotely think. I was thinking you were about to say, oh, there was a tree in the background that Bond looked at in Doctor No. <laughs> Like that is that is good. That is well done. <laughs> I mean, if they had like photography by Miss whatever her name is in Doctor No, that just would have totally. Made so we're it trying to say that Cool Runnings and James Bond exist in the same universe. They do, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, let's be honest. Like Dougie, Doug, he could totally be the next James Bond. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, maybe Leon, but no, <laughs> no, Dougie, no, Doug, no, Dougie, Doug. Like screw, screw Idris Elba. <laughs> if they're going to go for something a bit different than what we're used to, it's it's definitely Dougie, Doug. Hashtag Dougie yeah, Doug exactly. for Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Dougie Doug for Bondy Bond, please. <laughs> the name is Bondy Bond, man. James a Bond. You want to kiss my lucky egg? Um, yeah. Uh, one other complaint I have here is the fact that these are the final Olympic trials in maybe let's say this is the fall in Jamaica because they have to have time to put their November they say uh, I think it says at the beginning at one point there's a subtitle that says November 1987 okay so that's the final trial but the Olympics aren't even going to be till what August and maybe it was different in 1988 but like this is nine months ahead of time maybe and Mm. this is their last chance to get into the Seoul Olympics like, I'm watching right now, and there are still people who are qualifying for Pyeongchang, and that yeah. starts in two weeks, like you said. Yeah, and, the, it's and just, the, it might be different. I don't know how it takes it me the move. Yeah, well, I don't know how it is. I know, like, swimming, for example, I know is generally set on trials. Like, I don't know how it is in Canada, but we will have yeah. trials in Australia where the one meet is, this is it. This is the trials. If you want to swim for Australia at the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games, you have to finish in the top two of these events. Whereas I know athletics, generally, it's um, you've got to reach a certain qualification time by a certain yeah. day. So, like, I would assume that he would still have, like, as you said, I mean, I'm looking here. I, I, I was going to talk about the 100 metres at the Seoul Olympics because I guess that's one of the most famous races in the Olympics history. Yeah. Um, but Oh, I never connected. What What would this world have been like yeah. if Derice was there instead? <laughs> he would have stopped Ben Johnson. He would have said, no, Ben, don't do it. <laughs> don't do drugs, Ben. <laughs> that would have been a different movie. Derice Bannock. Kiss this egg. Put the steroids down. Put the needle down. Pick up the egg. <laughs> just just listen to me, all right? You know, Canada failed at their own host Olympics earlier this year. It's time to redeem Canada. <laughs> you didn't win a gold in Calgary. You're going to win a gold in Seoul. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I would assume that he would have a, a plenty of other opportunities, but it's a <laughs> Disney movie, all right? Um, I just wanted to say, uh, the one article I was just reading a second ago saying that Jamaica had no solo runners in the 100 metres, that's obviously wrong. Because I'm now looking at the final of the 100 metres at the Seoul Olympics, where Jamaica's Ray Stewart uh, finished in seventh, which was technically would have been eighth, but I guess Ben Johnson was disqualified. He pulled a hamstring at the 40 metre mark and finished with the time of 12 minutes, uh, 12 minutes, no, 12 seconds and 26. <laughs> he did finish just behind the other Canadian in that final, Desire Williams. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you know him. 
Um, of course, yes, if people are unaware of their Olympic history, obviously Ben Johnson uh, infamously won that race, world record, but was obviously stripped of his gold, uh, and Carl Lewis took it instead. Uh, And uh, a story most people don't realize is within a year or so after that was over, I believe the top six or seven runners all were, uh, it was revealed all had tested positive for, you know, some type of substance at some point around those games. So well, hopefully if, not it was the top, if it was the top six, then uh, Ray Stewart from Jamaica won the gold. <laughs> he should be the gold medalist. Yeah. There you go, Doris Bannock, gold medalist. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, that's, um, that's crazy. And also the, the four by 100, the one that Jamaica finished fourth, can we just point out the Soviet Union won the gold in that race? I didn't know they could sprint. Um, great, great, just running away from um, <laughs> their country. Uh, great Britain got silver and France got bronze. France don't know how to... Oh, actually, no, tell a lie. French, French are good at running away, so that's probably uh, valid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they should win more medals in sprinting, let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> anyway... Uh- <laughs> There's only one other thing I picked up on during this first section of the movie that, that maybe doesn't hold up as well. You know, his dream was to be a runner. He trained his whole life to be a runner. His dad was a runner. And when he doesn't get in, he suddenly is like, wait, I could get in on a technicality in a sport I've never heard of? Sign me up. Is he that much of a hero when he's really just in this for the glory of winning any medal, regardless of what it is? Like, for all for all he cares, he could be competing in the woman's synchronized swimming and win a gold medal. <laughs> and he's like, I got my gold medal. Doesn't matter how I got it. Cool synchro. Um, <laughs> the Cool Running's expanded universe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're all connected. <laughs> um, I've never really seen it that way. I've just kind of seen it like he's just desperate to be an Olympian. I mean, it's kind of like with Junior, like, you know, and you're all of them, except for Sunk. He's kind of the only one who just kind of comes along with it, but... All three of the athletes, I guess, are just desperate to be an Olympian. And to me, I would be like Doris here, because I'd be like, well, fuck, I've missed out in the Olympics, but I can go to the Olympics in a different sport in three months. Sign me up. But I think with the other ones, it's different. With, you know, Junior, he wants to do his own thing. With Yule, he wants to just leave the island. Sanka, he just wants, like, something that's fun. With Doris, he really is the only one that says, this is about my competition. This is about, you know, my glory. And, and that's why there's the whole thing about... That, uh, you know, John Candy has to say to him later on, if you can't be enough without a gold medal, you'll never be enough with one. Mm. Like, he's he's re- really just, when you watch this movie, he really is just power hungry and chasing the glory of a gold medal. So Leon is the evil person in this movie. It's not you, uh, no, sorry, Joseph Gruel. It's, uh, it's yeah. Leon. <laughs> All those racist Eastern Europeans. Uh, <laughs> it's actually Leon, Doris. Um, I do like the kind of this fun uh, little stuff here between Doris and Sanka when he's like, that's a bobsled. Oh, so a bobsled is a pushcart with no wheels. Um, then, Ice. Uh, I, this is why Sanka just, he just has all the funny stuff in the movie. But like, he's like, all right, let me read here. Oh, yes, push down off the ice. Ice. You mean igloos and an Eskimos and an ice? <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of a winter sport, you know. <laughs> you know what also is crazy? I mean, we kind of lose perspective, you know, now because maybe it takes longer for people to get really get established. Dougie Doug was like 22 or 23 years old doing this movie. I mean, I can't think of any 22 or 23-year-old actor out there that would really be this good with their comic timing, would have this much charisma in their first big movie. Yeah, I mean, he we, that is a good thing to mention, that he's just so good with his comedic... I mean, he's hilarious. It's not one of these, like, forced ones. Like, he legitimately yeah. is funny. 
Um, and it's just so natural. And it's kind of, you know, we joke about the fact that he did, what, Operation Dumbo Drop. And, like, uh, I'm looking here, after Operation Dumbo Drop, he did the esteemed That Darn Cat. Um, <laughs> you don't have to see it like that. I mean, have you seen the esteemed That Darn Cat? Uh, <laughs> I lo- I'm, just, I'm looking at the poster here. It's a picture of a cat wearing sunglasses. Says Walt Disney Pictures, that darn cat starring Christina Ricci and Dougie Doug. Uh- <laughs> I, I mean, as, as much as we're having fun with some of these, you know, not so memorable movies, I do remember the TV show Cosby, which is like Bill Cosby's second show that he was on, and I remember recognizing it's like, oh, it's Sanka, and I actually think it probably isn't just me, but I would say he he probably upstaged Bill Cosby on that show, and it says a lot that you know you could hold your own. For almost a hundred episodes, opposite Bill Cosby. Can I just say there, there was a time when saying holding your own against Bill Cosby was a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> now you know, people say that in a different context. <laughs> I was I was gonna go into saying you know nobody doesn't like Bill Cosby, but then I thought to myself, wait a second, <laughs> he outperformed Bill Cosby. Like right? <laughs> he <Yeah>. only <laughs> had three hundred women against him. Dougie Doug, five hundred women. No, everything no. Dougie Doug learned about Hollywood and in life. He learned from Bill Cosby. Look, I, 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 I stood here and took Kevin Spacey being disregarded by Hollywood. If it happens to Dougie Doug, I'm out. I'm done. Yeah, like, exactly. If I hear accusations <laughs> against Dougie Doug, I'm done. I'm quit life. Nah, I will not this, take this that. This is a witch hunt now, okay? Yes. Leave Dougie Doug alone. <laughs> I just want to point out there's no more 90s movie than a poster saying starring Christina Ricci and Dougie Doug. <laughs> 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 I really want to cover that darn cat. <laughs> if Dougie Doug can come on the show, we will cover that darn cat. There is like there are movies. Like I always say Snakes on a Plane is amazing just because you know what you're in for. There's snakes yeah. on a plane. Like you don't need to know anything more about that. It's just, that sells itself. Like this movie sells itself. It's a cat that's a darn cat. <laughs> It's not that good cat, that cute cat, it's that darn cat. <laughs> of course, if it was an Australian movie, it would be called That Fucking Cat. Uh, but it's a Disney And movie. it's a remake! <laughs> what? It's a remake? <laughs> Why was it a remake? It's a remake of uh, 1965, starring Hayley Mills from The Parent Trap, oh my and Ronnie McDowell from Planet Wow. Um, we, we need to do them back-to-back. Who did it better? Yes. <laughs> Hayley Mills or Dougie Doug? <laughs> we do swear we love Dougie Doug. This is all in good fun. <laughs> can, I just, can, I just, can I just read out the synopsis of the 1965 <laughs> version of that darn cat? After a kidnapped bank teller uses a neighbor's wandering cat to send an SOS, the FBI assigns a catalytic agent to the case. <laughs> And the, the, the subtitle on the poster, it takes a Siamese secret agent to unravel the perfect crime. Oh, God. Wait a second. But the poster for the 1997 remake starring Christina Ricci and Dougie Doug, <laughs> that darn cat, this FBI agent is putting his life on the line. Fortunately, he's got nine. Oh, God. Oh, the Dougie Doug was set for Hollywood stardom until that darn cat ruined his career. 
It's actually got a 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb. Wow. That's the original, not the remake. Oh, okay, of course, the original. <laughs> the remake has a 4.6. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Oh, uh, I can't wait to cover it. <laughs> Dougie Doug, um, <laughs> I do like I do like this backwards and forth though when he's like you know I see ya, uh, and then you know um, so <laughs> looking at that darn cat. I want that poster on my wall. <laughs> um, it's like the country bears all over again. Uh, if you haven't listened to our MC Gainey interview, I don't know if that's out yet. I don't think it is. But coming to the MC Gainey interview, we talk about the country bears. <laughs> but um, I like it when he's uh, like, you can have your picture on a Wheaties box. <laughs> Just, oh, God. But, you know, he, he talks him into it. And then they drive off to the bar where uh, Irv is. And I like that little car conversation. Let me talk about the bale sled team. Bob sled. Whoever. <laughs> when it comes to the Wheaties box, I'm going to be on it by myself. No man. I'm going to be on it too. Um, just, it's just funny. Um, so they go to this bar. They meet Irv. He's a bookie. Uh, the Jamaican, the, the what do you call it, Olympic Committee guy, I reckon he's probably shot or dead by now. But uh, nope, here he is. And uh, Tamale is <laughs> running. Down the stretch they come. Tamale. <laughs> yes, Tamale. Yes. Come on, Tamale. No, Tamale. Bad Tamale. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I just, my favorite bit of the whole thing is when uh, John Candy's just there. He's like, no. And it's like, yes. Don't worry, a fool would put their money on Tamale. <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> the pool cue to the radio <laughs> and he grabs the he grabs the pool cue smashes it up and again no one in this bar blinks like oh there's just Irv <laughs> just bashing yeah. another radio and I love the way he's just like um you know alright that's Tamale done next race um yeah. I've always enjoyed just this this stuff here when Sunker and uh and Teresa trying to get talking to Irv, you know, and he's like, "Oh, I want you to teach me how to be a boss." And he goes to get the pool cue again, and just this kind of little <laughs> mini, this little montage when he's like, "You what?" Through the window, and he's bashing the uh, the window down. <laughs> you hear them fall down. Ow! And then like John Candy just smiles. Oh, and then when they're in the toilet cubicle waiting for him, and poor old Irv's <laughs> about to have a heart attack. Greetings, sled god. Um, but I think my favourite bit is when he comes out of the toilet and he grabs uh, Doris by the throat and he's like, go away. And Sucker's just like, okay, see ya. Nice to meet you. <laughs> just runs away. I love Sanko. He's so funny. Um, we obviously get this nice little scene, though, as Doris kind of talks him up, you know, explains who he is, says, hey, you wanted to do this, you know, why not now? Apparently, Irv's just got a, what, a Grenoble poster up no it was a it was an old photo poster of a winter olympics um yeah it was uh lake placid lake placid yeah gr- talk about grenoble later uh but i, I do kind of like Doris here you know when uh Irv's just tell him to go away and he's like oh i'll come back tomorrow and the next day and the next day like you know he's he's obviously very passionate about this and we find out the olympics are in three months Irv just wants nothing to do with it but, um, yeah, he talks him into it, shows him the photo. Uh, of course, Irv's like, oh, would you look at me then? Oh, would you look at me now? Kind of say they do look, they look nothing like each other. Uh, no. <laughs> not I mean, even close. In a way, you could say, yeah, maybe 30 years ago. But 
when they say like, oh yeah, this was like 16 years ago yeah. when this happened. No, not really. Yeah. Um, then you find out that uh, he's actually referring to the black man in the photo was meant to be him as a young person. Um, <laughs> bad joke. Uh, but I like the way Herb says, oh, he could run the 100 in 10 flat. Well, I run it in 9-9. Nine, nine. Nine, nine. <laughs> like, again, 80s, I guess, what, running under 10 was only kind of a thing then. Now, what's he say? What's but- the world record? Like 9.4 or something like that now? Well, what did uh, Ben Johnson run it at in Seoul 9. and Carl Lewis? Uh, Carl Lewis 9.92 was a recognized world record. I just had that up, and I think Ben Johnson ran it in 9.88, I believe. So, Darice would have been the gold medalist when Ben Johnson was stripped of his. Pretty much. There Pretty we much. go. There you go, Darice. Good on you. Um, so, yeah, they've got, they're ready to go. Um... Uh, where are we? Oh, I like the line. Look at me, Mr. Blitzer. I'm your chance. And he sighs. And then we kind of get this. This is a scene from the... They always show this in the trailer, I remember. Um, they've got this big meeting, uh, getting you know people excited to go to the Olympics. Everyone in Jamaica wants to go to the Olympics here. Um, and the only footage of bobsleds that they've got is like 60 years old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, with like the old like... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Uh, you know, nobody could have just recorded, like, the 84 Sarajevo Olympics or anything like that. Like, no, no. <laughs> uh, but I do like the line there. A bobsled is a simple thing. Yes, or the toilet! That is something John Kenny responds to. That's pretty good. Yeah, yes. good joke. <laughs> Thank you very much. But I also love the fact that, has, has Irv watched this footage beforehand? Because <laughs> he's just like, oh, yep, you know, you got to get to the bottom of that. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, oh, I forgot about this. <laughs> like, remember, your bones don't break in a bobsled. Oh, no. They shatter. They shatter. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can see these people flying everywhere. And it ends with, bobsled, uh, race kills bobsledder. <laughs> it's like, oh, who wants in? <laughs> Um, it's just funny. The room's completely empty. Uh, so it's just poor old Doris. It's poor old Sanka. Uh, in, wo- in walks Yule. Uh, <laughs> we get the great Sanka line. Look, Baldy's here. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. <laughs> and then we, we, we get this first, don't touch me. No problem. Um, and then... <laughs> Bad, bad. Good Count Dracula of you. Thomas no problem. <laughs> I will suck your blood instead. <laughs> Thomas Buck is back. <laughs> I'm preparing. <laughs> I'm preparing for our off the podium coverage. Uh, so, so Yule's there. There's three of them, but of course, uh, there's a problem. There's no such thing as a three man team. Now, again, Colin, slight nitpick here. You know bobsled. I know bobsled. There yeah. is, of course, two man bobsled. So, like, I really Weird. never get the uh, the problem here that when they've just got Sunker and Doris. <laughs> well, and in the real story, they competed in both the four and two, and they did. They actually did finish the two man bobsled. They did. not last. Yes, and and actually, the 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 added story to that is that they actually weren't the only Caribbean nation to compete in the games. The Netherlands Antilles. Uh, Colin competed in the two-man event at Calgary in 1988. Uh, so where was the Cool Runnings Netherlands Antilles version? Uh, I'm still waiting for that to come back. But, uh, yeah, you're right. And and Devin Harris did talk about that in the interview, that um, he wasn't part of the, the two-man, but two of the four-man were in the two-man. So I guess... But he it, did 92, though. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, he And I still think he did 98 from memory as well. Uh, so, yeah, so, and the the thing is too, I, I, 
I don't think Jamaica have had a four-man bobsled team at the Olympics since 92 or 94. I believe that their most recent, all their bobsleds recently have been the two-man. And I think in Pyeongchang, they've only got a two-woman team going. They don't have any yeah. of the men going, yeah. so... Um, I think it's the first time they've had women competing in bobsled. There. Yeah, you know, I think I think you're right there. So um, that's always kind of irked me a little bit. But again, it's, if you know the sport, there's a few other things coming in the Olympics that are just not true when it comes to like mm-hmm. three days, three runs, things like that. So a bit of creative licensing here. But uh, Junior shows up. He's the fourth. Um, Yule wants to kill him. Uh, <laughs> I kill you. I kill you. Uh, and I just always like the line here. With uh, Senga, when he's what is uh, you'll say, it's like, How about I kick your butt right now? And he's just like, How about I draw a line down the middle of your head so it looks like a butt? <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I love Junior's reaction the way he like laughs, and then the second time, he like, he's just that awkward guy who's just trying to fit in. He's like, ah, Oh, okay, no, not the time to laugh. <laughs> But um, and also the 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 bit when he's like, "What's your name, Yul Brenner?" He's okay. He's that actor, right? I'm like, I know who Yul Brenner is. Yeah. Was he in uh, like, the King and I like and stuff like that? King and I, Ten Commandments. Yeah, I I, just, I love John Candy the way he's like Yul Brenner. <laughs> and so yeah. It's just like I don't know <laughs> because Yul Brenner was famously bald too. Like he actually does look like Yul Brenner. That'd be interesting actually to get get the writers of this movie on the show. Be like, what, what was your point of this joke? Like, was it just deliberately yeah. done for this? Like, were you watching The King and I or something at the time? Let's call him Yul Brenner. Uh, <laughs> why not? Um, and Junior Bevel, it always sounds like some sort of kitchen appliance to me. Like, um, <laughs> isn't there a brand like Breville or something like that? Um, I don't know. He's like a hand blender. I wouldn't blender. have thought of that, but it does sound like that now that you say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyways, they're like, oh, uh, let's introduce you to the first ever Jamaican bobsled team. Um, I do like that line, though, when... Um, you know, Yule's all like, oh, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to be in the same team as that. And it's like, fine, stay here on the island. We're going to Canada. Uh, it's like, yeah, you stand up to that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then we kind of see this makeshift bobsled that Irv makes. And, um, you know, we get the second middleman's Yule, the first middleman's Junior. We get this great little moment with Sanka. I know, I know, I'm the driver. And it's like, nope, you're the brake man. No, 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 I'm the driver. <laughs> I'm the driver. <laughs> I must drive. <laughs> I just love, you know, he tried to stand up for himself. I am the pushcart champion. Do you know where I'm coming from? It's like, yes, I do. Now listen to where I'm coming from. I'm coming from world records. I'm coming from two comments. This is his reply. That's a hell of a place to be coming from. It's like, I say we make Reese the driver. Yeah, it's like, he he stays up late. We're all out drinking beer. He's studying turns. He's the one doing this. What do you say about that? I say we make Reese the driver. So do I, Sanka. <laughs> so do I. And then when he gets in the back, ooh, the back is nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it's so funny. Um, we get a nice little junior scene here. We This is kind of the first time we see that Junior's, like, super rich. He's a bit of a daddy's boy. Um, he's polishing his car, talking to Fred Bassett, whoever that dog is. Um, and then his dad shows up. You know, he's ready to stand up and say, Dad, I'm going to be a bobsledder. Uh, but his dad showed up. He's got him a job at Webster, Webster, and Cohen in Miami. Yeah. Uh, I, lo- I love that line from Junior when he says, like, oh, Webster, Webster, and Cohen. Uh, and Cohen. Oh. <laughs> oh, it was just Webster and Webster, no, but and Cohen. Like, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to Miami. Um, 
So obviously, you know, this is kind of... We're finding out that his dad is not a fan of him wanting to be an Olympian. I've went through this track nonsense long enough. Um, and then he's going to send him off to Miami. He's going to go tell his mother, Tallulah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which we learn later on is his name. $2 um, hooker. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a $2 hooker. Where did you come up with that name? That's my mother's name. Tallulah's nice. Yes, Tallulah's nice. Yeah. Um, but I, I like Junior's little lie there when he's like, oh, I guess we sure told him. Uh, then we get a nice little montage here of them training. Uh, the, I always like the random moment there when, like, Irvy's, like, got them all lined up and they're all in their little helmets. Like, they're, what, football helmets. And they're all kind of serious looking. You just look at Junior. He's got this big smile on his face. He's ready to go. Um... They're learning about the push starts and uh, what do they need to do in under six seconds, basically. Um, if, if they do it any longer, they're better off being a barbershop quartet. They're pushing the Volkswagen. All these little kids are watching them. We've got that song, oh, on this mountain top of wall. Um, Sunk is in an ice cream truck, breaking his hair off. Um, and then they uh, eventually crash into a cop car. Uh, now, I love how so many of these guys that are in this team hadn't heard of a bobsled before, but apparently everyone else in Jamaica knows what a bobsled is, because as soon as they tell the cops where the Jamaican bobsled team, they crack up laughing. This is going to be an ongoing thing in a few <laughs> moments. Um, I wasn't born yesterday. Um, and then I love John Candy showing up, just shoving the cops out of the way. Get out of the way! Get out of the way! <laughs> it's like, 5'9", five, 5'9", nine, five, nine, you did it! <laughs> Get us back to the top of the hill, you slackers! <laughs> <laughs> I might cap it there because I think we can kind of lump in this uh, fundraising stuff just before we go. But uh, again, some fun stuff going on here uh, at this point in the movie. Uh, I mean, the first thing I want to talk about, and it's not even at his dramatic moment yet, but even that introduction to John Candy, like it's it's probably one of the funniest parts of the movie. It's like it's like no, no bad horse, right? But. <laughs> That whole scene, even when he's grabbing the pool cue and they ask about it, like you instantly get how bitter he is about the situation. I think it's probably the best example I could think of in any movie of John Candy's real acting ability. Because although it's funny, you also get that it's kind of sad and you know uh, dark and that, that he's this really disgraced character. And in all the scenes, it's not like he's playing it directly for laughs. He's also playing it so you really understand it. I think it's the, the best dramatic performance John Candy's ever given. And there's going to be better scenes coming up. But it just always strikes me in that opening scene how serious this is for John Candy. Because I'm struggling to think, I mean, if we go through his filmography, I'm sure we could maybe come up with at least one other one. But, like, has John Candy ever been in anything that was even remotely dramatic before this? I or even something that could be taken that. seriously? Yeah, I, I wouldn't know. You have no idea who John Candy is. Do yeah, I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I mean, he's that guy, right, who's in Canadian Baker. Look, I mean, again, this this was the he's first boss. time I'd ever seen him. And, like, I always think he's great in this movie because, like, I guess Canadian Bacon, the other one I'd know him best from, is it's a lot more co- comedy-based. Um, yeah. But, I mean, he there are some great scenes. And even just re-watching this and taking notes, like, just noting, actually, how good he is kind of in those really dramatic, serious scenes. And the thing with this movie, too, is that this was originally, you know, written as a drama. Like, they kind of only added comedy elements to it later. And I think kind of it's just it's got a great balance between the two. Like, there's some really funny moments in this film, but there's also some really dramatic moments in this film, too. And he's holding the screen with these four inexperienced young actors who are in their early to mid-20s, and none of them had really ever done anything before. And John Candy kind of has to be the veteran in this one. And he's not even himself really that well known as an actor. I mean, I 
he really deserves a lot of credit for what he's able to do in this, as are all four guys. You know, it doesn't matter what combination of them you have on screen. Uh, obviously, these early scenes, it's all about uh, Doris and Sanka together. But when you get the little moments, like when Junior just wanders, casually wanders, and so what time is this meeting at, guys? And he looks around, you just get this uncomfortable look like, the, the few scenes you have between Yule and Junior, like, it, it's hilarious because there is real tension there. I mean, all four of these guys, this must have been a situation where they had these guys, you know, hanging out together for, you know, weeks before they started filming. Because there's no way you could get this type of chemistry together with such inexperienced actors, uh, especially when John Candy's not even always in the room with them. It's, it's, it's really great to watch them, uh, especially in that scene where they all kind of come together and they form this team for the first time. Um, I love the, the, the montage, as you said, it is ridiculous. Like in no world are they actually going to be showing this, <laughs> but it's, it's still fun to watch it here. Uh, and Sanka steals, not just every scene he's in this movie, like he steals every minute he speaks. Uh, it's, it's just ridiculous. I don't think there's one thing he says in this movie that doesn't have me cracking up. Uh, and even the little things, like you said, like the Webster, Webster and Cohen thing, <laughs> they did such a good job in these early parts of the movie here, establishing all these characters that this isn't one of these movies where it's like, this is their only shot at life. I mean, Junior has a shot at life, but he just doesn't want the life that he's headed towards. You know, Sanka's happy, but he just wants to please everybody. Uh, you know, Yule, you really get like, there's a dark side to Yule where it's like, this is his only shot. But they all have completely different motivations and they sell it all so well. And we're probably only about 20, 25 minutes into the movie at this point. Which, I mean, it's kind of interesting, like the parallels when we get to Eddie the Eagle, which I like, is that, yeah, you're right, each of them has all those elements you're mentioning. And kind of when we get to Eddie the Eagle, it's kind of portrayed that this guy is just so competitive, he's just always wanted to go to the Olympics. So he will try every sport that he can do to get to the Olympics because he's just that type of competitor. But he's just got no athletic ability. So that's kind of just the story of that and kind of how that's portrayed early on. Um, whereas this has kind of got just all those different elements to it. And the one thing, like, which kind of the parallels, like John Candy in this is, you know, great, fantastic. And then obviously that sort of character is played by Hugh Jackman in Eddie the Eagle. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just slight little parallels, which we'll talk more about that. But I th- also think, too, um, particularly as we get into this sort of montage here of you know, the sponsorship and them trying to get funding to go off to the games is that should it's it's important to note in terms of the real-life story of this that none of this... They never had any hurdles getting to the games. They were sponsored. Yeah. They were... Um, Jamaica got behind them. They basically got money. The Olympic Committee supported them. They had sponsors, you know, and everything was kind of set. So, I mean... It obviously makes for a better story, them struggling to go, because obviously this is a country that you would not expect to go to a Winter Olympics, so you can understand this story on paper. Mm. Uh, and obviously later on when we get to the scenes of them at the Olympics and they're just not being respected, nobody wanted them there. And again, completely not true. Everyone respected them when they got to the Games. They actually got given sleds to compete with. So it was kind of a yeah. case of, you know, the complete opposite of what you're getting. But for the story of this movie, it obviously is, makes it a lot better for what will happen at the end. Um but, I mean, really, I think we can just lump all this section here just before we obviously get to the games. Because, I mean, really, all this is now is them trying to get that money. So, Irv heads to the Olympic Committee guy. I'm just going to call him Jamaican Santa because I can't remember his name. Um, <laughs> so, uh, he asked for $20,000. Uh, and, I mean, again, this is one guy working for the Jamaican <laughs> Olympic Committee. They sent athletes to boxing, cycling, and running. All three sports where the only things you need equipment-wise is a bike and boxing gloves. Uh, so, I kind of think they don't have a whole lot of money here, Irv. 
Um, $20,000, not going to happen. Um, but at the same time, though, uh, Jamaican Santa Claus here, like, you know, we kind of get our first little inkling here that Irv isn't who he says he is, because, you know, you embarrassed your own country. I'm not going to let you embarrass ours. Um, so there's a little bit more to Irv than we just don't know about at this point. Uh, gets denied. He walks out of the office. No go, kid. It's all right. We'll get the money. Do the words give up mean anything to you? Not a thing. Uh, <laughs> I like that moment. I like Doris there. Um, so the montage here, we, for the first time, we hear the famous song. Most people, when you talk about cool runnings, they'll start singing. No, people say, you know, you can't believe Jamaica. We have a bob. Yep. Um, so Sunker's trying to sing his way to the games. Uh, Doris, Dick Doris, uh, decides to have a kissing booth. <laughs> Uh, and he somehow thinks he's going to get away with this. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Yule has his arm wrestling, which, can we just point out, you see the sign, it says, like, what, a dollar to arm wrestle Yule. At the end, when yeah. we get to find out how much they made, he only makes $7. Does that, because he has to give all the money back to the woman who beats him? Like, I don't understand how that works. Um, and Junior's not doing anything at this point, so he's obviously going to sell his car, but, uh, I, obviously, you know, the singing, I'll pay you a dollar to shut up! Uh, then the, the kissing booth, of course, you know, Doris gets caught, uh, by Joy, and then, uh, Sunky's like, hey, it's my turn, he's going to kiss a little old granny. Um, <laughs> which is always funny. Um... And so then we kind of, we're back to the, the bar. We're finding out how they all went. Uh, so yeah, Yule's made $7. Uh, Doris has made a hundred and something. I love how like Joy just passes it off. You've got a hundred and whatever dollars from me and Doris. Thank you. Like what? Did Joy all of a sudden join the kissing booth? Like what happened here? Um, yeah, she probably have her line up there. She's like, all right, I guess I got permission to do this now. Yep, exactly. I don't think hers was kissing though. Um, and. <laughs> Is that inappropriate? Uh, so, <laughs> they're like, uh, Sanka, how did your singing on the street go? How did it go? It went like this. Some people say, <laughs> Sanka, Sanka, how much? I made a dollar and 17 cents. Whatever it is. Uh, you consider the one guy gave me a dollar. That means like 17 cents was the rest of his day. Yes. Um, I like, I just love random Yule there when he's got his coconut. He's just like angrily holding a coconut. Junior walks in, he dumps all this money on the table, he sold his car. Uh, they're all happy, they're getting ready to go. And Doris's like, no man, we can't take this. And it's like, oh look, if I hadn't tripped you, we'd all be going. So, um, sweet little moment. I do like Yule here. Then remember, this doesn't mean that they like you. Uh, so, you know, nice little scene there, but, uh, obviously they start singing and they're off to Canada and, uh, yeah, they're on the plane. I mean, I, I kind of will cap it there just because I feel that we start the Canada stuff separately. Uh, but it's, it's a fun little montage. I mean, this, this movie is filled with lots of montages, the more you analyze it, but it, it works. It is the most 1993 movie that I've ever seen <laughs> because it is half montages to music. Uh, but the montages work in this movie. I mean, there are a lot of other movies where it just becomes redundant, but they all make sense here because they're all different. And there's fun things that happen on screen in every single one. You mentioned all the good ones there. Uh, the one thing I could add here is that uh, Jamaican chant, and this is where uh, the name really struck me. I'm like, I should look up who this guy is because I'm watching the end credits and they mentioned like this Jamaican bobsledding chant and it says written by Malik Yoba. And that's when I took a look at the name. I'm like, Malik Yoba, which one was he? I thought that, you know, this would have been, you know, um, like something that Dougie Doug would have written. But 
the guy who played Yul Brenner wrote the Jamaican bobsledding chant for them. There you go. That's even so, more reason to get him on the show. Yeah, exactly. Let's get let's get let's do a reunion. Can we have the first ever Cool Runnings reunion here on the Oz oh, Network? We would we would break the internet with that. Come on. <laughs> we would. Yeah, I mean, what are we at? Twenty five years from the movie, thirty years from the real story. Uh, then let's do a reunion of the other ones too. Yes. Um, and then let's get the cast of Dirty Dancing on too while we're no, at it. <laughs> no. Let's, let's let's not stop there. I mean, one of them Please. dead, but um, <laughs> rip Patrick Swayze. I, I want to do the reunion of that darn cat. I think that would. Uh, yeah. break me. <laughs> I mean, Christina Ricci doesn't do much, does she? <laughs> we will have a reunion of Cool Runnings or that darn cat. Vote that now. Is our promise to you. <laughs> Can I just, I just quickly add also to? I should have really mentioned that within all of this. Obviously, we've got Doris going in asking for sponsors, and everyone's just laughing in his face. And guys, the yeah. ones that I really love in this are the two at the end who are legitimately pointing at Doris, like, <laughs> like deep people at these. What is that, like Jamaican, I don't know, Chrysler or something? I don't know. What sponsors do they have? These dicks <laughs> laughing and literally pointing at him. Well,. I mean, we'll talk about it a bit now because we're going to have so much other Olympic stuff to talk about later on. But is the idea of using runners, you know, to push a bobsled that crazy now? I mean, uh, I can think uh, already about the upcoming Olympics. You know, our big, uh, as far as a two-woman bobsled that we have, Kaylee Humphreys, who's been around forever, you know, she kind of has alternating partners at each Olympics. And this upcoming Olympics, she's going to be the bobsled with, what is probably Canada's number one female runner, Felicia George. She just sort of decided, you know, I'm good at running. I'm not good enough to win a medal in running. You know, she's like a top six or seven each time they have an Olympics or a world championship. But she's like, hey, if I did this in bobsled, I mean, I could win a medal. And, I mean, Canada's doing that. It's not crazy for any Canadian to be able to run on ice. But still, just the whole idea about a runner pushing a bobsled, I would think that's probably why in real life, People got behind. It. I mean, I have to. It's been, you know, what two years since we did the interview with um, with Devin Harris. But I don't think it would be that tough of a sell to say, listen, this is something that would really work. Because, I mean, you you obviously do get snow and ice and everything like that. But it's not like here in Canada. I mean, there probably are places even in Australia where you can't even fathom what would running on ice be like. Well, you know? Yeah. Would and you we, be laughing at it, or would it just be? I just don't get it. I, 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 I wouldn't be laughing. I mean, we had uh, one of our most famous runners, sort of of the two thousands, Jana Pittman, who was a four hundred meter um, uh, hurdle champion, world champion, and she kind of was favourite to win gold in Athens, but she she tore a ligament, I think, in her knee like a week before the game, so she ended up finishing fifth. But uh, anyway, she eventually kind of retired from running, but she kind of came out of retirement. She was a bobsledder in Sochi, and she was our very first Australian female athlete to be in both the summer and winter games, and that was purely based on that she was obviously a very good runner. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Australia kind of can be almost lumped into a Jamaica category of we're a country that really shouldn't be winning medals or going to the Winter Olympics, but we have a history of it. We've won gold now. We've we've done all right uh, in, in Winter Olympics compared to, you know, Jamaica. Ha-ha, in your face, Jamaica. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because, like, as we kind of just said before, I mean, the Jamaican Bobsled team had sponsors. They weren't laughed at. They were, like, well-supported in real life. So, I mean, again, I guess it's a Disney movie. The kids watching this are going, oh, ha-ha, how dumb, you know, four Jamaicans want to go to the Olympics. Ah. Well, it's also, I mean, I kind of find it now as an adult a bit of a stretch watching this to think that people wouldn't take this seriously because 
yeah, they're running on ice for 5.5 seconds. Yeah. Now, after that, they're sitting. And, and it, you, I, I, have, I would have a hard time. If somebody really asked me, I would have a hard time defending why bobsledding deserves to be a sport up there with speed skating and hockey and, you know, a downhill skiing or moguls or anything else like that. I know all our bobsledders yeah, listening. Uh. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and again, I love the bobsled. So but if you, look at, if you look at, like, you know, even the 100 meter, you know, that's 10 seconds. You're running for half of that. And it's four of you running, pushing a sled, and then you go for another minute, minute and a half, sitting there steering. And the other guys are just sort of leaning back and forth. So <laughs> I'm not even downplaying like the athleticism of it, but if there is any sport in the Olympics that the climate you come from is irrelevant, it would be bobsledding. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a good point. And I think the interesting thing too is that um, isn't there only about like 15 or 20 of these sort of tracks in the world? Because, I mean, this isn't yeah. like an ice rink which you can just build in the suburbs. I mean, these bobsled tracks are huge pieces of architecture. And, of course, you know, they do the luge and the skeleton on them too. But it's legitimately, I think, cities who have hosted the Olympics that have these and maybe, what, like five others around the world. It's it's a very select sort of sport because, you know, you're never going to have the, the Winnipeg World Championships of bobsled unless you get the Olympics one day, basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and... You know, also from uh, all these athletes we interviewed on Off the Podium, most of them, you know, they'll train part of their year at home, but most of them are training in other countries because you can't. I mean, the Canadians, they they train in Australia during Mm -hmm. some types of the year, Mm -hmm. and Australians will train, you know, uh, in Canada or whatever. It's all over the place. I mean, even even just the idea that they sat there training this entire time in Jamaica, I mean, I would guess maybe the first time, yeah, but... To this day, I mean, these Jamaicans are just going wherever there's a track, just like every other bobsledding team in every other country. And speaking of travelling to other places to do things, they're all about to go to Canada because have we Yay! established that uh, the Winter Games in 1988 were in Canada, in Calgary? Um, maybe other people who listen to our other shows best know it as the city where Colin did a wee on the logo of... Uh, <laughs> The 1988 Winter Olympics. Um, I don't know if this just brings back fond memories of you urinating. Um, oh, yeah. I do like this whole sequence, though, of course, when, uh, you know, you got the plane taking off in good old tropical Jamaica, then it's all snowing in Calgary. Um, I love the bit, you know, when they're walking through the airport and they kind of go to walk outside and they just see the snow uh, and Sanka quickly puts all his, you know, clothes on in his back. <laughs> Sanka, what you smoking, man? I'm not smoking. I'm freezing. <laughs> um, just a, is that a subtle little joke at the fact that they're Jamaican and they're always got to be smoking? I, I don't know. Um, and I love that sign that it's like, what does it say? Like minus whatever in Calgary, minus 25 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, now this, did you not say that this was filmed at the Winnipeg airport? Did I make that up in my head? Ah, uh, it's tough to say because a couple of years ago I was researching like where all this was filmed and everything and I found that there were multiple scenes filmed here in Winnipeg. Um, the club scene was apparently filmed partly in Winnipeg and at the time it said that the airport scene was filmed in Winnipeg. Now if you look online they say everything was filmed in Calgary. Mm. Uh, I think it's I don't know about the airport. I was sort of looking at it, but the thing is, is the airport, I mean, you were there. Yeah. It looks completely different now. It went through like major renos in 2012. So we probably wouldn't know unless we ever got somebody like Dougie Doug on the show. So <laughs> Dougie Doug, you got to come on to confirm this for us. Put the cat down, put that darn cat down. 
and <laughs> find out about it. I mean, I, yeah. My my theory behind it was uh, not a theory. Again, I did read this was supposedly filmed at the Winnipeg airport. Um, my theory, though, was that one of two things. One, that they had to film here in Winnipeg for something else, like maybe the club. I don't know if this was something that was done in a reshoot. And they're like, well, if we're going there, let's just pick up a shot in Winnipeg instead of going all the way back to Calgary if they wanted this. The other thing is that I think it would bother any Canadian to watch that footage of them stepping out of the airport in Calgary and it's like minus 30 below. Uh, I'm sure that there are days where it reaches that temperature in Calgary. It definitely does here in Winnipeg. But Winter Olympics, I mean, you don't hold the Winter Olympics anywhere where it gets below minus 10, really. Mm. You can't. So it's kind of impossible that the temperature could have ever been that low. Otherwise, they probably would have lost the Olympic Games. Yeah, and I, I mean, that's obviously just a bit of, you know, like, oh, haha, look at these tropical people going to a really cold place. Like, isn't it hilarious? Um, I want yeah. to see the opposite. I want to see Canadians, like, getting out of the plane at, like, the Kingston Airport, and it's like, welcome to Kingston, Jamaica. Temperature, 45 <laughs> degrees. Uh- <laughs> well, I mean... When we went to the Bahamas on our honeymoon, um, it was very warm, like the weekend we were married here. Uh, it was late November, and it, there had been a massive snowfall the week before, like we're talking a couple of feet of snow, and it was all melted by our wedding day. Like it was just slush and puddles everywhere. But we still, not even packing as like winter gear when we arrived at the Winnipeg airport or Toronto. When we got off the plane, I mean, we all we had to do was walk across a bridge to our hotel, and our pit stains were massive. <laughs> so the culture shock definitely hit us there. And then, of course, when we got back to Winnipeg, it had frozen over. And before we'd even stepped, you know, uh, out of the airplane, I mean, they, they they have the tunnel that you go from like the airplane into the terminal, and just them opening the door into the tunnel, you could see your breath. So this is very Winnipeg. Another reason why I think maybe they filmed it in Winnipeg. I remember that about Malaysia. You just walk out the plane, and the humidity just kind of like hits you. It's like fuck, and you're just like, holy crap, why am I in this place? Uh, so hello to all our Malaysian listeners. Um, but I, I like the, they go to that shop and they quickly, you know, 90% off all this like clothing that they just kind of rug up and ready to go. I mean, why do they have 90% off? Like this is the Olympics. Shouldn't it be 90% up? Like, you know, like they should be upping their yeah. prices because of the Olympics. I mean, come on. Um, but this is this whole thing. I remember talking to my dad about this when I was younger because I, apparently like this, the, the winter Olympics were a lot easier to get into in the 80s and sort of pre, you know, we, we'll talk a little bit about this obviously when we do Eddie the Eagle because they in- introduced the Eddie the Eagle rule for a lot of sports post-1988. Um, but I think also, I don't know what your knowledge is on this. Like, can you legitimately walk up to a building, what, like a month before the Olympics? I'm like, hi, oh, I want to sign up for bobsled. Like, I kind of feel like there's a bit of truth, but also not as the ease of this would be. Otherwise, you and I would be Olympians right now. Yeah, I mean, we know that there has to be qualification and stuff like that. I mean, I think with most Olympics in the 80s, it wasn't as big of a deal, especially winter. I don't know if winter really became the massive deal it was until after Lillehammer, just because of media attention. Up until then, there was a reason why they held them in the same years as the summers, because there wasn't as much interest. But they do bring up later in the movie this stipulation, which makes a lot of sense, that if you don't have a national competition you know, how do you qualify for this and that an Olympic trial could be the qualification? It's possible. I just don't know the, the, the ease at which when they go up and they say, oh, we'd like to register for the bobsled, and the guy's just like, okay, name please, or country. Like as if every country had done this. So apparently nobody did any qualification races. There was no World Cup in 1987, 88, or anything like that because he's just on autopilot at this point. Yeah, and it's, this is where I think 
I remember asking my dad about this, and he kind of said that like it was a little bit. Not am- I mean, obviously, we know the Olympics are kind of built around amateur competition, but I, I feel as though there was a lot because I've read a lot of stories about sort of Australian athletes, you know, in like the fifties and sixties going to the Winter Games and how it was, you know, a lot easier to just kind of rock up and be like, "Hi, how you doing? I'm Ben. I'm here to ski today." And like, okay, welcome aboard. Um, so <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, it would be intriguing to see if this is the case because the way I always interpret this, like when he's in this building and he's like, "Oh, you know, where do I register for bobsled?" And we've got kind of weedy looking guy. Uh, you know, oh, what country? Jamaica. What country? Jamaica. Uh, it's kind of like, it's like they've pre-registered because you kind of see him, he types it in and he's like, oh, here you're, here you are. Oh. What do you know? Jamaican bobsled team. So it's kind of like they've obviously had to pre-register, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And maybe there is something to the fact that it wasn't as big of a deal because I know with Canada, I mean... I think our success in the Winter Olympics really did come, you know, later on, uh, like maybe uh, like Lillehammer and up. Maybe that was just because that's when I was old enough to watch it. But with the Summer Olympics, if we tune in every four years, they're t- telling stories about stuff that happened in the 80s, the 70s, the 60s even. And I'm struggling to think about anything, not just Canada, but any country outside of maybe the 1980 U.S. hockey team, because there was the movie based on that. Like, are there a lot of famous winter athletes pre, you know, Tanya Harding or in this case, pre uh, you know, Jamaican bobsled team? Uh, I mean, that, no, what's that? Bjorn Dahle, he was sort of late 80s, 90s, wasn't he? The Norwegian guy. Uh, no, I, I, I'm from Australia, Colin. Uh, we discovered the Winter Olympics <laughs> were a thing in 1994. Um, no, I can't think of any. <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay, That's... here we go. Confirmation. <laughs> I didn't know if you were Ben says to... it's true, so it must be true. Everyone, there were Winter Olympics before 1988, all right? Uh, <laughs> it says on Wikipedia. Um, I just actually noticed there is a bobsled World Cup that started in 1984, 1985. So it actually had only been going on for about three seasons um, before the 88 Games. So... Yeah, God, we were born in the wrong time, Colin. You and I could have been Winter Olympians if we were born like 40 years ago. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's bobsledding. All you got to do is run for, you know, uh, 12 feet and then jump in a sled. If the Netherlands, Lean a little. <laughs> if the Netherlands Antilles uh, got a team in this goddamn thing, then, you know, we could have easily <laughs> done that. Um, but I, I, I do like this sort of situation when he signs up and then what does he, you know, he knows the judge. Oh, I know Krychek. He's a good guy. Uh, the qualifying time, you know, obviously we hear that and that will change again. Uh, and for the first time we meet some American bobsledders, it is an Irv, because uh, it's obviously a case in bobsledding that the same people are the ones who run the sport after 20 years. Uh, so these three men who uh, must be in control of all of US bobsled in 1988 just happened to, of course, know John Candy. Um, I, I do like just kind of their first, like, interactions here. We obviously meet... Um, Kurt, uh, we've already gone over here, Raymond Barry, uh, we meet, was it Roger and Larry, um, played by somebody called Larry Gilman, um, so it's good that they keep their names and they can remember it. I do like this bit though, uh, is it Roger or Larry that he meets up in the restaurant? It's Larry, isn't it? No, Roger. I think it's Roger. Uh, Roger. We'll go with Roger. Um, I do like this, this interaction between them. It's like, you know that revolving restaurant thing? Yeah, maybe they're in half an hour. Half an hour? Yeah. <laughs> just the way, like, he reacts. <laughs> just, and, and then in the background, you hear, like, Kurt and uh, Larry going, Roger, come on! <laughs> like, don't talk yeah. to him! <laughs> um, Stop talking to the cheater, Roger! <laughs> 
because at this point we don't know. We're like, oh, what's going on here? Um, but so we then see them at the revolving restaurant. Now, this is the Calgary Tower. I've been up that, uh, but I didn't mm-hmm. actually go on the uh, the revolving restaurant. I wish I had of, and I could have played Cool Runnings. I could have like met someone and tried to buy a sled. <laughs> Can you just say your name is Roger if I give you twenty dollars? <laughs> yeah. Please, please, it's been my dream to role play Cool Runnings. Please. <laughs> Um, so he has this meeting, he wants to, you know, buy a sled, he's got five grand, he wants to buy something, and then, you know, Roger doesn't want to help out him out, uh, but, you know, uh, Irv sort of blackmails him, oh, when you wanted to get on the 68 Grenoble team, um, uh, and then obviously, you know, we kind of get the line from the trailer, it's like, do you really expect these Jamaicans to qualify? Like, I don't know if you actually remember the trailer, um, yeah. but... Yeah, and then what was what's the line? He says, like, oh, you know, that not only are they going to do this, but they're going to turn some heads doing it. You know, they run like lightning. I don't care how fast you are. Yeah, but can lightning run on ice? Um, just mm-hmm. a few subtle one-liners here. Uh, I, I like it, though. It's kind of a, you know, cool little meeting. I like seeing that Irv has a history that isn't involving cheating, which we'll get to. Um, I'll just lump this together here where we've got this kind of fun scene of our beloved four on the ice watching speed skating. No problem, man. And they all, like, fall over. And we get that classical music theme in the... I don't know. I don't know classical music. It's posh. It's above my smartness. Um, But I just love the fact that they're all, like, falling over. It's like, these special shoes aren't very effective. And they're just collapsing. And all of a sudden, it's like, all right, let's get off the ice before practice. What practice? That practice. And then comes the Soviet <laughs> Union team coming up. And the best bit is you pushing the one guy down. He's like, yeah. that's right. And then he falls over himself. And then just, good team this year. <laughs> I, I think I'll just cap it there. Unless you want me to include the quick slow-mo of the Swiss team. I guess we can. That's nothing much there. Um, slow mo oh, of the. Swiss. I was just. I had a lot of notes on the slow mo shot of the Swiss. Are you sure? <laughs> it's a kind of cool little scene though, with uh, Doris just watching. You know, these four buff Swiss men in tight red clothing, uh, pushing a bobsled down the ice in slow mo. I do like the music though. I do kind of like the the theme yeah. in the background. But yeah, uh, we'll, we'll cap it there. Uh, well, the first thing when they arrive at the airport that I thought was nice, and um, whether this would be Winnipeg or Calgary Airport, who knows? But uh, you see a bookstore in the background, and only Canadians are going to get this. Is Cole's Bookstore? Um, that's a place where they sell, you know, pages with words on them that oh, people read. Ben, right? Oh, that's what um, the book is. Some of them may still have pictures, but you have to get through <laughs> the words before you can enjoy the pictures. Like spot, spot the dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like Waldo. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Doris? <laughs> See Doris run. <laughs> run, Doris, run. But uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff in here. You know, having I think we've both been to Calgary. When they start showing all the shots later on of the city, I mean, mm. I really had to stop and just write a note. Like it's been years since I was in Calgary. I mean, I was, I think it was maybe the year after the Olympics, even when I was there. Uh, and I knew nothing really about the Olympics or anything else, but you know, just seeing the city itself, let alone the Olympic Park, it's like, is it the most incredible looking city in the entire world? I mean, you've been more places in Canada even than I have, but I can't think of any place in Canada I've been to that compares to Calgary. I, I agree, and it's it, the funny thing is, is uh, you would have heard Mallory on the show last week when we were talking about Itonia. She's not a fan. She doesn't think Calgary looks that special, and I completely disagree. I, I follow a bunch of 
Calgary sort of, you know, photography things on Instagram, just every time the, the pictures just look beautiful. I think it's a beautiful city. And, um, yeah, I agree. Uh, and I, I think I might have told the story on here before, maybe on Off the Podium, but I was so, um, looking back now, the day, I was only there for like two days. But the, the full day I was there, I was planning to go up to the Olympic Park, kind of, because I was going to a Flames game that night, and I had plenty of time, but I slept in, I slept through my alarm, and I just did not have time to go up to the Olympic Park, so I was kind of sad that I never ended up doing that, but um, mm. yeah, I, I, I love looking at the shots of the city in this in the movie, just because, you know, now that I've been there, it's kind of, you know, it, it always adds something when you've been to a place, when you're watching yeah. a movie that you do love. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to go back there mostly for the Olympic Park, you know, that was the... Uh, uh, the moguls that we missed a couple of weeks ago. Hey, <laughs> but I remember, uh, you know, an, another show, you've never seen the American version really, but The Amazing Race. I remember uh, one of the early seasons, the final episode, they were in Calgary and they, one of the tasks was to go down in a bobsled. And that's when it sort of occurred to me. It's like, this place is still there. <laughs> you can do this. And when I was researching going to watch the moguls, I realized that, you know, you can actually go down a bobsled on this very track, which is like, that was the two things I wanted to do. If I went to Calgary, I was going to watch the moguls just for the competition. And then I was going to go down the bobsled track in a bobsled, which would have been amazing. Uh, you know, I, I could have been uh, Doris here just crashing a sled and having my head <laughs> scrape against the ice. And I would have been sunk but, um, myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and not being able to fit the helmet on your yes, abnormally exactly. large head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the part where Senka is bundling up, I mean, it's it's really... Uh, it, it's kind of you know cheesy and uh, I don't know. It, it takes you out of the movie a little bit, but at the same time, it is a funny little gag, and it does remind you this is a Disney movie. Casper doesn't really pay attention to a lot of live action stuff, and for the most part, when I'm watching this, I mean, he he doesn't notice at all. Two parts in this movie that he stopped. I'll mention the other one when it comes up. But when Sanka came inside and started dressing and bundling up in fast motion, he was laughing hysterically. And then the second Sanka stepped outside. And the scene was over. He just went back to, you know, bashing things into the ground. But <laughs> that was apparently very funny to an 18-month-old. Um, and I, I kind of like, like, again, there's moments where it reminds you it's a Disney movie here. But just the fact they filmed it on location in Calgary, I mean, it adds a lot of authenticity to it as well. He's not happy about you just saying that he you bashed can... the stuff into the ground. He's crying yeah, now. Exactly. Dad, it's embarrassing me. <laughs> Oh, Casper, thanks a lot for ruining another episode. Get back in the cupboard. <laughs> get, get in the drawer, Casper. Be quiet. Jamie, put him back in his drawer. <laughs> um, the course, though, this is a, a bit of a problem I have, and this is one of the moments I think we're going to pick up on where, like, that's not really the way the Olympics works. When uh, they're talking about, like, the trial time, that it was uh, a minute two or something like that, and John Cannon's like, oh, it used to be a minute five. I don't know, maybe there is some standard for qualification, but I doubt it would be possible to have a standard qualification time around the world because every track is going to be different. Mm. It's going to have different turns. It's going to be, you know, the, the ice is going to be different. And that's one of the reasons why there is no such thing as a world record in uh, anything like the luge, skeleton, or bobsled because there's no way to actually, I mean, the only things you really can have a world record is where you have a set track like a pool or a, a running track and it's just the distance thing. But there is no record for these, so therefore there couldn't be like one standard qualification time decades later. Um, and who knows, maybe that's one of the reasons why they even say later on, it's like, oh, they dropped it to a minute. Because, yeah, it's a lot faster than we thought we were. But that's one moment where I always kind of, again, drag me out of the movie a little bit. But 
they do such a good job of building up this underdog story without cramming it down your throat. And I think that's where most other movies would fail because this would become so unrealistic where it's like everybody's out to get them. And there are moments that are going to come up where it's like, eh, there's no way it would have actually been like that. But you would get there would be like the double take Jamaica because the reason this movie existed was not because of their performance. And it wasn't even because of how it finished. The movie dramatizes the finish and the crash a lot, lot more than it really happened. It was just the idea that Jamaica is competing in a winter sport that really got people's attention. So there would be like that yeah, uh, double take that a guy would do. Um, I also really like you know the scenes where you, 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 they don't spell it out for you what this relationship is. Like you said, you know nothing about anything that's happened to John Candy up until now. And even when they introduce these characters, there's just the one guy who just walks right past him. And it's like, oh, well, I guess, you know, he hasn't forgiven me yet. And you still have no idea. We're still like, you know, half an hour away from even finding anything out about what happened with Irv's character. Uh, So there's a lot of subtlety that really helps the movie here. Uh, We're not editing that. (laughs) (laughs) The Oz Network, we're just at that point of our time now. It's just like, ah, fuck it. Fucking leave that in, mate. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but um yeah i mean it's also true the whole thing about well what are they going to like on ice and i i was sort of thinking i remember even the first time i was watching this movie and he had that line it's such a great line the way john can delivers it like n- not enough credit gets given to him for how good of an actor he is in this when he's saying like you know these guys like they'll run like lightning that's like yeah but can you know can they run on ice and i remember thinking that even as a kid i'm like but they've never been on ice before. Mm. And it probably took me until the age of 17 or 18. And in Winnipeg, I mean, our winters, it's hit and miss, but it could last from anywhere from the beginning of November to the end of March. You're looking at, you know, potentially half of your year where you're walking on ice. And I do a lot of walking in the winter. And I think it's, you know, not until I was like 17, 18 years old where I could walk like for an hour on icy sidewalks, icy roads and not fall. And still, I think so far, this is the closest I've come this winter. I haven't fallen at all. But up until now, every single year I fall on ice and I live on ice here in Winnipeg. <laughs> so it must have been tough for these guys. And that's one thing that like, uh, I mean, I can't remember if you touched on that in the interview uh, with Devin Harris about, you know, what it was like for them being on ice and what that was like to adapt to. Uh, the other question I have is the movie, does it say how long this is before the games at this point? No. Uh, I mean, we've established we're in November when the trials were on. So, um, hypothetically, the games will be in February. So you've got to assume that this has got to be at least mid to the end of January, right? Yeah, and I mean, they're already doing qualification. Olympic committees are there and everything, and other teams are there. And I don't think, at least nowadays, nobody really shows up until about two two weeks before the games, if not sooner than that. Mm. So they they probably had very little time if they were able to train anywhere else. Who knows? Maybe they have a, you know, a skating rink in uh, Kingston or something like that that they were on. But I don't know. These are all the things that uh, the movie doesn't really give you a time frame on. But it, it all helps to build them to be underdogs. And, you know, these are the things that they're not they're not fudging it in the movie. I mean, this this is the way it would have been. They would have shown up there and had no time to prep. I mean, kind of like the Ed the Eagle thing, like you said. This was the age where somebody could walk into the Olympics and just say, I want to do this. And uh, it's interesting to think some of these things that they can't dramatize, that there was no way around it. They would have had very few practice runs before they ever really competed at an Olympic level. Yeah, and the, the difference is, like in the comparisons, came with Eddie the Eagle, is that given, I guess, Eddie the Eagle is one, as a story about one person, whereas it's a story about four people, well, five if you mm-hmm. throw John Candy in there. Um, 
there is a lot more of that kind of underdog story that you were sort of mentioning. You kind of because you're right, like it, it does a good job. This film of we know they're underdogs, but kind of it's you know through the montages and everything that we get at the beginning through to here. I mean, really, all the stuff that we get kind of here about them being underdogs is just kind of other people supposedly hating them. Um, and then that's it. Whereas really kind of with Eddie Eagle, you get a pretty much, I think it's about the first half of the whole film is just so everyone's against him because he's just this dweeby yeah. little nothing that just is so competitive, but just is not good at anything. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of the differences that we'll definitely notice in that. But, um, it's, it's interesting kind of, I've never really thought too much about the time frames because I'm just looking here. The, uh, Calgary game started on February the 13th. So, uh, even if this is at the beginning of February, um, you know, two weeks before the games start. And, I mean, what, they've got $20,000. I mean, that just think about, can we just establish that that is not a lot of money? Um, obviously, with inflation, it's going to be worth a little bit more in 1988 than it would be today. But, you know, they've got to buy a sled. A quarter of their money than that is on their sled. Let's say a quarter of the other money is probably air travel, because air travel in 1988, not cheap like it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, they somehow miraculously get all these beautifully made uniforms later on in the film. We'll get to that. Um, but, you know, well, accommodation and no support yeah. from the Jamaican Olympic Committee here. So, you know. And that's the other thing to consider. Another thing that I thought was realistic when watching this that I pick up on now that I didn't as a kid is that when they're first here and they're just finding the sled, trying it out and, you know, trying to qualify, they are in a motel, one room motel with all of them. Yeah. And that's the way it would have been because until you actually qualify as an Olympic athlete, you can't be housed, you know, uh, in the Olympic housing. And it's only that moment after they qualify where we actually get to watch them walk in. And for me, at least that's jumping ahead, but for me watching that this most recent time, that's where I was looking at it and thinking like, oh, this is cool because this is what it would be like that, that moment where you get to walk in and here's your Olympic room or your Olympic apartment that you get to share. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, exactly. One thing I want to say too about like going to Calgary's, and it's one thing I've noticed about every Canadian city that's had the Olympics, all three of them. I mean, Vancouver, Calgary, and Montreal, I've been to all three and all three embrace the fact that they've hosted an Olympic games. Um, and I mean, even just you, when I landed in Calgary, legitimately at the baggage carousel waiting for my bag, they've got a display in the middle of the barrage carousel of the two mascots, those bears. They've just got like these, you know, mm-hmm. things like going, hey, we hosted the Olympics like 30 years ago. <laughs> Isn't this great? Um, and then when you walk, uh, when I went to the Flames game at the Scotiabank Saddledome, uh, they have like this walkway um, sort of towards the public transport because that's kind of in the area where they have the, uh, the big Calgary stampede as well. Um, but on this bridge, it's just like there's a whole honor roll of kind of all the medalists from the Calgary Olympics and just all these pictures and everything that in this in the saddle dome itself they've got all these displays and everything so they really do embrace it and I mean Vancouver obviously when I was there that was you know the time was only six years prior they had the Olympics still so much stuff around there and even in Montreal because I went out to the Olympic uh, Park area because it was um, what 40 years since they had the Olympics they had all these exhibitions and displays but they've kind of kept all like the the metro system and all these things like as soon as you get off the metro system at the stop, they've still got the giant Olympic rings there as soon as you get off the train. And just, just mm-hmm. I just love that about your country that you embrace it. Like, I mean, I've been to Sydney, I've been to Melbourne. Sure, there are areas where it's like, hey, they've had the Olympics, but it's nothing like you guys have. So, uh, when Winnipeg, Winnipeg, yeah. that excited, has the Olympics, like it will just take over the entire city. 
Well, hey, I mean, we were at the Forks here in Winnipeg, and they still have the torch from the 1999 <laughs> Pan Am Games <laughs> that uh, is just sitting there. And I'm sure there's going to be Canada Games stuff for years to come, and those are much smaller levels. I should probably tell my story about, as you alluded to, with the uh, the Windsport <laughs> Olympic Park in Calgary. Please do. When we were there, in, <laughs> yeah, we were there in '89, and uh, we were actually on our way out to BC, and you know, it was just a long drive, and my mom decided let's stop for a few days, and there was. Uh, a cousin. It was actually my dad's cousin. So, I mean, he's older than we are. He had his own kid and everything at the time. But so let's just stop here. It was supposed to be for one day. We stayed for three days. And he was sort of taking us everywhere around. And on the Sunday, he was going to take us to the, the Windsport Park. Uh, and we walked in there. And I remember when we got there, I said, you know, Tim, I really got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and he's like, OK, well, I'm sure they'll have a bathroom inside. And then we get to the front. and There's like nobody there. And there's a security desk. And uh you know, he said, oh, you know, uh, are you guys closed today? And they said, oh, yeah, sorry, we're closed to the public. And he says, can we use the bathroom? And they said, no, sorry, we're closed. So they wouldn't even let this guy with two little boys who really needed to pee in the building. So we walk outside, and I'm, like, you know, doing the pee-pee dance. <laughs> and you know, our cousin or dad's cousin, Tim, he's like, come on, kids, we're going to go uh, come follow me. And I'm like, where are we going? It's like, we're going to go water the flowers. And I didn't want I didn't, I'm thinking to myself, like, I really got to the bathroom. Like, why are we watering their flowers? I didn't get it. And he didn't tell me what we were doing. All of a sudden, like standing right up, right out in the open, he just whips it out and starts peeing all over the flower bed in front of the Olympic Park. And I'm just like, all right, I guess so. So I start peeing all over. So like all three of us just basically relieved ourselves over the flowers in the uh, Windsport Olympic Park. Which, If I ever go back there, I, I mean... I'm sure I won't get away with doing that, but I've got to have a picture of him at least imitating <laughs> peeing all over it. Yes. No, I, I weirdly want to see that picture. Um, it's interesting, actually, just while we're on, I'm just reading it, Calgary is the largest city to ever host the Winter Olympics. Uh, there you go. Uh, although the greater Vancouver area could also be considered larger. Uh, nonetheless, the title will soon be turned over to Beijing in 2022. So there you go. Oh. Um, and can we just point out, I just don't know why we haven't mentioned this already, but uh, Calgary, uh, Canada, had the record of uh, being the only nation to host the Olympics and never win a gold medal twice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sad. But, but the, the, the weird thing, uh, can I just say, Australia too never won a gold medal at either of those games. Like Obviously, we didn't <laughs> at the Winter Olympics, but Montreal, I think, was the only summer games we've never won a gold medal at. So uh, there you go. Um, but we did Where are your trip tonight? We are, but I mean, we both won in Vancouver, so that that made up for it. Anyway, uh, so I like this bit where they they're all in this shed um, and they're getting ready to see their sled for the first time, <laughs> and then Teresa going up to the Swiss sled, it's like, "Oh, isn't it beautiful?" And Sanka, what's Swiss? <laughs> <laughs> no man, Swiss. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Uh, and then, you know, um, uh, Irv brings out the sled and it's this bucket of bolts. You hear it, like, clanging everywhere. And Therese... They start yeah. picking at it and yes. the are falling off. I love it was a Yule grabbed something up and things fall off. And Therese is just like, shh, she's beautiful. <laughs> That's how looks. And then all of a sudden, they've got a... You know, all the teams are there ready. They're all polishing their sleds. Here are all the greatest bobsledders on the planet this time. And uh, here come the Jamaicans backing up the truck. Everybody just silently looks at them. There's dead silence. And Sanka, oh, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I've written here. I've written here. Everybody stares racist. Now, look, I don't want to play that yeah. card. 
But I mean, <laughs> come on. Like, every single person in that thing is white as a ghost. And here come these four black men, and everyone's just staring. They're so racist here. Come on. <laughs> well, I mean, can you even really consider it racist? I mean, uh, here's the thing. If you watch the Olympics now, and it's very multicultural now, but I mean... It's going to strike you as being different if you see an entire crew of black men on something because it's going to immediately draw you to, well, they're representing a country. It's just like if you have, you know, an entire crew of Koreans, you're going to like, oh, they must be from Korea. So (laughs) it would strike you probably more as like, where are these Caribbean guys? Especially you got one guy with the dreadlocks. I mean, yeah, you can perceive it that way and they definitely play up on that. But I mean, it's also important to mention, as you already said, that. You know, this wasn't the reaction. I mean, the athletes were 100% behind them. They thought oh, yeah. it was great that they were competing. Yeah. And why wouldn't they? Because they suck. I mean, if I'm an athlete going for a gold medal, I want the worst competition on the planet next to me. Yeah, and that's the thing too, which, I mean, I get why they have to do it in the film. I mean, this film isn't going to work if all of a sudden Joseph Gruel's coming up like, Hello, what was that? Hello. <laughs> like, I don't know where he's from. But this East German guy comes up to him and he's all like, Hey, bestie, let's go have some brunch. I'm like, you need to have that conflict. It's a movie. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's no different to if a white man shows up to the 100-meter sprint. It's like, what the fuck? There's somebody white in this race. Yeah, Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) White man can't run. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, We were watching last night um, some Australian basketball on TV. And, you know, Australia, we're a very Caucasian country. I think we're like 90% Caucasian or something ridiculous like that. And Mallory's like, you have a lot of white people playing this sport. Like, where are the black people? Like, well, it's Australia. We've got none. It's like, the only time there's like... You know, a black basketballer in our competition is a, an American who can't make it in the NBA or can't make it in Europe <laughs> or Asia. Like we're like the fourth choice for American high school basketballers who can't make it, and then they're like the best players in our league. So that's why they come to Australia. Um, well, I mean, it's it's kind of like uh, who was a basketball player Yao Ming years yes, ago. Yes, you, you get like this seven foot tall Chinese guy. I mean, he's going to stand out. It's <laughs> not the norm of what you see in the sport. Yes, exactly. Um, but I like this kind of the first bit here where they get on the actual, they get in the sled and they don't do the push start and we get Sunker can't put his helmet on. That kind of comes a running gag. Uh, his egg, what does he say to you? He's like, you want to kiss my little like I'm not kissing, no egg. Um, <laughs> then we kind of get our first taste of uh, Joseph Gruel. Uh, he's one of the best drivers in the world. He's also one of the biggest assholes in the world too. <laughs> which is kind of funny. But, you know, he's, he's, you know, ripping into him. You want to put some training wheels on that sled, um, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, but then Sunk has got to go to the toilet. I just started a little back and forth between him and Irv. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold yeah. it. But, Coach, I can't hold it. We're not bobsledding yet. Oh, yes, we are. <laughs> And then, like, I just love the reaction of Sanka here because, like, you mentioned about how they haven't really had any... This is their first proper time in a bobsled. Now, these things are fast. So, like, these are, you know, over 100 kilometers an hour. So... They've done the push carts. They're not going to be the same as this. So I think kind of like Sanka's sure he's going to pee. But I love his... This is me in a bobsled. I hate you. I hate you. Slow down. Slow down. Therese. Therese. Can we also just point out, he is the brake man. If he wants to slow down, he yeah, can exactly. slow yeah. them down. <laughs> <laughs> but they obviously crash. And I mean, just a little nitpick. That that like little sheet that covers that corner. How they don't, like, bounce out the end or there's, like, you know, you hear this sled <laughs> crashing and breaking apart. We see no debris falling. So, you know, but uh, we obviously get the funny line of, you know, Sunka, you're dead. 
<laughs> yeah, man, you can pee now. Um, too late. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's, it's a fun little scene. I mean, you know, we're obviously getting our first bits of conflict here and their first taste on the uh, the ice, but, uh, you know, it's it's still enjoyable stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I think bobsledding on its own is just... People are so used to seeing it super fast that you don't stop to think about, you know, how slow this could be. And I, I always watch this and I'm thinking, like, the slower you go, the more probability there is of a crash. So maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe some bobsledding expert out there can correct me, but... If because uh, we're gonna have a lot of bobsledding experts listening to our show, <laughs> <laughs> they've been waiting for this day. Finally, the Oz Network yeah. <laughs> targets their audience: the bobsled expert. <laughs> but I don't know. It seems kind of scary to me that their coach would say, "Let me just give you a nice nudge down the hill." But it looks so funny, and it's uh, another one of the really subtle things where they don't go that far in this. They could have gone further, where he just gives them this push, and they do it in like one or two shots, where you're just watching them crawling. And it was just expression of the people, and they just have like these this this blank expression on their face, like what am I watching right now? <laughs> and like it takes them like sixty five seconds to even you know get their start up there. Um, I, also, you mentioned the the whole egg thing's great that keeps coming from the movie and the helmet thing. Uh, just where he's like he pounds it down. It's like thanks, coach. I mean, they play the same gag over and over again, and it never gets old. Uh, the part where he was saying, you know, hold it, hold it. <laughs> I didn't even think about this at the time, but like. That goes on forever. Like that exchange is about twenty back and forth between them, <laughs> which is really exactly the same with all. I'm the pilot, and it's like no, Darius is the pilot. <laughs> and I just wonder if like John Candy and uh, Dougie, Dougie Doug. Doug were just you know, such great you know comedic skills that they would just challenge it. How long can we keep this up and continue <laughs> to make it funny? And then just in editing, they're like, you know, this thing could go for another five minutes; it would still work. And they just have to cut it down from the running time because it's it's very unusual that you could have something like that drag on as long as it does and not become annoying. But it's, it's just hilarious to watch these two guys together. That's in I mean, the they really are the only... <laughs> yeah, exactly. The 180-minute uh, cut of Cool Runnings where it's, I'm the pilot. Hold it, hold it. I'm the pilot. Kiss my lucky egg. Kiss my lucky egg. Kiss my lucky egg. <laughs> um, what else do I have here? Uh... Oh, there's the one line there, which, again, it's just kind of funny where they're sort of looking at everybody's expressions. Like, is it seeming to you like nobody likes us? <laughs> People are like, afraid of us. They're very aware difference. of this. <laughs> yeah. But um, it is it is completely absurd, and it's one of the few moments that now I watch it. I'm like, you can tell this is scripted because even if you didn't know the real story that the athletes are behind them, I mean, this is the Olympics. You, you would get behind anybody. And again, also the fact that they are a terrible team. Yeah. Nobody's going to care. There's, there's, they do a little bit too much of that in the movie. Now that I watch it, you know, kind of knowing the true story, there's a little too much of kind of overplaying the whole hatred towards them when it, there would be no reason for it. You know, where there may be a handful of people who are like, these guys are making disgrace of our sport. Yeah, maybe, but they hadn't qualified at this point. So nobody would really care. I mean, if anything, they'd be thinking, you know, there's no media here. If they don't qualify, who cares? Nobody's ever going to know. And and let's be honest, in the 2018 edition of this, like, I don't know, I think they are talking up. There's, I think, two Nigerian women who have made the two women bobsled coming into Pyeongchang. So that's kind of made a bit of news. But, like, the only way this is going to be a story now in our world is if, like, you know, I don't know, the American bobsled team are all avid Trump supporters who all agree yeah. with <laughs> Kevin Spacey and are friends with Harvey Weinstein. So that's basically going to be, like, the controversy around that. Um, when when Kevin Spacey and Donald Trump compete in the two-man bobsled <laughs> uh, together, 
in blackface, then that becomes where people start getting offended. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I want to see that. Oh, I don't want to see him wearing blackface. I want to see Kevin Kevin Spacey and Donald Trump in a bobsled. That would be funny. Um, Kevin, start was tremendous. Best start. No start has ever been better than that. No question about it. Not be fired. The end of this course. <laughs> the Canadians. Bad start. Sad. Uh, <laughs> That time, that time up there, fake news, fake news. We were the real winners here today. We won. No one else did. Crooked Hillary couldn't even do that. Um, I can't. put up a wall between us and Pyeongchang. <laughs> he rocks Almost three into the game. <laughs> he says that to Pyongyang. He's like, what? I'm in the wrong country. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, we get this. I always like this hotel scene. Why is that? Rodman is their coach. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that would be that would make Monsled entertaining. Dennis Rodman. <laughs> um, yeah, I always like this hotel scene. Uh, I don't know. There's just something sweet about it. It's like one of these real Disney moments. But it's still there's still something about it that I always like. When I was younger, I used to get a little bit emotional in this scene. I'm not going to deny it. Um, they're just chilling in their one, you know, room, motel room. And Darice is, can we just point out, Darice goes missing in large portions of this film. I, I know that's kind of the point of him being the driver. He's always off studying and stuff like that. But all they're doing right now is just chilling in their room. Uh, Sunka's cooking bananas. Um, Junior's, I don't know what Junior's doing, doing his makeup. And you're... <laughs> <laughs> He's got a book in a pen. <laughs> that too. Uh, I don't know what books look like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we sell them at calls, Ben. <laughs> Sunker's reading his Incredible Hulk. Uh, but I like it when when Yule comes up to him and it's like, man, turn that off. It's creating things like, back off, back off, yay ball. He's like slapping him with a spatula thing. Um, and this leads to like this fight. It's like, reading, that is a children's book. Oh, it's more smarter than you. What are you saying? Then I'm not smarter like a little child. <laughs> what is, what did he say? Like, oh, that you bold, meat-eating, club-toting, big, bold bubblehead that can only count to ten if he's barefoot or wearing sandals. Scruffy-looking nerf herder. <laughs> but then we get, you know, Yule's come back. He's like, say what you want. When I win the Olympics and become famous. Like, seriously, like, I really have to give props, though, uh, to Malik Yo Because I just, he just really plays his character. Maybe that's why we don't recognize him in anything now. Because he really does mm. play this character really well. Yule, he's meant to be simple and a bit dumb. Uh, so just the way he's, you know, like, when I win the Olympics and become famous. Because <laughs> if one person wins the Olympics, you'll... Um, he... <laughs> the four-man bobsled, they win the gold. And at the very end of the Olympics, and the all-time winner of the Olympics... <laughs> is Usain Bolt. Um, <laughs> but um, he's obviously, you know, standing up. And when I win the Olympics, I'm going to live right down there. And it's a picture of Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Um, which I, I, I do love Sunker's line here, like, uh, unless you marry the Queen, you're never going to live there. And lo- you know what line I'm going to point out? You can change your name to Madonna, and it's still not going to oh. make a difference. Um, but then, you know, poor old Yule's heartbroken. He crushes his picture up. He's about to cry. Um, and then Junior stands up and basically has his speech about, you know, 
Uh, my dad came from a little shanty. And now he's the richest man in Kingston or whatever. And, you know, the more Yule Brenners we get making it in the world, the better this world will be, especially for Jamaicans. Um, and I always like that little line. Go ahead, Yule Brenner. You go get your palace. I'm like, aww. That's, let me guess. You so hate good. it? <laughs> no, no. Love it. It's sweet. That that always gets me a bit sad. It's like, oh yeah, inspiration. Um, but then we cut to uh, Sanka having a uh, hot water bottle in his suit, <laughs> which I do love. That like, what do you have in there, man? A baby? <laughs> man, you're still cold, cold, and freezing my royal Rastafarian nannies off. <laughs> You're going to love the subtle penis jokes in a Disney movie. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but then we uh, we kind of get their first push start and Kurt's watching on, saying it's ridiculous. We get the photo taken as they all fall off their sled and all of a sudden we have uh, the news has made it all the way back to Jamaica. Um, and, yeah, we see, uh, of course, the the dad sees it, not happy. Um, and we, of course, also see the head of the Jamaican Olympic Committee not happy. Now, I this is a little nitpick. We're, we're nitpicking things about real world. Now, if they do not have the approval of the Jamaican, Olymp- Jamaican Olympic Committee, can they actually compete in the Olympics? I don't think that works. Yeah. Well, I mean, does he give them approval in the beginning? I Well, I mean, he's all like, no, I'm not giving you the money. Um, yeah. But... I mean, at the end of the day, can they then go, okay, we've got the money. Oh, okay, you have our approval, like, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's kind I, mean, of- I always interpreted that scene more as he's just sort of embarrassed, like, what did I get myself into? Maybe, yeah. I mean, it's just, I guess. But, I mean, I guess kind of there might be a deleted scene because, I mean, yeah, there's no way that... Like, that would be just like you and I. We're going to compete with the great nation of Ben Colonia. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, we don't have an Olympic committee. Uh, or do we? Jamie can be the head of it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. But, like, well, obviously, you know, the junior dad is seeing this for the first time, too. Uh, but it's, it's made the news in Jamaica, so obviously it's, you know, starting to be there a little. Does that mean that Jamaica have sent a journalist to Calgary to cut, like, the Kingston <laughs> Times? Or what was that James Bond paper you said before? So The Daily Gleaner, yeah. <laughs> the Daily Gleaner sent, you know, their Winter Olympics correspondent. They've just created that job for the first time. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, there were obviously kind of lump a few bits here. We get Doris, he's polishing his sled, he's checking out the Swiss, and he meets uh, Larry here. Kind of Larry talks up about, uh, you know, uh, that Irv is the one letting him down. And this is where we obviously hear for the first time that he uh, got his gold medals taken away for cheating, for adding weights into the sled. And I did read on the trivia that apparently adding weights to your sled is not illegal. So... <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Irv. You had your gold medal taken away for no reason. Um, but I do like this little, you know, back and forth between Irv and uh, Larry. Give my kid a few pointers, Larry. Your kid's going to need all the help you can get. Coach. It's like, ooh. <laughs> Burn. Burn. Mic drop. <laughs> but um, I might sort of cap it here, just the introduction here in the uh, the hotel room before they go out. Um, where Sanka's just being a dick, being a, um, a maid, maid service, would you like a minute? Perhaps I could dust your head. <laughs> Love that line. Uh, and then, uh, we get another knock on the door and Yule's a dick to the hotel woman who's just like, 
sorry. <laughs> like, that poor woman. Um, and it's a telegram, because this is a thing in 1988. They can't ring. They've got to send a telegram. How old is this movie? Like, I thought telegrams died in, like, World War Two. <laughs> They're like, come home immediately. Stop. <laughs> Not in Calgary, clearly. Uh, <laughs> Canada just got electricity a few days before this. Uh, you, see, you see, like, some switchboard, like, listening to the taps of Morse code. <laughs> Junior, you are a great disappointment and brought shame to your family. Stop. Uh, but, yeah, so the telegram is from Junior's dad. He has to come home right now. Uh, maybe I'll cap it there because I think the bath scene is fun. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the hotel room scene, that's that's probably hands... Not even probably. That is hands down my favorite scene in this entire movie. And that includes the actual bobsled crash that comes later on. Uh, It's just, it's so effective. And this is one of the things that these Disney live action uh, sports movies do so well. I mean, I can remember similar scenes and remember the Titans or Million Dollar Arm even. Uh, Maybe not Glory Road, that one. I don't know if you have you ever seen Glory Road. No, no, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, you can avoid it at all costs. It's pretty bad, (laughs) but... (laughs) Like there's scenes in pretty much all these movies where it's just this this uplifting scene that again is subtle. They're not like you know hitting you over the head with anything, and it's just so effective. And it's I, I don't know in a way I'd, I'd kind of consider movies like this or Rocky's kind of the perfect example of like it's a guy's tearjerker. You know, mm-hmm. a guy's not gonna cry at a movie the same way a woman's gonna cry. And this isn't some sexist comment, so you know nobody out there like hashtag Me Too. Um, I've also <laughs> been. Uh, uh, what would be the word uh, objectified or whatever <laughs> through crying in movies like some weird thing like that but it's just when I see Jamie or my sister or any other woman that get emotional in movies it's usually for something that's you know uh, not, not like a sad maybe a sad scene but like if somebody dies right mm-hmm. oh it's sad but then the people are happy afterwards guys get like their their tearjerker moments are moments like this. It's a heroic moment, and that's kind of what gets to guys. And even me, I'm not, this doesn't like you know bring a tear to my eye or anything. But it's the same type of reaction where you know you, you see him, and the scene goes from being really funny when he holds up the picture, and even just the delivery of in the time is like I'm gonna live here, <laughs> and every person in the audience looks at it and said Buckingham Palace, really. <laughs> And the way he kind of mocks him, you're laughing. And then when you see his reaction to him walk away, that's when it turns, like, sad. And Junior has, like, this big uplifting speech. And that moment where he says, you go get your pals. Like, it's not like, you know, they hug it out or anything like that and there's a tear rolling down their cheek. It's just, like, these two guys who don't get along and they don't care. He's just like, you know what? Let him have his dream. And, and it's just, it's such an effective moment. They do that in all these movies and it's so good. Uh, there's one other moment like that later on, which it's it's funny that Junior and Yule, they kind of have this uh, relationship where it's very standoffish, but they're the ones who have the two scenes where they like lift each other up. And if you think about it, nobody else, I mean, Darice has his pick-me-up moment, but it comes with John Candy. And these two characters, it's about them actually, you know, uh, lifting each other up. And they're kind of the, I don't know, Sanka's, like we said earlier, Sanka's just sort of there. Darice is chasing his gold medal, his glory. And these other two guys, it's just sort of, they both want out of something. And it's just the perfect match for each other. And I said this in the beginning, I'll say it again now. How unusual it is to find four actors who are unknowns, who have this kind of chemistry together, where they can, without acting experience and without even really knowing each other, young guys be able to carry a scene like this and just 
every second they're on screen together, even if they're only saying two lines, they're not even making eye contact. They're just saying, you go get your palace. And like, you get there's real chemistry between these guys. Mm. And they're like 22, 23 years old. It's just crazy. Um, the way that the John Candy thing comes out, now that it is kind of coming out, we could talk about it a bit. I don't know. Maybe I miss something every single time I watch this movie, but I always look back on it and think that that moment where he has that big breakdown, you know, I cheated, I made the biggest mistake in my career. Does he ever really address it? Other than the one scene where Darice asks him later on, you know, can you tell me why? And he's like, oh, you mean why I cheated? It's never addressed between the team. Like they find out about it, but they just simply don't care. Yeah. They're curious, but it never really comes up. And I always misremember this movie as it being a big deal between them because that's the way these movies would typically do it. But it's one of the examples where I think they didn't go the dramatized dramatized route. Dramatic route. What would be the word for that? I don't say big words, Colin. Don't ask me. <laughs> I read in a book somewhere once at Coles. I think it's dramatized. Uh, but they don't go that route where they make a big deal of it. It's it, They're just sort of like, well, that's kind of disappointing. But they never ask the question. And then when I watch the movie and realize that they don't do that, I like the movie so much more. Yeah. It's... And it's it's interesting that they kind of do jello because I mean, again, Eddie the Eagle comparisons. I can't actually remember because again, I've only seen it once. But the the Hugh Jackman character has something similar where he's kind of disgraced from ski jumping, um, but he gets brought back in to help out Eddie. And like again, completely fictionalized character. The Hugh Jackman character did not exist in Eddie the Eagle's life. But I mean, Hugh Jackman is John Candy in the Eddie the Eagle movie. Um, but. Yeah, the thing that's kind of interesting about how they gel over, I told you, like, at the beginning, how I actually went back and looked in my Olympic books to see if it was, like, USA disqualified, 1972. Yeah. But <laughs> it's... The thing, too, is if he's really been disqualified for cheating, surely he's banned from the sport for life. Like, yeah. you know, Marion Jones isn't allowed to come out of retire, you know, her ban to coach the US track team, you know. So, Tonya like, Harding. Tonya, exactly. So it's kind of like, there's that. And surely this is going to be a bit of media storm, isn't it, at the Calgary Games? Like, where's the media going up to the Jamaican yeah. box said, What is it like being coached by a cheat? Like, this is only 16 <laughs> years as well. Can we establish this? Like, Marion Jones got caught, what, 2000, the Olympics, and then, what, about five years later, she was disgraced. So, like, okay, Marion Jones at the Rio Olympics was coaching the US track team. That's going to cause a huge <laughs> frenzy. Tonya Harding, like, you know, she's there now, 24 years after Lil Armour. It's not going to get away with it. Like, they're just kind of mm-hmm. sweeping under the rug. Oh, he just cheated. Disgraced his country. Oh, but who cares? <laughs> Look at those four Jamaicans. <laughs> like, <laughs> and... <laughs> He's a two-time gold medalist, yes. too. Yes. I mean, there, there must not have been a lot of two-time gold medalists in, you know, bobsledding. I mean, I I watched the documentary recently on uh, Canada's, you know, best bobsledder, Kaylee Humphreys. And she's actually, they're not, like, anticipating and it's guaranteed to happen. But she's kind of our best hope of becoming the first Canadian to win three back-to-back gold medals in any sport. When she won two back-to-back gold medals, that was, like, a huge deal. And, I mean, this is, like, the early days of the Olympics. I mean, he would undoubtedly be, like, the most famous, maybe the most famous winter athlete of all time next to maybe Dorothy Hamill <laughs> in the United States. And nobody even mentions that he's there. Yeah, I'm just looking here to see how many medals the Olympic, uh, the U.S. have won in bobsled. At least at the time of recording, they've won seven gold, seven silver, ten bronze. I couldn't tell you if that's two men, four men, two women, four women. Like, I couldn't tell you. Um, but it's, yeah, I just, we stopped nitpicking at this movie, but come on. <laughs> like, this guy's a cheat, everybody. And he passes all of our off the with... podium list. 
Like our off the podium list right now are riveted, and the Oz Network ones are like, get on with the movie, talk about the egg a little more. He's, he's legitimately all his excuses. I wanted to win. It's like, oh, fair enough. Like yeah. Lance Armstrong sits down with Oprah. Lance, you're a disgrace. Seven Tour de France's and you cheated. Oprah, I wanted to win. Oh, fair enough, Lance. We forgive you. <laughs> like, come well, and, on. And the whole thing with also the whole thing you said about putting the the weights in the bottom of the sled. I remember as a kid thinking. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, it would make them go faster. But then, like, if that's really the case, I mean, 400-pound John Candy right here should be their pilot, <laughs> and they're guaranteed to win. I would, he has experience I would, and the weight. I would definitely be uh, <laughs> welcoming to the sport of bobsled. <laughs> okay, so the trivia I found <laughs> about this, it says, In the sport of bobsledding, adding weight to the sled is perfectly legal. In fact, sometimes it's a safety measure. Both two- and four-man sleds have minimum and maximum weights. The weight of the sled is calculated as the total weight of the sled and its crew. If the fully loaded sled weighs less than a minimum, it is perfectly legal to add weight to make up the difference. That is very similar in Formula One, that uh, you have a, a weight period, which you can do. Um, so, you know, there was a time recently they the cars were heavier, so the drivers had to lose weight just because they couldn't work around the car parts. It's like, ah, uh, guys, you have to lose some weight, otherwise you can't race in Formula One. So... <laughs> Could we have had this movie go completely differently then? And we're, Tell me, coach, I just want to know one thing. You want to know why I cheated? Yes. It's very simple. I want it to be safe. <laughs> and <then> that's it. <laughs> I'm a very safety-conscious person, Doris. My mum was scared of me crashing, so I added weights into my sled. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where Doris turns around and goes, did you add weight to your body in the last 16 years, coach? <laughs> Were you being safe in life, too? <laughs> Shut up, Doris, go win a gold medal. Uh, and, like, is, if, if this is illegal in the world of cool runnings, is any type of extra weight, you know, disqualifying? <laughs> I mean, is Sanka going to get their gold medal taken away because it's got an egg stuffed in yes, his crotch? exactly. Oh, sorry, guys, we've weighed you. Uh, you're 50 grams <laughs> over. I believe it's that lucky egg gold medal taken you know, the, away. The Daily Gleaner had a great picture of one of you was sporting an extra testicle. You know, we're going to need to pat you down here. <laughs> oh, I knew I shouldn't have eaten that burger last night. Damn it. Uh, um, we get the bar scene. I mean, you know, Calgary, I guess, is known for, what, three things? The 1988 Winter Olympics, the Calgary Flames, and the Stampede. Would I summarise that well? Um, Bret Hart. Oh, sorry. Four things, of course. Sorry, Bret Hart. <laughs> Hello. Um, the Calgary Stampeders. They've lost like two Grey Cups in a row, haven't they? Uh, yeah, back to... Yep. Um, but anyway, so we have this bar where there's line dancing, filmed in Winnipeg, allegedly. Um <laughs> <laughs> I love Sanka here dancing. <laughs> you know, first of all, that random kid hat. Howdy, partner. What did she say? Like, ha! Like, this is row of white people. And he's just oh. one Jamaican. <laughs> and I'm sorry. This is another thing that takes me straight out of the movie because, yes, you will find people in Alberta that you may look like Texans, you know, because they'll wear, they embrace the cowboy lifestyle there. People will have cowboy hats. It's, the cowboy stampede's a big deal, and that is like, our cowboy culture here in Canada. But why would they have a Texas accent if this is Alberta? <laughs> She'd be like, hi, eh? <laughs> hi, a boot, eh? Uh, I can't do it. Um, <laughs> I think being with a Canadian for a couple of weeks now would help my accent, but no. Um, 
But, um, yeah, I, I do. And at the song, what is it? Going nowhere and getting there. It's stuck in my head right now. Um, but I do like this thing because, you know, really the whole you go get your palace, Yule is kind of, you know, Yule and Junior are besties now. Here they are at the bar having a beer. Um, you know, what should I do? What should I do? Uh, you know, poor little Junior here. And what does Yule say? Like, you act like he is the king of the whole world. Um, and it's like, you wouldn't know. You don't even know where the queen of the world lives. Um, <laughs> too soon. Uh, but <laughs> of course, Yosef Gruel happens to be there. Hey, Jamaica, keep it down. You're not owning this home place. I do, I, I do, you know, as much as we're meant to hate the guy, uh, I do love Peter Outerbridge the way he like plays his, you know, you know, you have no business here, Jamaica. Why don't you leave the bobsledding to the real men, yeah? Like he's kind of got like that real like evil German accent. Um, but I love. Is the, wait? Is there is there a non-evil German accent? Good point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my name is Josef, and I'm here to save the children. Get away! Get away! <laughs> <laughs> I want to see like the German version of Pee Wee's Playhouse and just see <laughs> that's the secret word of the day <laughs> Sesame Street or something like that this episode brought you but a letter G <laughs> <laughs> it's a German Elmo like <laughs> Elmo likes this Elmo love all the children <laughs> We <laughs> need to redo the, the scene we just talked about. Go ahead, you Brenner! You go get your palace! <laughs> oh, not round ice! <laughs> now you need that Jamaican accent. No man, not ground ice. <laughs> Oh, I love Germans. Um, I do like Junior here. What, is he, what does he say? He's like, no, man, I'm a real man. What was that, Jamaica? <laughs> you want to say something? Out with it. <laughs> it's like Yule stands up. Because everyone knows the weakness of the East Germans as bald Jamaican men. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I am a communist, Russia. I mean, he stands up to all these foreign powers. We all know that World War Two would have been done with if, like, you know, a bald Jamaican man stood up to Hitler and just looked at him. Oh, no, no, all right, all right, I won't kill them, all right, fair enough. Yeah, you know, not to not to uh, uh, downplay or trivialize, you know, any travesties of the past, but, you know, Holocaust probably would never happen if Malik Yoba was there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Set up the gas chamber. Oh, shit, he stood up and looked at me. All right, no, no gas chamber. No, no. We'll invade Munich, not Poland. Fair enough. Malik Yoba, the enforcer of the world. (laughs) That's a TV show we need. (laughs) He just goes into Korea. You know, it's like, we will bomb America. He just stands up. All right, we won't bomb America. Fair enough. Sorry. ISIS. I'm going to chop it. Oh, no, I chop his head off. He looked at me. Fair enough. (laughs) <laughs> Ryan Johnson, we're gonna have Leia floating in space. No, you won't. <laughs> we're gonna have a kid ending the movie with a broom. No, all right, fair enough. We'll end it in the space. <laughs> Luke's gonna do. No, all right, Luke's alive still. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone, if you haven't seen the Last Jedi, it's probably a good thing. Uh... But Malik Yoba would have loved Jar Jar. He's <laughs> one of his George, George one of the Luke. Locals. George Lucas is sitting there with a pen of paper. Ja- no, maybe I'll cancel Jar Jar. Maybe people won't like it. Oh, shit. All right. Sorry. All right. Writing in Jar Jar. 
<laughs> I don't like sand, it's coarse and... Oh, no, that's a terrible, cheesy line. No, we'll get rid of that. All right, okay, sorry, Malik, we'll keep it in. We'll keep it in. <laughs> Please, let's get Malik Yob on the show, too. <laughs> Pitch him this idea. Actually, no, hang on. There's no. a hit show. No, Colin. No, we don't want Malik Gober on the show. We want... Oh, shit, he's just looking at me. Okay, we want Malik Gober on the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's how so what was the worst part about that darn cat? <laughs> no, no, sorry. That darn cat was a classic film. <laughs> that's how Casper was born. Jamie, I'm tired. I don't want to go to sleep. No, I don't want to do... All right, Malik wants to. All right, let's oh, have sex. Malik. <laughs> just in my arm. I'll procreate. <laughs> just, I want you to print a picture out of him looking all stern. Whenever Casper cries, just point it at him. Casper, <laughs> look at Malik. Doesn't want you to cry. <laughs> Go to sleep. <laughs> if anyway. he cries again, I'm going to go in there and just quote Malik over live stream. Look in the mirror and tell me what you see. <laughs> I see Junior. <laughs> I guess see Casper. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, they're in the bathroom. This is a fun scene. It's not about what I see. It's about what you see. I see pride. I see power. I see a badass mother who won't take no crap off of nobody. I just like it's like it's, it's. I swear it's not meant to be like a chant, but it's all just the way they do it. It's like I see pride, Junior. I see power. I see a badass mother who won't take no crap off of nobody. Once again, I see pride. <laughs> like, I know you haven't seen it like the Karate Kid. It's like the coach is just like uh, 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 here on the street in competition. A man faces you. He is your enemy. Like, strike first, strike hard. No mercy, sir. <laughs> I want this whole thing done in a German accent. I see pride! I see power! <laughs> but I love that, like, when, you know, he's all pumped up, he's ready to go. And then I love it when Junior walks off, and he's like, Junior, Bevel! And then, like, he was just like, hey, Bevel, where are you going? <laughs> and he pushes the random guy with the cowboy hat out of the way. It's like an Itonia when he smashes out of the building and he just yeah. pushes that guy over for no Tackles reason. The guy on the street. This poor random guy with a hat is just in this bar and Junior Bell's like, fuck off! <laughs> oh, Junior's all pumped up, goes up to Joseph and it's like, you better owe me a damn apology or else. And I just, I have to love Joseph, he just flicks him. Or else what? Come on, Jamaica, <laughs> say something. <laughs> and then in comes Malik. It's no problem, man. Smash Can we just say, glassing someone over the head, not the safest thing in the world to do, all right? He's probably dead. <laughs> <laughs> But I do love this. There's your scandal. I do love this massive bar fight that just happens, and then Sanka's just like, Excuse me, Missy, you be out Just like jumps on everybody. <sighs> oh, now again, in a 2018 world, Jamaica is disqualified from the Olympics, all right? Yeah, that 1994, I mean, Tanya Harding was kicked out for getting somebody else to do the fighting. <laughs> and she only just loosely interpreted that they should do something. <laughs> she called a bodyguard fat because I, Tanya, was true. <laughs> Most of it. Uh, realistically, is that maybe the... Well, actually, I haven't seen Miracle in a long time. So I was going to say, out of the four we're covering, is I told you the most accurate out of all the four of these? Um, 
But, um, so yeah, we're back in the hotel and uh, Doris is going off at everybody. Um, you know, I do like their reaction. Just, he's saying about the chemistry. Uh, you know, Doris going off. It's like, you don't see the Swiss fighting, do you? <laughs> and then it's like, uh, you don't see the Swiss having fun either. In fact, if one of them saw this pretty girl, that probably has eyes, vine, try and try and push it down some eyes. <laughs> Um, I really want to hope that that's ad-libbed just because of the reactions of everybody. It just feels so natural. Um, yeah. And then he comes, uh, it's a great sort of, you know, talking about the acting of John Candy here. I mean, it's such a funny moment and he just really kind of tones it down and yells at them, you know, and uh, he told the bartender that they were mentally disturbed and he's not going to press any charges. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. That's how to get away with it. Um, but I just love the way he kind of yells at them. You know, they hate me. They hate you. They hate us. You know, I want to do some ass-whooping of my own. Uh, good night, gentlemen. Like, I just love the way he kind of does that. It's really, really cool. Um, great acting. And maybe I'll just lump the whole... the, the Another montage here. I guess we may as well. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a fun training montage. You know, rise above it. You can do it. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> they're all, like, running through the snow and doing the push starts. We've got the chin-ups and poor old Sunker can't do anything. Um, the snowball scene on the bridge. Uh, I really love that shot when they've got the bobsled and they're kind of like in what the ice skating rink and you get that shot of the Calgary 88 logo. That looks really cool. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really great little, like, again, yeah, one of the 38,000 montages in this film, but, uh, uh, realistically, none of the montages are actually bad. I'm trying to probably sound like I'm talking down on them, but I actually really do enjoy this. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we can cap it at that point. It's sort of from one extreme to the other, but uh, it's, it's again, all very enjoyable. This movie is amazing. Yeah, and the, the bar scene, I mean, this is the one that is supposedly filmed here in Winnipeg, which you could find all over the internet years ago, and now, for whatever reason, they're saying is in Calgary, which I did find this club does exist in Calgary, and they have on their website images of cool runnings compared to this. So this is why I kind of have that theory that maybe they needed to do reshoots uh, to pick up some extra parts of this club scene and maybe the airport. And uh, instead of filming in Calgary at the time, which may have been more expensive, they filmed in Winnipeg. I, I don't know if it was like this at the time, but I know Winnipeg is uh, one of the cities in Canada that movies usually go to if they are in like a budget crunch because we offer like this massive tax break. Uh, but it's it's... That it was kind of famous for a while here, this club here in Winnipeg, the Palomino Club, uh, that Cool Runnings did film there. And who knows, maybe it was the bathroom scene, whatever. But this was uh, the thing that um, uh, right before you came down here to Winnipeg, uh, just that week is when I learned that they had filmed the Cool Running scenes there. And I looked at them, oh, I could show Ben, you know, where they filmed Cool Runnings. And they had tore it down like three or four days before you Bastards. came here. Uh, rebuilt it somewhere else, I guess. But yeah, this is Hollywood. Uh, this is Hollywood legacy here. I've, I've Disney, Disney's most famous location from a Winter Olympic movie, not filmed in Calgary or Lake Placid, uh, and you just tore it to the ground, Winnipeg. Thanks a lot. Yeah, so sad. Uh, we will never get to see where the bottle was hit over the big head. <laughs> We will never get to see the mirror where where he saw pride and power. <laughs> Iconic movie locations of the world. There's no Winnipeg movie <laughs> set location tour anymore because they tore, tore down the one place there was a movie filmed in Winnipeg. Yeah. They're never going to tear down the dance studio or Richard Gere and Jennifer Lopez film Shall We Dance, but oh, Cool Runnings. As long as it's not the fucking dance studio. I thought you were talking Dirty Dancing there. I was about to... Dirty Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, this... 
the the club scene's really fun. I mean, it's just anytime you can see Dougie Doug doing line dancing with straw in his teeth, <laughs> it's just amazing. <laughs> that, that, can, can we just go back and say that that's what sold this movie? It wasn't the the inspirational story of the Jamaican bobsledding team. They literally walked into the Disney Studio executive office and like, okay, guys, got a movie for you. All right, yep, we're listening. We're listening. All right, Dougie Doug line dancing. <laughs> so you do whatever you want. <laughs> It's like that Simpsons episode where he's uh, Ron Howard's pitching all the ideas. Like it's about a uh, 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 detective and his partner who happens to be a talking pie who travel in time. It's like sold. <laughs> and how about this for a follow-up? Dougie Doug and a darn cat. <laughs> Dougie Doug has a problem with a cat. Oh yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> Hang on, I've got another one. Dougie Doug and an elephant that has to be dropped. Oh, so good. Dougie Doug takes on serial predator Bill Cosby. <laughs> oh no, for no. four seasons. <laughs> no, no, we don't believe it. Bill Cosby's innocent. Yep. Uh, make him work with I mean, Kevin Spacey and Harvey Weinstein. Go on, James Franco too. <laughs> throw him in there. He won't get an Oscar nomination. Just throw him in there. Um, too soon. But I mean, it's there's still fun scenes <laughs> and. Uh, can we just go one episode without making fun of sexual assaults? We're not making fun of it. Like it's terrible. Don't do it. Like, in all honesty, like we're not. That's the wrong choice of words. People are going to hear that. Ben's going to somehow mistakenly put that on our best of. We're going to be pariahs. No, we're making fun of those who are accused of it. Like yes, let's not make Kevin. See the butt of every Oscar Network show. We're like not sitting here going, "Oh, Rose McGowan, ha ha, isn't she a lot?" Like we're doing the opposite here, people. Come on, yeah. Bill Cosby, Kevin Spacey—they're all the butt of our jokes. Let's <laughs> let's give it a rest. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is not quite as effective as you know the the scene with the Buckingham House earlier on. But they kind of split this into two, and when we get to the second half, I think it's it's a much more effective scene. But I still just love this relationship between Yule and Junior. Uh, they're just polar opposites in the way that they pump each other up. It's kind of it's it's such a movie cliche that you know you have the strong character and then the small character, and that they you know both have something to learn from the other one. But I mean Disney. I don't know what it is, but their animated movies will be kind of over the top. And then there, there is just this restraint with their live action movies like this where they don't feel the need to go too far. And it's really only like the, the things about everybody hating them that goes too far, which, which again, like, I'm glad you brought it up, you know, about them getting banned for life. Because if this actually happened, I mean, if them slipping on a bobsled course is making the news, right now they're surrounded by a couple hundred people yeah. in this very – exclusive Calgary Cowboy Nightclub. <laughs> um, I mean, there's got to be press there too. Uh, but then the scene with Irv, this would have been the other thing, like again, how they don't go the predictable route. And I talked about in the beginning how there's things where this movie doesn't hold up, but the more we're talking about, I'm realizing the opportunities they had to go the predictable route. Like this is your traditional scene where the team confronts the coach you know they just had this big blow up and they're like you know don't you lecture us coach you cheated and he's you know they're all like we don't want to follow you and then he gives the the pep talk uh the training montage uh, the, the song i love that song i said yeah. there's at least two songs in the soundtrack i could listen to all the time uh obviously the one that everybody's going to know is going to be the i can see clearly now cover that's kind of the theme for this but this rise above it song i mean this is this is such a fantastic like workout song and that's basically all you see them do here is just running and everything in the cold um it is important that we we do 
bring up that they would have to train for this because you know as I, much as I made fun earlier about how you know you don't need to be that much of an athlete to do this you really do and I mentioned the, the documentary I saw on our bobsledder Kaylee Humphreys I mean she's been in who knows how many of these Olympics I think it's just like her fourth Olympics and it's you know going to potentially be her third gold medal in a row and this documentary they have they show her like working out and she's pro I would argue she's in as good shape as you know I would say more than a swimmer or a runner. I mean, she looks almost like a weightlifter without being bulky. She looks like Jamie just screamed something from the other room. I don't know what she was. What? Bring, bring in a picture of Malik. He's, he needs was, to sleep. I was, I was not drooling until they showed the scene of her in the shower, Jamie. Uh, network television in Canada. You can show that. <laughs> Who's in showers? Yeah. But anyways, like these, these athletes. I don't know what's happening right are, now. The documentary on the Bob Center. But these athletes are in incredible shape. And it is kind of crazy to think about, you know, how much training they would have to do because it is what 10 to 20, I don't know the exact amount, but what is the start? It's It can't be any more than 20 meters. Mm. I mean, it's not even the equivalent of like a 50 meter race. I mean, this is a small amount, but the amount of strength and you know energy it would take to just get that one start. I mean, they must be exhausted, which is why they have to sit in the sled and just lean for the rest of it because they're pooped after that. Imagine but the I same bolt halfway through the 100 meters going, oh man, I'm tired, I'm going to lean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he just stops and leans for the rest of it, yeah. Usain Bolt could still win if he did that. But, he, he does I mean, half the time. <laughs> Brings a pillow uh, halfway but, down. Sleep time now, I still win gold. <laughs> just pose for the camera as you somehow miraculously finish. Come on, Andre. But Let's like, do it. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned it like these tra training montages are there were there was a reason they were in every 80s and 90s sports movie and even now they still do them because they're so effective and you mentioned half of this movie is montages and usually when you have a movie like that you look at it afterwards you're like i i didn't realize my childhood i grew up idolizing you know these athletes who are actually just posing for a music video because that's all it is <laughs> like if i watch the rocky i love all the rocky movies now but rocky 4 does not hold up because it is 50 percent music video <laughs> to training montages but I don't get sick of it. It's still fun, and I, I love all the training montages they have in this. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm a fan generally of montages. I know we've been talking about that in our third watch coverage when they kind of go montage heavy post season three. They can be effective, but I mean it's different in I guess a network TV show that's you know a cop thing like oh he's a you know a song on the radio right now where they're staring at a dead body and looking at a glass slide with some blood on it ooh but like I mean this one it's you know it's effective because we we're wanting to see them run and throw snowballs and shit but it, it does kind of remind me I don't know if you're sort of a South Parky Team America fan what is it is it Team America where they use the montage song we're gonna need a montage montage no it's really funny if you haven't seen it. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I heard none of what you said. All I was hearing was, oh, 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 and then a big pop-up came up on Skype that said, poor network connection, as soon as you asked me a question. Uh, so, <laughs> I was wondering why you sounded like you were all of a sudden in a tin can. I thought you got in a bobsled or something like that. that um, <laughs> but uh, no, uh, Team America, I think it is when they've got the montage song. We're going to need a montage. Montage! <laughs> Uh, it just reminds me of that. But, like, yeah, the bar said you're right, because uh, we had a thing, um, 
big cricket tournament just happened in Australia called the Ashes. It's in Australia and England. And there was an English cricketer who just before he flew out here was in a bar fight. And basically the English cricket team were like, well, you're not playing with us anymore because you're going to go to court. You could get charged. You punched someone. So like, they basically banned him from the team. Um, so, you know, I know it's a bit different now. I mean, back in the 80s, people used to like punch people and be a hero for it. Uh, but like, <laughs> I, I think um, but the one thing I want Disney to start doing you talk about like the live action and all Disney are doing now is you know making Marvel films making Star Wars films and then making their cartoons into uh, you know real movies and stuff uh, how that is going to work for The Lion King I still don't know but uh, <laughs> can they do the opposite now can they make like the live actions into cartoons can we get the cool runnings cartoon? Cool runnings cartoon? Like, you know, I want to see, like, Dougie Doug animated. You know? Like, <laughs> the egg would probably have, like, a song singing about, like, being under the sea or something like that. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't watch animated Disney movies. Um, but I think that would be fun. I mean, turn them into crocodiles and iguanas in a bobsled. <laughs> Uh, was that Bear Necessities song? What was that from the Jungle Book? <laughs> like, we've got the Slay Necessities. I don't know. I don't watch Disney. <laughs> Get Jamie. She you likes that animated crap. I'm going <laughs> to guess we're seeing Bear Necessities. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Again, I don't know. Um, what are the Disney songs? The Circle of Life? The Circle of Sled. Uh <laughs> Teresa's song would be, instead of I just can't wait to be king, oh, I just can't wait to win gold in other sports and I'm not going to be bobsled because I didn't win gold in this one. Uh, <laughs> stop singing, Ben. Can um, we have, like little, like, little Mermaid, instead of Kiss the Girl, we get Kiss the Egg? <laughs> I don't even know that song. <laughs> I told you, I'd like to sing The Lion King. I watched Moana recently. That was all right. Um, <laughs> Is there singing in Toy Story? Uh, oh, kind of. Oh, you've got a friend. You got in a me. friend. <laughs> oh, what was it? This is completely off topic. But what was it recently? I'll have to ask her. Jamie. 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 Oh no, I remember what it was. Everybody knows Louis Armstrong, right? <laughs> yes. Like, well, it was James Rover. Bond fans. You know, we have all the time in the world. <laughs> Jamie heard Louis Armstrong say, "Is this the guy that sings Friend and Me' from Toy Story?" <laughs> Randy Newman. <laughs> Dude, the, the honest trailer for, um, I think it's the Toy Story ones, is hilarious because they get, um, oh, that comedian. You'd know him. If, I can't remember the name of him, but you'd know him if you saw him. They get him to impersonate Randy Newman and he does such a good job of it. And he, like at the end, he's like, I still love LA. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, <laughs> just, just watch it, all right? Um, okay. I, hope they, I hope they do an honest trailer for Cool Runnings in the lead up to the Winter Olympics. Um, they might. Stranger things have happened. Oh, they got it. Anyway, so we're at the day of the trials now, and um, Adidas have stepped in as a major sponsor of the Jamaican bobsled team because here's their brand new uniforms. Now, again, can we just nitpick here? This is a team that had $20,000. Everybody laughed at them, and now all of a sudden Adidas have come on board, or Adidas, whatever you want to say. Um, as a major, I was sport. wondering what Adidas was. <laughs> Don't worry, I had this conversation with Mallory the other day when I was saying the word Adidas. She looked at me funny. Sorry, Adidas. Um, but like, how did they did get you these suits the, made? The Nike shoes that they were wearing. Or? The what? The what shoes? The Nike. The Nike shoes. Yeah. 
Isn't that the like, Rebex, isn't, uh, <laughs> isn't Nikkei that Japanese stock or something like that? Uh, that's a Nikkei. Sorry, other one. Um, <laughs> where where do they get these suits from? <laughs> like, how? I mean, another you know generous donation from uh, from what's his name Fred or Chuck? <laughs> what's his name? The guy? Which guy? <laughs> the guy we couldn't remember the name of who gave them the sled. Oh, Lar- uh, J- uh, Larry. No, Roger. 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 Yeah. The- <laughs> DK? But of course, they wouldn't donate. Yeah, they wouldn't donate actual. This is basically like Roger's pajamas from like 16 years. When Roger and Irv were like bobsledders back in their day, when they were slim and trim, these were their pajamas. They just convert them into. Yeah, these are the onesies that they wore in, in the very cold climate of Innsbruck. I, I really like the uniforms though. And um, we there was the cricket here one time, they had like a a crowd competition dress up and you can win a prize. And we did like interviews and there's this area on, in our cricket ground called the hill. And there's like an area of the hill where it's called the wet area where people get drunk basically. Um, and so there are all these people dressed up in all these costumes. There were four men dressed up in absolute perfect recreations of these Jamaican bobsled suits. Um, oh. <laughs> I just wanted to hang with them. Like, dude, where did you get these suits from? They're awesome. Um, but yeah, for some reason they've been able to afford Adidas suits, which do look amazing though. I really do like the suits. I do like Sunky. I freeze in this, uh, <laughs> which he seems to be okay moving forward. But um, so Irv meets the judges. Crycheck has been dumped. We've got Kurt in there, bastard. Um, and then the time has been dropped down to one minute flat. Uh, and then I do love the way that uh, Irv is like, no problem, man. Uh, and now we keep hearing the words alliance, which now is this code for like the International Bobsled Federation or is this meant to be the IOC? I'm <coughs> assuming it's the Bobsled Federation. Yeah, well, I mean, it would have to be because these are all bobsledding guys, really. Yeah, no, not the IOC. They're a different, you know, poor old, um, oh, what's his name? Thomas Bach isn't there and he's Thomas cave Bach, yeah. turning into a bat or something like that. Um, Count, who, Count Bacula. Count Bacula. Who was the president in '88? It wasn't Juan Antonio, was it? He was in the 90s, so pff, whoever the president was before. I think it was, yeah, I think it was Larry. Larry, yeah, Larry. <laughs> Just Larry. <laughs> um, so, um, I really do like this scene, though, like the, the qualification thing. Just, like, no music, just the sound effects of them going down the track and, um, you know, just kind of the shots of Irv in the tower, you know, like when we see the start. It's like, what was that time? What was that time? Uh, and then when they cross the line, it's the way they remove their helmets and look up at the screen and, you know, Irv's like, was it under 60? Was it under 60? And then just when you see the time come up on the screen, was it 59.46? Uh, and then just the celebration, the cheering, and then we kind of get that one shot of Kurt, you know, the evil Kurt with his binoculars. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it's, it's, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know if you want to talk about this separately, but it's just such an effective scene, the way they do it. No music, no nothing. And it just, it just really works. Yeah, well, and then the whole council or alliance scene is great too, even though you look at it now and it, it seems pretty implausible. Um, I like when he, you know, the only time where race even factors into this movie, and again, something that I think that they could have gone further with, but they decided, you know, it's, it's better that you just make the story about these athletes or whatever. But when he says, I, I had no idea that four black guys in a sled could make you blush. And that guy shits himself. Um, He's like, I'm not a racist. Don't say yeah. that to me. <laughs> <laughs> He's so scared. Uh, like, oh my God, that's going on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but you don't. <laughs> um, 
Jamaican sledders matter. Hashtag. <laughs> Stop making fun of social issues, Ben and Colin. Move on. Uh, but it's it's a really good scene, even though I look at it now and it's probably the most implausible thing in the entire movie. But uh, the, the way that John Candy plays it is what really makes this work. And this is probably the one pure dramatic scene he has in the entire movie. Or I guess this along with the scene he has with Doris later on where he talks about why he cheated. But, I mean, this is a big scene for him. And I can't think of any type of scene John Candy's had, you know, comedy or drama that really can compare to, like, how memorable this was for me as a kid. Like, this is the one moment you always remember from the movie. Mm. Uh, and I-, I love the scene, even though it is implausible. And it, it also does build up that because they really haven't done much to make them underdogs at this point other than just the audience doubting, you know? Well, they've never been on ice. And you kind of do have to watch this in a way and think, do they actually belong here if they have no experience and they're competing at this? Because we see, oh, are they going to be able to get under a minute? Is this even possible? But, like, the teams who are actually competing are well under 55 seconds when you actually are in the Olympics. So you shouldn't really you know, be thinking that it's a pot. Like, if they can't make a minute, then they don't belong there, period, you know? Um, but the the whole trial scene where they are going down, and it's just the fact that, it's not, I don't know, would they ever have this at night? Would they have Olympic trials at night? Plus, this is, they say this is qualification, too. And another thing that kind of takes me out of the movie is that qualification will actually happen, like, as the uh, Olympics are going on. You may have it like one day before the game start or something like that. But these are things that are televised. I mean, the qualification is part of the competition. The fact that this is two weeks beforehand, they haven't even moved into their housing yet. A little bit unrealistic. But I still love that moment, you know, where they're going down. And it's it's just John Candy like, are they they under a minute? Are they under a minute? And just the way he freaks out is great. Uh, Yeah, All the stuff here. Now this has kind of become a sports movie. Up until now, it was fish out of water movie. And now it's become a sports movie. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Oh, and also... The, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, I think this is the part here where, I mean, we're sort of slowly seeing this thing build with Doris uh, getting behind, you know, the whole Swiss mentality and everything. Is this the one where he starts hitting all the guys in the head to pump them up? Uh, that, that's, or is that later? That's going to be in the first bit uh, when the, their first okay, yeah. day of the Olympics where they, they compete. Um, and the one that kind of, like, because you jumped ahead with that scene, but the, the one in the middle there was when they're painting the sled and uh, they're obviously, you oh, know, wait. they're naming it. Uh, you know, how about Tallulah? That sounds like a $2 hookah. That is my mother's name. <laughs> Which I love was... just the way, too, he goes, the way he mocks, he goes, Tallulah, Tallulah. <laughs> but I love how they're just there drinking and then, you know, like the guy shows up with the telegram, to the man in the orange suit, to the messenger. That's <laughs> <laughs> just the way John Gaines is like, we're officially disqualified. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. what? Uh, but and the the sled looks amazing. I mean, that is you know essentially what the sled did look like in the Olympics. So you know, kind of props to the uh, the the effects department. Well, not effects, but uh, the props department. <laughs> props to the props department <laughs> uh, for making it look really sick. But um, yeah, I, I just quickly on the the scene when he storms into the what is it the alliance? What's well, the alliance of winter sports? So I mean, this I'm guessing is meant to be the IOC. Then it's not just the alliance of bobsleds. It's <laughs> five guys. <laughs> Luge, bobsled, speed skating, <laughs> downhill, and ice hockey. There, <laughs> the ones that matter. <laughs> but I just love the way he storms into. Where's the security at this? Like this is, you know, who's the, who's the receptionist? What was what were they yeah. doing? Are they on a coffee break or something like that? But I, I do also love like you know the speech by John Candy. You know, it's what the Olympics are all about. Like it's like, oh yeah, good on you, John. 
Uh, then I just love the way he kind of cheaply says, sorry if I interrupted your meeting. <laughs> and he just walks out. Um, but yeah, the phone call in the room, you know, when he like gets the phone call from the Alliance. Oh, it was the Alliance. Oh, and it's like, oh, they said we're back in. <laughs> just the way he kind of plays that off is really cool. <laughs> Um, we get the opening ceremony, uh, we kind of get our first sort of, uh, shot back in Jamaica for the first time with the little kids in the little, uh, bar. Did I miss it? Did I miss it? No, child, you didn't miss anything. And there's the opening ceremony. Back when opening ceremonies were during the day. Uh, <laughs> remember that? Um, why do they, I think I actually remember asking this to Devin Harris about were Winter Olympics even broadcast in Jamaica? Uh, and he said no. So, like, I mean, this is a thing here where they're obviously broadcasting it. Uh, and it's it's very succinct. Well, they're watching. Package. Like, they're clearly watching the American feed too, though, because of the commentators. Are they are they well known commentators, or are they just actors who sound like really well known commentators? Oh, I have no idea. But I mean, I I just know that from being even in the Bahamas. I mean, you're you're just picking up random channels from U.S. and Canada. Like we picked up, you know, CBC, which is like the Canadian network, mm-hmm. when we were in Nassau. So, I mean, if they were watching it there, maybe it wasn't televised on the Jamaican TV, but they're obviously here watching like an American channel. <laughs> Otherwise, we would have just had like two Jamaican guys. Hey, man, welcome to Calgary, and here we go. Mm-hmm. Here come Jamaica in the stadium. <laughs> like, I want to see that. Um, I don't know if that was slightly racist or not, Ben, but I still think it would be funny to see <laughs> that coverage. All right. Uh, anyway, move on. But I, where did they get the big puffy jackets again? Did Adidas jump on board all of a sudden? <laughs> should they not just be walking in those ones that they bought at that 90% off shop before? Like, with a bit of sticky tape with a sticker on it saying Jamaica. Uh, yeah. So this is, this is obviously where the Jamaican Olympic Committee would have had to come on board. They would have had to be given a flag. Um, you know, like all the subtle little things. Um, but I like the bit where they kind of move into the the village and that little scene there where Junior's struggling with his bags. Come on, Junior, Junior. Uh, we get a win one for the Gipper speech, and was it Sanga? Who's the Gipper? Who's the Gipper? <laughs> no, I want to see actually if I can find the full speech here by John Candy. I don't know if you have it. Surely there's a quote here somewhere on one of these websites of like actual word for word of his little prayer where it's like our father be out in calgary bobsled be his name um <laughs> it's somewhere it's got to be here i will be done uh gold medals um, one gold medals one yeah. <laughs> uh, here it is our father who art in calgary bobsled be thy name thy kingdom come gold medals one on Earth as it is in turn seven, with liberty and justice for Jamaica and Halle Selassie. Amen. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but like, I love the way John Candy delivers it so calmly as well. Um, so, yeah, anyway, but then all of a sudden we get a knock on the door, and who is it? Is it Yosef Gruel? Is it, is it um, other evil people? Is it Larry? Uh, no, it's Junior's dad, whose name is apparently is Whitby, Whitby Bevel. Whitby, uh, Whitby, Whitby, Whitby. <laughs> who sadly is not. Tallulah and Whitby. Can we just point out that uh, the actor Charles Hyatt, who played Whitby, is dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like it's a disgrace to his memory. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm just looking here. What else he's been in? Oh, he was in um, the Bush Baby. Of course, he was. Uh, <laughs> And the marijuana affair. Yep. Uh, <laughs> just great movies. Anyway, um, so he's there. He's basically telling Junior to come home. 
And this is where Junior stands up to him in the elevator. You know, tell me, Father, when you look at me, what do you see? I see a lost little boy who's lucky he has a father who knows I'm not a boy. I'm a man and I'm an Olympian and I'm staying right here. And it's like, yeah, you tell him, Junior. And then obviously we've got uh, Yule kind of in the background. Junior, you're a badass mother. Now, I'm guessing this is the other scene you're talking about between these two. Yeah. 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 I love it. It's great. And I, I mean, can I just point out, Dick... Whitby moment because like he's literally just said his son walk into a stadium he's just basically costing jamaica like imagine if let's just be honest junior goes through with it he's not a badass mother he's a little bitch and he goes home so jamaica like controversy in jamaica bobsled father says no uh, so john candy has to get in the sled instead i don't know like you know he's just basically costing his entire nation a shot at olympic glory here fuck you whitby yeah. devil Whitby. <laughs> Whitby, Whitby. Whitby. <laughs> like, what a dumb name is Whitby. I'm sorry if that's like a traditional Jamaican name, but I mean, it's, it's dumb. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you um, want to say anything here. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got, I mean, if I'll just talk about a couple of these scenes here. Um, the, the opening ceremonies, you do have to ask the question, which one of them was carrying the flag? Did you notice? I think it's Doris. I think Doris is the flag bearer. Okay, so, I mean, they really only have, you know, three other options for who's holding it in the closing ceremonies regardless. I've always find it interesting when you see these countries that they send one athlete. It's like, is the one guy going to be opening and closing ceremonies or whatever? But, I mean, this must have been where the public picked up on, and I wish that I was, you know, watching the Olympics during this time. Uh, but, I mean, I would assume just seeing them, like, you know, who was the one, um, the, the shirtless guy in the Rio Olympics? That got, uh, Tonga. Was it from Samoa? Was it Tonga, I think? Tonga? From Tonga, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, it was like one of the few athletes from Tonga, and he's got, if, if not the only one, this big shirtless guy. I mean, those types of things is what gets people's attention. So that's mm. probably where this whole fame of the Jamaican bobsled team kind of started here. Um, there really is no an explanation for where they get the stuff based on how the movie's telling the story with Adidas and all that. <laughs> but, um yeah, I, I, I like the scene where his dad shows up and everything, even though you do have to ask, it's probably a, at least a week earlier when he saw this newspaper clipping or whatever. Why did it take him like a week to get to Calgary? He walked. <laughs> he walked from Jamaica <laughs> to Calgary. <laughs> it's it, something that didn't bother me as a kid. Then I watch it now. I'm like, this is a long time before his dad re-entered the movie here. But I mean, it's such a great scene, especially when he's whispering to himself, right? As the elevator doors closing, he's like, I see pride. I see power. Like really heroic moments like this, that that just uh, is what makes sports movies. And this one too. And I I love that relationship they have between the two guys. Um, What other scenes did we talk about here? Did we talk about the, well, we're just about uh, to start with their, their first one. Uh, basically, yeah, just the opening ceremony and just that scene, you, the the prayer, if you wanted to mention anything about that. Yeah, at all. yeah the prayer. I mean, it's a hilarious scene. And again, it's just something to pump you up in these sports movies. Um, I can't remember if it was at this point or not, but uh, maybe it was right before the opening ceremonies. But I just like the little things they throw in there, like the, the bear mascots you see. I mean, yeah. it's not like a lot of people are going to be watching this movie, like, I gotta see the mascots. Like, they're gonna even remember the mascots. There's only people like me and you who are like, those are the mascots from the Calgary Olympics. Uh, and then the pins. Like, that's another big thing that yeah. I didn't re- realize till the, um, the the Canada Games here this past year. Is like, pin trading was a huge thing where you would just oh, go so to, like, the, the festival. Yeah, like, and the festival we had at the Canada Games, you'd go there and you would be making trades with people. Like, I'm, I'm looking at a few I have on my desk here that I thought I lost. I'm like, 
I got a coach's pin from Nunavut and an athlete's pin from Nunavut. And it's like, I could go up there and say, okay, I'll trade you a Nunavut for a British Columbia. I mean, it's huge at these games. It just, the details like that they throw in, it, you, you can forgive them for the other things that maybe are a little bit unrealistic. But that's for Olympic nerds like us and the well, 14 people from off the podium that <laughs> listen to this. That's our entire listenership base. Uh, no, I... <laughs> I've always wanted to collect Olympic pins because, I mean, that's always, they always joke and say that's the one unofficial sport. And um, I remember one time my mum kind of went through this period of really collecting pins. And I think it's behind me somewhere. She like framed all these pins she got, but she got a bunch of Olympic ones off eBay. I have a somewhere like a uh, hundred days to go or some something amount of days to go before the Sydney Olympics. And they all became sort of like worth a bit of money. Um, and then when I went to... Uh, the Coca-Cola factory in Atlanta, they had a whole thing about, like, you know, Coke sponsorship of the Olympics, and they had all these pins and everything like that. So, um, yeah, I really like that bit too. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it would be really cool to be able to go to Olympics in general, but just, like, be one of these real pin trader people, because all the country's doing... There was um uh, also, too, when I was in Vancouver, I did a tour of the... Is it Rogers Center that had the opening ceremony? Rogers, Rogers something. Um, Rogers Place, I think it was. Um, it used to be BC Place. I don't know the name now. Whatever the stadium was. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, but they had like a, yeah. an exhibition there about the Olympics. And uh, they had this mm-hmm. draw thing where you could pull it out and see all the different pins from different countries from the Winter Olympics. So that was really cool. Um, you know, another thing, just before I forget, you mentioned like the opening ceremonies during daytime. I'm going back over because I've even I would go to bed sometimes at night and I just put on YouTube and put on like an old opening ceremonies. And maybe I'd never seen and just fall asleep to that. Mm-hmm. So I've watched opening ceremonies from, you know, Moscow and uh, Los Angeles and uh, Seoul and everything. This was, as far as I could tell, the last daytime opening ceremonies they had. Because uh, I think Albertville was a nighttime one. Barcelona was night. I'll have to. I I'm going to look up Barcelona was right day, now. Wasn't it? Because they had that famous Let's archer see. with the the arrow. I, I, I remember that as nighttime. Maybe I'm here. just drunk. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> as you are in most of our episodes. Yes. Uh, it looks like it was kind of done around sundown. So Dusk. Maybe a combination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I guess it started during daytime. Ended. Yeah. But so. I guess maybe the last pure daytime, the one they had, but this is the end. Yeah, because I'm looking right here. Barcelona started during the day, ended at night. So last pure daytime uh, opening ceremonies would have been Calgary and Seoul. Seoul. Yeah, it's interesting. It's very interesting. I mean, it's it's a lot more spectacle, spectacular at night, obviously. Uh, and I mean, what Vancouver was the only one to ever be indoors, wasn't it? Because that was that was a roof stadium, so that was you know interesting in itself. Um, but the thing I always find interesting about the opening ceremonies for Winter Games is. Because, like, unlike the summer games where you're going to have athletics in your stadium, um, or other sports, obviously Rio is a bit different, but you don't really have sports in your opening ceremony stadium, do you? Yeah. Because um, the, only, the only winter opening ceremony stadium I've been to uh, was the one in Salt Lake, we, and that was just at um, the Utah University. And it's like, you're kind of there at this university, like, holy crap, this stadium here, it's not that big. Like, this hosted the Olympic Games. <laughs> it's like, that's kind of crazy. Uh, and I was actually looking up footage last night with Mallory of, um, cause she's from Victoria in Canada and they had the 94 Commonwealth Games. So we found the opening ceremony of the 1994 Commonwealth Games. Oh. And it was like, I straight away said, I'm like, oh, where's that? And she's like, oh, that's just at the, you know, the University of BC. I'm like, all right. <laughs> I'm just thinking the University of Tasmania hosting an opening ceremony. No. Um, so just. I remember watching those opening ceremonies too. Also during the daytime, correct? Yes. Yeah, no, it was. It was. It was during. The- I think Kuala Lumpur might have been daytime too. 
from memory. And a lot of that also probably comes down to time zones as well for TV purposes. But um, anyway, <laughs> we listened off the podium for our history of opening ceremonies. Well, that day, <laughs> were they at night? But I mean, I do like one thing just on this topic though, like because we're here at the first day of the Olympics on in the movie. But I, I like it. Like when I mentioned this in Itonia, I liked it how when they showed her at the '92 Olympics and the '94 Olympics, you had the right logos. Like you had the Alberville logo, you had the Lillehammer logo. Obviously, they didn't get the rights to the Olympic rings because they had a weird logo for that. But here, like you yeah. do see the bears, you see the the Calgary, the writing. It's a lot more prominent in Eddie the Eagle when he's competing. You see a lot more of the Calgary logos and things like that. Um, but I, I don't know, just little subtle little things like that. I really like that they do. They go out of their way to make it realistic. Um, so yeah, there's that for that. But I, I, I like this kind of. I, we can lump a fair bit of this together because this is kind of the last parts of the movie here. Uh, the, obviously, mm-hmm. the obvious mistake here for those at home wanting to play about bobsled. Uh, they. Painted out this three days worth of competition here. Not true. It's <laughs> is it over two days, but four runs over two days. Am I not mistaken in saying? Yeah, that? you have two on the first day, two on the second. Yeah, so a bit of creative licensing going on here for bobsled. Uh, but I, I do like this opening bit, like as you said with the pins. I like Sunga here. I'm feeling very Olympic today. How about you? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I like kind of the cut back to Jamaica where everybody's watching it on the TV. You got these two like American sport. I like I like the sports casters though. Uh, what does he mm. open up the broadcast with? Oh, Canada, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but these, our these, home and native <laughs> land yeah, true patriot love <laughs> in just, all thy son's command <laughs> um but i do like when he's there and he's like talking about like jamaicans there's a lot of people here who feel the jamaicans shouldn't be here and everyone's like boo 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 <laughs> um but this is yeah the bit where Doris is banging him over the head and he's like what are you doing man oh this is this is what the swiss yeah. do to suck themselves up they also make those little pocket knives too <laughs> I, love I love the way he says it um, but yeah, so we get the, their opening run, which the commentators become a bit of dicks when they're laughing. Like, I know it's not funny, but this is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I do like the way when they're commentating them going down the run. Uh, what, I don't remember what he says, but the one woman says, that fool better watch his mouth. He better watch more than that. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. Goes off at the TV. They cross the line, a 58-9-4, which is good enough for last place. But let's be honest, that's a personal best for the Jamaicans. It just improved their yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. So, like, they should I mean, be you celebrating. Need a minute to qualify. I mean, this is this is well above qualification time. Which is, which okay, I get why they're disappointed. But, like, the thing that kind of we've talked about this whole time, in real life, they were accepted. They were like, yes, let's do this. It's a story in itself that they're even there. From this point on, like you said, it's a sports movie, but it's always kind of implied, isn't it, that they're in a chance of winning a medal, which, in realistic terms, they're not going to be like they've just picked yeah. the sport up so like if this was real life i honestly think they actually would be happy because they've improved their time by a minute a uh, minute a second um they've essentially you know know they've got room for improvement because of their bad start and everything along those lines so i don't know like i get why they've been betrayed as being disappointed and you know it was like you choked you had you know yours are the taking and you choked but i don't know i just feel as though they're being at this point like would they really want to be that disappointed? Oh, you were asking me. I, yes, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're in the Olympics. Um, if this were, you know, track and field, I guess all three of these guys would be expecting to be a medal contention. But, like, 
there's no uh, the, the commentators i mean for one they would never be laughing i remember <laughs> a controversy this was not even like a canadian thing this was like worldwide um where there were some commentators from england and i think it was in like um, a snowboarding event and you know the, the british one was like uh in first place and then the only last one to go was like on pace to beat them and then they wiped out and the commentators started cheering like yes yes they wiped out that means england wins right <laughs> and that became like this huge controversy so like yeah. there is no way that these commentators even kind of chuckle at this but it's effective for the movie at least uh i i, I don't know i i like I like the way that they build them as the underdogs here, but this is the one section of the movie where it almost goes a little bit too far. But as a kid, you don't care that there's no way that they're contenders in this. I mean, you, mm. you just you want to see them bobsled. And the next run that comes, I mean, that's you know so effective in the movie, even though, again, it's completely unrealistic. And like this is why I said it earlier on, that I always kind of get sad in this movie that they don't win a medal, because I think it's kind of like you, yeah. you, the way it is built up, you kind of think that they're going to win one. It's like, oh, great. But, um, you know, it obviously doesn't happen. Uh, there was a similar thing here uh, during the Vancouver Games when uh, Lydia Lassler won the gold. Uh, I remember watching it live, and she basically, she'd landed, she'd done really well, she was in first place, but I think there were two more to come after her, and both of them crashed, and um, basically our commentators were essentially cheering, but then they kept apologizing. Mm. Oh, sorry, sorry, I know we shouldn't be, I know we shouldn't be, but this is great for yeah. Lydia Lassler. <laughs> but that's what I love about the Winter Olympics. It is kind of a sport where you sort of do need to cheer for people to fall. So, you know, it's so many different sports. I will say, in real life, um, after the first run, Jamaica were in 24th out of 26 competitors. They weren't last. Uh, and can I just say that they were ahead of Australia uh, after one run and <laughs> Portugal, but just behind New Zealand. Um, but after one run, uh, Canada won. We're in third place. So Canada choked more so than the Jamaicans here because <laughs> they eventually went on to finish 15th. So, um, God, Canada, pull it together. Um, but we Come get this on, We get this scene. I like the hotel, but, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Irv going off them. But this is kind of Dougie Doug's moment, isn't it, of the movie where, you know, they're, they're talking up their own style about, you know, being Jamaicans and, you oh, know, God. kissing an egg is no kind of style. And Because it's really been a while since I feel we've had Sanka Darice scene. So this is it. This is, you know, them, you know, come on, champ, we're going to do this. Let's have our own style. Um, which kind of beads, leads us in here to the uh, the second day, which is just great, the way it kind of starts off and them, you know, singing the Jamaican bobsled chant and there's old Irv laughing and just the music here. This, this is music really gives me goosebumps. Bumps. I'm apparently where, I don't know where I'm from right now. Um <laughs> But uh, I love I love the random shot of Joseph Gruel smoking. Like he's such an <laughs> athlete, the bobsledders are chowing down on a Marlboro before their big Olympic event. Uh, and the East Germans went on to win silver. So um, there you go. <laughs> but uh, obviously, this leads us into the second run where they they go faster than the Swiss on their start. The music, it's so good. 56-5-3. Did you hear that time? Yeah! <laughs> like, uh, shakes that random guy. They've moved up to eighth place. Oh, and I just also love the line in the commentators. Where do these guys come from? Jamaica! <laughs> oh, that's a trailer moment right there. Oh, uh, so good. Uh, and then that line at the end. Watch out, world. The Jamaicans are coming. 
Um, and this obviously leads to the hotel scene. You know, the you've mentioned it a few times, the Irv and Doris scene. You know, everyone's going out for dinner, but he wants to stay there and stare at the turns of the... Fo- how, how do they get the photos of those turns? Does somebody just walk along the track? <laughs> click! Track, 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 click! <laughs> like, you know, for the Bob's letters. Uh, and this is the scene, you know, why, why did you cheat? Because I wanted to win. Fair enough, get me some dinner. <laughs> yeah. But I shouldn't really tell. It's a great scene, and, you know, it's obviously the line of, you know, oh, if you're not enough with it, without a gold medal, you'll never be enough with it. Uh, and how will I know, Coach, when you cross that finish line? You'll know. Like, again, you guys are saying that perfectly before about, for men, a lot of these movies that make you emotional, these sporting, these big speeches, and, you know, that's not your yeah. big stirring, but still, it's enough there to be like, yeah, you go win the gold, Doris! You do it for Jamaica, <laughs> Doris! <laughs> like you're just so pumped up at this moment um, I mean I'll close here Because I'll, I'll wrap it all up in the last bit But um, you know it's it's a fun The music just so good This is the part as I said I always am like yeah Jamaica's going to win a medal It's so good Realistically Jamaica were never in with a shot of winning a medal folks But um, no. it's still just It's so well done I, I just love this whole sequence Well I mean you have it there in front of you But uh, one of the runs they had They were in dead last Do you remember which one that was? That uh, the second run, let's see here. The second run they did it was second last. The third one is where they crashed, so that's probably dead last. And they oh, okay, they didn't. I do mean, a so they run. were they were their best run was their first one, which is the exact yeah. opposite of this movie exactly. here. And they were exactly. third last. But yeah. uh, I mean, again, you don't really care because the funny thing is, you could say, well, this movie made them out to be bigger than they were, but. The movie is actually more about how the public got behind them and how even their country got behind them. So, I mean, I can forgive them for the fact that, yeah, they're showing that they were eighth place after their second run. But the movie's not really about that. And I don't feel like the movie even really dwells on that. It's not like, other than the commentators having one loose remark about, oh, these guys are real contenders or whatever. Um, by the way, I also I love that moment, even though it's probably not real news footage. It probably is from the movie where uh, the, the guy takes off his jacket and he's got the Jamaica shirt and the oh, other yeah, guy yeah. has the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So much fun the way they have these commentators. And the commentators have to sell them because what else do you do? You can't show actors during a bobsled run because the thing's over within a minute. And, you know, you could show their coach, I guess, but what's he going to be doing? He's like, go, guys, go. Come on. No faster. No. <laughs> what if he just did this thing? No. No, Badgeries. Badgeries. <laughs> Batteries, batteries! No, yes. <laughs> Only a fool would put their money on Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really have that. So the commentators are important, and they bring a lot to this movie. Um, I mean, the 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 first runs, you know, it shows us how bad they are, or whatever. But I'm still looking at it, thinking like, you know, they got in the sled within ten seconds. I guess that was twice as fast as it was the normal time. But I mean. I've seen some bad people on bob. It's not like this would have been the worst thing they've ever seen in bobsledding. I mean, there's probably some people they just slip, you know, right at the beginning, and it's on a blooper reel on like Irv's reel to reel video he's showing them <laughs> earlier on or something. There's much worse things in this sport, but uh, I don't know. The second one's just so exciting, and it's probably the best piece of music in the movie too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's exciting because the commentators. I mean, everything's happening, and plus the time they had. Like, do you remember what the movie showed their uh, start time as? Oh, I haven't read it down, but it was very fast. Because, <laughs> I mean, I looked at the YouTube footage of uh, one of their or I guess it was a compilation of all their runs, and their fastest start time was like 5.32 or something like that, which if the movie is being honest about what the start times were at that point, I mean, 
then this experiment with getting Jamaican sprinters on ice worked yeah. because even if they were in like 24th or whatever, that's lack of experiences with driving. Their start time, which is what this whole argument was based on, was incredible. And I mean, it's just unfortunate that maybe just, you know, lack of funding or whatever or trainings just never paid off for them in the long run. But that idea, I guess, it was proven here in Calgary. And nobody, like you said earlier, nobody would really expect them to win. So uh, yet maybe as a kid, you're like, oh, I really want them to win or whatever. But I mean, it's not realistic. I don't think anybody was expecting it, which is why I think it's a good thing that they they downplay their chances of success so much. Even even when they come in eighth, there's really no scenes after that where they're saying we could win a medal tomorrow. There's really just a one scene of Doris just trying to be the best he could be. And everything the movie says after that one good run they have going forward uh, in that scene with with John Candy and Leon is it, it's not about do we even have a chance to win that that never even comes up. It's just if you don't if you can't be enough without winning, then you'll never be enough with winning. Yeah, and that's kind of the whole message of this movie. And again, just John Candy, his dramatic skills here is fantastic. Uh, you know, Leon with no experience, great in this scene with John Candy, uh, and it just it perfectly sets up the movie because the audience for this was going to be kids, and kids were going to be crushed when they didn't win. And if you didn't have that scene where you realize the entire purpose is this lesson, this you know Mr. Miyagi like lesson of uh, it's okay to lose then yeah your your child audience is going to just revolt and there's there's going to be riots in theaters everywhere with nine-year-olds which is it's unique about all four of these films that we're covering if you think about it, it's only really miracle spoiler alert they win the gold medal um yeah where like none of these movies are basically the happy ending where they ultimately come out with the gold medal is it i mean i Tonya, definitely not uh you know eddie the eagle definitely not cool running's definitely not so it's only going to be miracle mm. where they will win but you still all come out of all of them. I mean, Iton is a bit of a different one compared to the other three where you come out with a positive feeling. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of, you know, where it, where it works. Um, but, yeah, I'm just looking here. If they, if they actually did a 56-5-3 on their second run in real life, they would have that would have been the fastest time of all, the second runs. Um, yeah. And out of all the times on all four runs in real life, uh, the third run was the fastest from everybody. Fifty-six five three was what the Italians did, and they were in tenth on their third run. Um, so yeah, that I mean, it was a bloody fast time. But uh, in real life, they mm. didn't get anywhere near it, obviously. Um, but there we obviously get this great sort of the final day. Um, you know, you said obviously you've got the um the commentators open the shirt. They've they've made these t-shirts pretty quickly. Jamaican bobsled yeah. t-shirts, which I mean, look. <laughs> I, I would love one of those. I'm sure they're probably on YouTube. Someone's recreated them, so I'd love that. I think they look like a cool T-shirt. Um, and I, I love it. You know, you know, I've worked it out what cost them the win. It's when Yule kisses the egg because he's he's refrained all movie, and it's bad juju. That's right. He kisses the yep. egg, and then that cost them the win. All right? Yule, you, you, you're good all movie, but now you cost them the medal. All right? Um, but the music, it's great. Um, they obviously, you know, get ready. I love the cutback to Jamaica with that woman. I don't even know her name. She's like, everybody be quiet. My boy is on TV. Yeah. <laughs> Just love her. Um, and, and the guy showing up too. Yes. Oh the, yeah. The, the Olympic, the Olympic guy. guy. Yes, of course. You know, finally it's like, oh, they're not embarrassing us. <laughs> they're all bandwagoners. Let's be honest. Um, but obviously, you know, they're on the start, another great start by them. It's all dramatic. The music here, it's building it all up to it. Even the comment, these are the worst commentators. They're laughing at them at the start. They're being biased in the middle of it. Oh, what the hell? Go champ. 
Yeah. <laughs> I want to see that during Pyeongchang Winter Games. Like, the Australian, you know, Bruce McAvady, you won't know who that is, but, like, he just all of a sudden opens Why up not? his jacket. Like, you know, come on, New Zealand! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, anybody but New Zealand, right? <laughs> well, that would cause controversy in itself. But obviously, you know, it's great that here they are. They're, you know, looking like they're on time. They're going to get a medal. But uh, we kind of get these, like, close-up shots of the, the sled, the, what do you call it, the the rail? What's that? The the skate bit on the sled is kind of being wobbly. Um, and, you know, a bit of a nut and a bolt's coming out. They bump into a wall, and all of a sudden, things are going bad. What's happening? Oh, no, will they survive? Will they last it? And, no, it crashes. And what's really good is we've mentioned a few times, I actually do cross this with real footage of the actual race yeah. from 1988, so it's really good. And it actually is real footage of them crashing, because in real life they did crash. It wasn't actually a technical fault of the sled. It was a driver error in real life. Uh, but it's it's shot so well, like the scene where you kind of see their helmets like squ- you know scratching against the ice and how fast they're doing it, the noises. Again, just the way the music stops in the crash scene, it's just so effective. Uh, and then obviously we kind of get this scene, you know, the uplifting music, you know, Doris, you're dead, no man, and I've got to finish the race. Um, you know, they get up the music, they lift the sled up, they walk over the line, we get the slow clap, it's uplifting, everybody's cheering, there's flags everywhere, I can count at least three Australian flags in the crowd, just pointing that out to the Australians at home, uh, they cross the line, and they, you know, everybody's hugging, uh, even Joseph Gruel's, you know, doing it, I've written here, Alliance Prick Claps, Kurt, um, Junior's dad's there, he's got the t-shirt on, and then we get that great line from Joseph Gruel, we'll see you again in four years, yeah? Yeah, man. Uh, and then I do like the line with Yule, you know, it doesn't mean that they like you, and they still hug. Sanka kisses the egg, and then we get this great uplifting moment of Irv and Darice hugging. Thank you. No, thank you. Uh, we get the photo, and then they put the photo up on the wall, and we get the line at the end that they return home as heroes, and they return to the Olympics four years' time as equals. So good. Like, just it always leaves you with a happy feeling, even though they don't win a medal. Um, yeah. And, I mean, the creative licensing a little bit there of them lifting the sled over the line. In real life, they did push the sled over the line. So, uh, you know, there is a bit A of, couple of them. A couple of them. The <laughs> rest were just like, ah, fuck this. I'm going back home to Jamaica. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's still... It's a nice little thing that they do, lifting it over the line like that. It's very Disney. It's very sports movie, mm-hmm. but it still works. But, um, God, I love this movie. Do you do you still get choked up a little bit watching them carry the sled across? I'm thinking it right I now. The too. music, just just the music, just yeah. everything about it. Like you can watch this movie a hundred times in a day, and it's still just you're like, wow, this movie. Like fuck yeah, I want to be a bobsledder. Yeah, and now as a kid, did you have the same reaction, or did you have disappointment? I mean, I was disappointed, of course, but I think that disappointment overcomes it when you get like the way they sort of do it. You know what I mean? So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely do remember watching this the first time going, they didn't win a medal! Um, but then again, <laughs> the message is it's not about winning a medal. It's about carrying your sled over the line and making sure your egg survived the crash. Yeah. Which, how did yeah, it if do only all the other, If only the other loser teams had done that, maybe they had a movie made about Netherlands them. Netherlands Antilles. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... I mean, I, I think most kids probably had the same reaction. That's where you can tell if it's really effective because you take a movie like Rocky. Rocky was not made for kids. Uh, and I can remember as a kid watching Rocky and in the first one, he loses the fight. But for him, it wasn't about him losing. I mean, as much as I love the first Rocky movie, I think I always preferred the endings of Rocky 2 or 3 or 4 where 
you know, he won the fight in the end and it was his big triumphant moment. Now as an adult, I look back on it and I'm like, the ending of one is the best because, you know, he didn't need to win. That's not what it was about for him. And it's more effective that way. I think the most effective type of ending like this is if you can be a kid, watch this and you're happy. And that's kind of uh, the way I watched with his. I had the same reaction where I'm like, I wanted them to win. But it was more like I would think to myself uh, every time I watched the ending, I, I wonder what it would have been like if they had won. Or isn't it yeah. disappointing they didn't win? You're thinking about the true story. Wouldn't it have been great if they didn't crash? Um, but yet the ending totally holds up now. And I mean, even as a kid, I just loved the fact that, you know, they, they lost and carried this across the finish line, you know? And I probably didn't even catch as a kid the whole thing about, you know, if you can't be enough with the, without the gold medal, you won't be enough with it. I never caught that as a kid. It's just it's it's done so well with the music, as you said, and the slow mo. But I will say one of the things this movie really loses now is that slow applause that starts. Hmm. And it's not the applause because if you watch the real footage, that kind of happened. There was applause, but it was more just like you know you hear a handful of people sort of clapping them as in cheering them on to cross the finish line. And the way this is, it's like it's been so overdone in the years since where you just have the one person who's like, and in reality, if you're going to clap, nobody claps like this. (laughs) It's like a rhythm thing. (laughs) Yeah. And then it slowly picks up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah! Jamaica. (laughs) When I saw it in cool runnings, I was like, I love this. You see it so many times. I'm like, there's probably like, dozens of times the movies have done this and it's not the cool ring started it was just maybe the first one that i saw but it's just oh it's just it, it gets annoying to watch that for me now so i i don't know as an adult watching this movie i probably in 2018 would want to see just like in reality where they were just sort of clapping them and cheering them on it's okay you guys can do it but i mean this is what the whole story was i mean this movie was sold based on the idea of Jamaicans learning to bobsled because they're sprinters and this crash that ended it all. And I don't, I I know a lot of people are aware that this isn't a true story and that it's totally different in real life, but have you ever really met anybody who cared? Me? Uh, No. (laughs) I mean, it's a good point. You can nitpick. But like nobody really is like, oh, that movie, it didn't get any of the real story right. Because the real story people care about was simply that. They were were a last place team. Nobody was going to know any other story other than they're Jamaicans who are bobsledding and they crashed and carried their sled or pushed it across the finish line, you know? I mean, that's really all that that stuck out for people. So that's the heroic story. So, I mean, does anybody really care that everything else has changed? Yeah, I mean, mean, it is true. And it's kind of, it's it's one of these things that I guess when they release a film, they can probably get away with a lot more in terms of that people, it's probably the time. If this was released now, I mean, you're seeing it with Itonia. I mean, there's about 30 articles every single day about, oh, truth versus fiction. What really happened in Itonia and what didn't? Whereas obviously, you know, (laughs) this is different because it's released in 1993 when, you know, Canada were just getting telegrams still. So, like, I mean, you had to go back into encyclopedias of five years previously. Um, but it's it's kind of a thing where it's, like, it's, it's different in the age of the internet where you can tell this and all that sort of stuff. And I would probably find, like, y- you know, media is a lot different now. Like, we're seeing Tonya Harding is legitimately going on press tours with Margot Robbie to kind of, you know, do comparisons. Yeah. Whereas I, I don't know if in 1993 Devin Harris was, you know, sitting next to Dougie Doug. Like, you know, like, oh, tell me, Doug, will you be starring in a movie about a cat soon? Um, so, Please tell me you have a cat. I 
love Disney movies with animals. <laughs> and it's that darn cat. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is like, it's, it's one of these things that I feel it's slowly over the years, the truth is coming out. And But I mean, I think the thing that we haven't really kind of established is, like, this is only set five years after this thing happened in real life. Like, this is like right now, somebody making a movie about something that happened in Sochi essentially, uh, mm-hmm. which it's not that long if you kind of think about it, that it's kind of the gap oh, yeah. between these, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a handful of years. There had only been one, or, or I guess because they split the years, there have been two Winter Olympics since then, but there had only been one new Olympic year since yeah. this happened. So if they made a movie right now, yeah, Sochi, that would be the best comparison. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, so that's cool runnings. Uh, I don't know if you have anything. Obviously, the song at the end, as you mentioned before, I can see clearly now. Jimmy Cliff, the esteemed mm. Jimmy Cliff. Um, oh, I love it. Made the top 40 in Canada, France, and the UK. Cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, in Australia, it made it to 17. Uh, Canada, <laughs> it made it to 16. So there you go. Uh, oh, it went to number one in New Zealand, but it doesn't mention in that thing I just read. <laughs> Anyway, they, anything goes to number one. In, I had a song that went to number one in New Zealand. Um, this, uh, in terms of the reviews uh, on Rotten Tomatoes right now, it's at 75%, uh, and 81% on the audience uh, scale, so it uh, holds up quite well. Um, the, where am I seeing here? The site's consensus is that it rises above its formulaic sports movie themes with charming performances, light humour, and uplifting tone. It actually was nominated to be on the AFI's 100 Years, 100 Cheers list uh, mm. in 2006, as well as the top 10 for a sports film. That's the American Film Institute. So that's pretty decent. It obviously holds up quite well. Uh, it debu- debuted at number three at the box office. And I'm just looking here. It opened up against uh, Malice. Um Never heard of that movie. Um, for Love of Money, A Bronx Tale, M Butterfly, and Freaked were the ones that opened that weekend. Um, other can movie- we can we just do something here? Do you have the top ten box office that week? Yes, I do. Okay, I'm looking at it too. Uh, can you just run down the movies here and tell me, regardless of how much money Cool Running's made, we talked about Great 1993 was a year. Tell me how many classics stick out in this list. Okay, Malice, never heard of it. The Good Son, I think I've heard Macaulay of it. Macaulay Culkin. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yep, Cool Runnings, The Program, I feel that sounds familiar. Sports movie, but not like a classic. Age of Innocence, couldn't tell you. Uh, for Love or Money, no idea. A Bronx Tale, I've heard of that. Couldn't tell you what it's about. The Fugitive, uh, that was its ninth week one. at the cinema. Uh, still made $3 million. The Joy Luck Club, that was a movie my mum used to watch. Um <laughs> And in 10th place, Striking Distance. But more importantly, Colin, in 11th, come on, in its 17th week at the movies, Jurassic Park still was making yeah. over a million dollars. Um, so, yeah, not a very good weekend, that one. October 1 Not to a very 3. good fall. I mean, we're looking at movies that have been out for weeks, and, like, I've never heard of half of these. So, it actually made $68 million uh, on a production budget of $14 million. Globally, it actually made more. It made 86 uh, in the foreign market, so a total of $154 million it made. Uh, in 1993, it was the 15th highest grossing movie, split between Grumpy Old Men, great movie, and Dave, great movie. 
Um, <laughs> so the top ten that year, I mean, we went through this, didn't we? Jurassic Park, obviously, Mrs. Doubtfire, The Fugitive, The Firm, Sleepless in Seattle, Indecent Proposal, The Line of Fire, The Pelican Brief, Schindler's List, and Cliffhanger, Free Willy, number 11, Philadelphia, 12, Groundhog Day, 13. Oh, <laughs> God, 93, good year. Uh, sports-wise, a sports movie, Coach, I don't know why. Oh, sports movies with the coach as a main character. Uh, this was the <laughs> very specific on Box Office Mojo with their lists. Uh, the fourth highest grossing sports coach movie behind Any Given Sunday, The Rookie, and Remember the Titans does finish two spots ahead of Miracle, uh, as well as, uh, what's that, four, six spots ahead of The Mighty Ducks. So there you go. Um, Eddie the Eagle not on this list. Um, oh, Eddie. Oh, no, Eddie's the Whoopi Goldberg movie that I like. That's a good movie. Uh, and sports <laughs> Olympics movies... So this is the second most successful. Now, okay, number one on this list, they have Blades of Glory. Now, it's not technically the Olympics in Blades of Glory because they didn't get the rights for the Olympics. So they had to call it, what, like the Winter Games or something like that. So take out Blades of Glory. This is the most successful sporting Olympic movie of all time. Just ahead of Miracle, uh, Chariots of Fire, The Cutting Edge, Race, and Eddie the Eagle. Eddie the Eagle made $15 million in America. (laughs) <laughs> I, Tanya has made $15 million already. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> interesting. Uh, and the sports comedy, uh, this is ranked at number eight. Uh, behind White Man Can't Jump. There you go. So ah. uh, there you go. Uh, now, unless you have anything to add on any of this, if, you, if people at home do want to read uh, more into the differences between the real life and the movie. There's a great bit on Wikipedia. And we've also going to link our Devin Harris interview with the real life Jamaican bobsledder on our page. If you are not an off the podium fan, uh, you can obviously check that out there. But, uh, we told everybody what we were doing with this movie at the end of the last movie, didn't we? Uh, with our rating. Buy it. Buy it. There's no question here. Uh, <laughs> nothing changed your opinion of this, Colin, during our recap. Oh, not at all. I mean, it's funny. I, when I watched the movie, as I said, I came up with some complaints. And as we go through this, I'm like, the good stuff so outweighs the bad. I mean, yeah. this this movie is such a buy it. It honestly might be my top 10 favorite movies of all time. And I'm not even stretching that. I can just watch this movie forever and just never get sick of it. Um, so, yeah, that's cool runnings. Uh, but next week, are we doing Miracle next week? We're doing Miracle next week. Uh, yes, Miracle. Now, my history with this, I've seen it once. I think it was on TV once and I enjoyed it. I love hockey. I, in, I've i read about this story before. I know that the uh, the team sort of lit the torch at the 2002 Winter Games, and I think I did watch a documentary on it once. It's very uplifting. They might have done a 30 for 30 on this on ESPN. Uh, but, yeah, so that's my history, so I'm looking forward to seeing it again. But you've obviously got a bit more of a history with this movie than I do. Yeah, well, I remember watching this when it first came out and just loving the movie. And it's not one of these things where I've seen a million times, like, cool runnings. But, like, every couple years, I'll go back and watch it. I mean, definitely before every Olympics. I don't think I've seen this since just before the Sochi Olympics. But I think what's most unique about this movie, especially in comparison to the other ones we're doing, is it's not really a funny movie. I mean, it's 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 probably more closer aligned with Rocky, where it's just your feel-good sports movie. Um but also just this was kind of the revival of Kurt Russell's career and people don't really remember it that way. But uh, maybe it was the last great thing Kurt Russell did, too. <laughs> uh, also, little things they did in this movie, like, you know, not casting any named actors. And I think they actually cast real hockey players to play the hockey players on the team, too. Uh, I think more than anything, what what 
stands out with this movie is the fact that it is an underdog story about American athletes that's not unrealistic. I mean, they're not stretching it when they say they were a joke in hockey. So it's kind of odd that you could have one of these underdog stories and it's about you know a well-funded country like the united states that dominates in every olympics and it is realistic i mean this is a famous story i think everybody knew the story before the movie came out too but it is a really good movie and i, I haven't seen it in years i've never really even bothered to think about whether this would be a buy it rented or bin it for me but uh it'll be fun to rewatch it just i uh, just really looked up the 30 for 30 documentaries actually uh, the episode they did on this is actually told through the eyes of the Soviets. So uh, that might be an interesting thing to mm. sort of rewatch in between when we do this and that. But uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to, to seeing, as I said, it's been a while since I've seen it. So um, yeah, Miracle, Kurt Russell, that's coming up next week. Uh, in the meantime, all our other regular episodes will be up, as you know, our TV ones, we've got some interviews and things like that that's happening uh, as well. So stay tuned to our channels, yoursnetwork.net, of course, our social media pages, and uh, remember to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And in Canada, that is done by Telegram. So uh, <laughs> just search for the Oz Network at your local <laughs> Calgary hotel. Uh, but Winter Olympics Month continuing. And for all your Winter Olympics news and everything, search for Off the Podium because we're getting close to our coverage of that for uh, our comedic take at the Olympics. And though we're also sometimes serious. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've been looking forward to doing this one. I'm sad it's over, but at the same time, I'm glad we've done it. My name is Ben, and uh, Colin, I've known you since Julie Jeffries asked to see you dingling. And my name is Colin, and this episode is dedicated to the memory of Tallulah. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.